Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 347. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's yet another 80s show and a Patreon requested show at that. So, uh, yeah, we got another fun week this week. Week and a, week and a half, really, 11 days, basically, to talk about here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm doing fine. Um, we're having some bizarre technical issues that we won't get into. But eh, it wouldn't be recording a podcast. There wasn't any technical issues. So. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Podcast doesn't have any notable technical issues. That would be our new Patreon show. Yes. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. Our new show is out covering WrestleMania three, the 35th anniversary of WrestleMania three. And um, quite the show. And everybody should go check that out. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. Five dollars a month gives you access to listen to that show and all the other shows that we've done in our five plus years of the Patreon. And yeah, we talk about uh the build of the WrestleMania three. We talk about um all the major feuds, matches, happenings that went into the show. We go into the business part of the show, the local stuff at the time for the from the news there and how that you know was affecting Detroit and Canada specifically. Um, talk about every, everything, everything that you basically can talk about about WrestleMania three from newsletters and you know uh, newspapers and periodicals and press releases and all kinds of crap. So uh, yeah, quite the show, a different show than what we've been doing lately. But that's always good to mix it up a little bit. So uh, everybody should go check that out. Especially if you're uh, a younger person that uh, was not even born for that time or has just watched WrestleMania 3. Gives you a glimpse into what was all going on surrounding that major show in wrestling history. One of the most important shows in wrestling history at that. But five dollars a month, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Go, uh, go do that and listen to that. Plus all the other shows that we've done. And like I said, you got you know a month to listen to as much as you can. If you want to continue... That's cool, too. And we have an annual uh, deal there where uh, you get uh, how much you get off picks? 16% off. Which So it's uh, $50.40 if you do a paid upfront annual subscription instead of the $60 you would spend if you did month to month. Well, there you go. So we get a, a deal there. So uh, get on that at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Now, yes. speaking of- Well, also, we should mention, too, as always, of course, we have a free preview at the end of this show you're listening to yeah now speaking of patreon this show is uh brought to you this week by one of our patrons and uh, someone that's been mentioned quite a few times in our uh, halftime segment as being a returning patron on and off and we're glad to have him on the show finally as we are joined by david davis david welcome to the show thanks a lot chris and bix it's it's a pleasure being on and it's you know i i'll never uh, fill the shoes of you know Bo James or Mike who who really covered the 80s really well but I'll give you a fan's point of view from a guy who saw a lot of wrestling in the 70s and 80s yeah absolutely now you gave us like a time period you know to pick from it wasn't a specific week uh, per se but somewhere in in this general area so uh, why did you want us to go back to uh, this area where we're in 1985 this week so what was it about this era of, of wrestling and and just, you know, wrestling in general that uh, 
you know, turn you on to uh, want to do this show? Well, I, in 85, I was just returning to watching wrestling um, after like a 12 year, 11 year hiatus. When I was a kid and in, up in Lewiston, Maine, I used to watch, uh, you know, WWWF, which was basically Chief J. Strongbow versus like Killer Kowalski or George Steele, stuff like that. And um, 85, I just happened to be in New York during this period, the 18th through the 28th. And just by accident, and I and I would accidentally go to a show at Madison Square Garden a few days later, and then I realized that the, the WWF or whatever they were called in '85 um, wasn't all that interesting, and I would end up seeing five other promotions within the next year. <laughs> yeah, big difference in in those promotions for sure. <laughs> Well, well, the thing was, you know, it's, I was discovering, reading, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and I, I literally, though, I, I was able to see six promotions just from my travels um, before I even discovered the Observer, which I didn't start subscribing to till uh, June of '86. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, and, and the Observer back then totally different than what it became years later. It was still more like a fanzine back then. Oh yeah, but 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 it would make me uh, able to understand like the various promotions, and I started tape trading and and seeing all kinds of great stuff. Like once I saw Ric Flair, you know, six months after this, you know, in, in November of '85, it was the first time I saw him versus Harley Race. Then it was game over. Come on, a 50-minute match, one of their last long matches that Race and, and Flair had, which I just accidentally saw again because I was at a, in bus- at a business meeting in Iowa. And then, you know, I had I com- almost completely lost interest in the World Wrestling Federation after that. <laughs> you weren't the only one. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, so, yeah, we are going back to 1985. And uh, we're going to cover the week of week and a half of March 18th through the 29th of 1985, right before WrestleMania one. So yeah, we don't get WrestleMania one during our week. It's two days later, but we get all the uh, hoopla and buildup surrounding it. And uh, we'll get to that later though. Cause we're going to start with Jim Crockett promotions where there's big news going on and WMS involved in here too. As Dave notes, uh, of course, the major news of wrestling right now is that JCP has picked up the WTBS time slot from WF. They have the 9.35 a.m. Saturday slot. They picked, they got that from Ole. The 6.05 p.m. Saturday night slot. And the 5.35 Sunday time slots. And uh, Dave's not sure about this, but there are rumors out that Ted Turner may be getting involved directly with this promotion. Dave's not sure what effect it will have on wrestling, however. Well, he doesn't get involved directly with anything uh, at this point in time. But this is a major, major move, as we talked about before on these shows, that Crockett got uh, the TBS slot from Vince. And, I mean, the the money he paid for this basically helped fund WrestleMania 1. So, you know, <laughs> do that what you will. But this is what Crockett needed to do what he, what Dusty wanted to do. And that is to go national, go head to head and basically undercut Cowboy Bill Watts <laughs> in the process. Cause Watts had got a Sunday night slot on TBS as well. So 
now we're having a split Sunday night with Crockett and Watts about to start up when Watts had already started going uh, you know, with Vince, right behind Vince. So uh, definitely interesting time in wrestling history. And uh, David, were you, were you watching TBS at this time? I started watching TBS in October 85 and I immediately started taping every show. And, uh, it, uh, it was again, as soon, as soon as I, I moved and I could get cable that had WTBS, which, you know, wasn't really that common until the mid eighties that you could get it. It just was phenomenal. It was just so much better than uh, the stuff that was syndicated from World Wrestling Federation. And AWA was also in San Francisco at that time. And their TV really kind of sucked, too. <laughs> well, yeah, the syndicate TV wasn't that hot, for sure. But No. no. I mean, it, it, it was a marked difference from what WWF was putting on. At this time, we were doing our week here. They had started taping in the studio. So they finally started taping in the studio the month before they're gone, which I thought was always, always thought it was very interesting. And the, the it, studio show was a whole lot better than the show that they did with Freddie Miller and going over the old syndicated tapes. I mean, the studio show had a different flair, different feeling. I mean, it was a whole lot better. If they would have done that earlier, I mean, who knows what the ratings would have been like. Well, it's it's really interesting because um, on the March 16th show, uh, you have Gorilla opening it. They call it Georgia Championship Wrestling, yeah. and it's and it's and it's Vince. It's World Wrestling Federation, and the first match is like um, longtime jobber Tony Russo versus Mr. Wrestling Two, and you know that's basically a, a that, that that could have been a, a, a NWA you know match, mm-hmm. and um, it. It, 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 it's the whole the whole issue surrounding WTBS, and I know Bix wrote a really interesting article on the ratings with WWF versus uh, versus NWA and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's it's fascinating the like kind of the world of TBS because at the same time you have Mid South on on had just started this month too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bix, since you wrote an article about that, you have a more to elaborate here. So uh, yeah, talk, talk about that and uh, whatever else uh, you want to talk about here. Okay. So this is on my stub stack as far as the thing with the ratings, because what happened was, and I'll probably, I think we, sh- I should actually read this article in a minute, but I was reading uh, Tim Hornbaker's death of the territories book. And I saw one of the citations was to a, an electronic media article about why WWF really left TBS And there was other interesting stuff there, but the thing I noticed once I found the actual article was how it said that in February 1985, because at this point, cable ratings are basically just monthly averages at best. You don't get real, like, weekly numbers until late 88, like Q4 88. And, but what I noticed was it said that WWF on TBS, I think the main, you know, 605 Saturday Georgia Championship Wrestling show had averaged a 5.3 for February, which I forget if I remembered that or if I dug around, but what Meltzer always had in historical pieces was that Mid-South in its 12 weeks on TBS from March through the end of May averaged a 5.3. So wait a second. If that was the number one show on cable with a 5.3, Mid-South was, 
and WWF was allegedly this huge bust ratings-wise on TBS. What's going on here? Right? Doesn't exactly compute. Yeah. So using whatever I could find, looking on ProQuest and stuff and newspapers.com to find, you know, because it's not like the trades even were reporting consistently to find whatever, you know, monthly ratings I could find for the wrestling shows. Looked up, you know, universe info for a given period to get the households after I figured all that out. The it, the patterns you see are interesting because it changes a lot once you adjust for the actual household universe because they gain so much in a short period of time. So the rating doesn't tell the whole story. You know, if you just look at the rating, it's a mostly downward path, but that's not the whole story when, let's see. So just from my notes that I have in the little spreadsheet I did, TBS had 25 million household universe in February 83. They were up to 29.3 million by March 84, 31 million by May 84, 32 million by October 84, 32.5 million by November, 33.1 million in January, and then 34 million through the next three months, few months of 85. So in the previous two years, TBS had gained 9 million homes. So here's what, here's what I was able to find. Don't have a lot for 83, but between some trade stuff and books and a Matt Watch issue, Looks like they got as high as like 6.8, 6.9 rating in about 1.7 million homes in 83. Then March 84, they're doing a 6.0 rating with similar households. We don't have April, but in May, they dropped to a 4.6 in 1.4 million households. And for the first WWF, well, not the first full WWF month, but in July... There's an average of 4.9 rating, 1.5 million households. Then things get re- – we don't have every month, but next is October and November where they're down to a 4.0 and about 1.3 million. But then the ratings and the households go up a lot in January and February, 5.3 both times, about 1.8 million. Here's the thing though, going back to where we are now in March, 4.4 rating, 1.496 million households. Here's what that means to me. I think the audience they rebuilt with TBS getting in more homes and WWF picking up more steam, I think they didn't like studio wrestling. Possible. I just don't you see know, it, why you'd see – like I mean, that's almost a full ratings point drop. Go ahead. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is like, okay, I started working in television research at Warner Brothers 1988. I was an intern, and, and I decided to go work for Paul Kagan instead in 89, but – the the re- TV research Warner Brothers 1988 they didn't even have computers they had they had Arbitron books they had Nielsen ratings they had like one computer in the central office that I used to go in so I could check out like mid you know the old mid south ratings and see if or Memphis and see ter- territory by territory or TV station by station ratings they they were basically a sales organization research wasn't like people weren't that interested in how much 
thing. So like TBS, and you got Turner, who ran his company like uh, in 85, like, you know, he he ran the show. He decided what went on. He didn't care whether, you know, this wrestling show got this rating or not. And as, as much as he, it was like he, he it was all a whim for him. So they weren't like trying to maximize profits. So it's interesting because if you look back at what Turner did during the Georgia war, you know, he puts both shows on um, all South and the regular and the regular Georgia championship wrestling, whatever it was called back then in the seventies. So Turner's deciding based on a whim, what he wants. Yeah. You, I mean, you're very much right. <laughs> I mean, he goes, I mean, he is the, programming director pretty much of his own station even at this one time you know if he yeah later with eric he, he just says yeah let's go on monday night you know it's like he he's, he makes decisions based on what he wanted so exactly yes so the electronic media article this is this does not run until the april 25th issue but this is probably the most relevant time we could cover it on between the sheets especially since 1985 there's a lot of stuff that especially in the coverage you can't stick to the strict week so uh richard zacks wrote this in the april 25th issue of electronic media the headline is wrestling dispute costs wtbs two top shows ted turner now engaged in a much publicized struggle with cbs recently completed a little publicized wrestling match with vince mcmahon chairman of the world wrestling federation the winner of a close bout was Mr. Turner, who, in effect, slammed Mr. McMahon and his World Championship Wrestling off the Superstation on March 31st. But Mr. Turner didn't escape unbloodied. The net result of losing the wrestling package was that WTBS canceled two of its three top-rated shows, which are also two of Cable's top three. To add insult to injury, Mr. McMahon is now in serious negotiations with ESPN! Mr. Turner's arch-rival about supplying ESPN with wrestling stars such as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Sources at ESPN expect a decision within two weeks. The cause of the cancellation dates back to earlier this year when Turner Broadcasting System officials began demanding that the WWF stop supplying wrestling shows to other cable outlets such as USA Network. When WWF refused, TBS made the financial arrangements for advertising so undesirable that the Federation opted to sell out... A excuse me, sell out to another wrestling promoter, according to the WWF. TBS officials refused to comment. WWF had been supplying World Championship Wrestling to Superstation WTBS since July 14, 1984. WWF is paid a production fee for packaging two one-hour shows for WTBS, which have consistently ranked in Cable's top five. World Championship Wrestling on Saturday night from 6 to 7 Eastern, now expanded to 6 to 8 p.m., which, yeah, that's something else, too. In the WWF era outside, I believe, of the studio shows, um, the Saturday show was an hour. Mm-hmm. Right? I think it's just the Georgia Championship Wrestling two-hour studio shows that are uh, just those that are two hours. That's right. Yep. Um, so, yeah, drew a 5.3 rating percentage of TV households in 1.8 million homes in February, number two on cable. Best of World Championship Wrestling on Sundays from 5.35 to 6.35 drew a 5.1 rating in 1.7 million homes, number three on cable. A clause in the contract allowed WWF certain time for promotion, for quote-unquote promotional purposes, says Frank Tomeo, president of Creative Media Enterprises, which handles WWF advertising and sales. 
WWF interpreted that to mean it could drop in commercials and include WTBS in its national ad package. The WWF sells national commercials that run on its shows on USA Network, Madison Square Garden Network, Spanish International Network, and a syndicated network of 100-plus stations. That's another good point. Not only do they have, at this point, a monopoly on cable with USA, TBS, and WOR, plus MSG for places that get that, they're also on broadcast TV nationally in Spanish on what would become Univision in a year or two. Mm-hmm. They just straight up had a monopoly pretty much on nationally televised wrestling for, you know, however many months, you know, nine months. Yeah. WWF pulled a 16.2 average weekly cumulative rating for all of its shows. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Up from a, I think that says five rating last July, according to Mr. Tamao. Well, yeah, of course their cumulative average is up from last July when you added two shows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he also that's said that, unfair. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's an unfair the cumulative average. You know, they just add shows together. Yes, it, I mean that was the the racket with wrestling syndication ratings throughout the 80s and into the 90s even. Yep. Um he also said WWF had sold about 2.5 million dollars in ad time over the last month. But wow. TBS interpreted promotional to mean strictly program promotion, says Mr. Tomeo and refused to let WWF drop in commercials. The Superstation then offered WWF a chance to buy commercial time on the two shows at a discount, which WWF could then resell to its clients at a profit. That arrangement worked until early this year, when WTBS demanded that WWF break off its contracts with the other cable networks and supply WTBS on exclusive basis. WWF refused. Sources say WTBS responded by telling WWF it would have to charge WWF the full rate for commercial time. WWF, realizing there was no profit to be made under those circumstances, sold its production contracts for the wrestling shows to Jim Crockett, which they spell C-R-O-K-I-T-T, a wrestling <laughs> promoter out of Charlotte, North Carolina. WWF signed a contract with WAGA-TV in Atlanta to keep its presence in the market, but Mr. Turner is betting that Mr. Crockett and his Southern wrestlers can maintain the high ratings. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, they would do good ratings, but... Well, here's the thing, though, Chris. Isn't it interesting what? that we're getting what is more or less being stated as the official contemporaneous WWF version? And there's no mention of Ted wanted, wanting to buy the company from Vince. No. <laughs> Not at all. And think about how different things could have been if Bill Watts would have played his hand a little bit better and not, and not you know, gone on television and just kept bashing WWF. Maybe they call him up and ask if he wants to buy it. He only had a 12-week contract, though. Well, yeah, but still. You think you guys, that, oh, to buy the slots from him. Yes, buy, yes. Yeah, buy, to buy the very nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, remember, if you go by Watts' version, which... <sighs> I wish we had another source for this other than Watts and JR. I'm not saying I disbelieve JR or even Watts, but I wish we had another source for Turner was going to partner with me and until Vince sold the time slots to Crockett and his hand was forced story. Yeah. All right, Dave, what were you going to say? 
I was going to ask, um, I was going to wait till the Mid-South, but maybe we should talk about, since we're talking about TBS. I'm not sure how many uh, episodes of Mid-South ran on TBS. I know that it started on March 10th and ended on May 26th. I've only seen six episodes. It was, um, I, well, no, it was the weekend of March 1st, I think, from what I found. Well, yeah, well, it, it, actually, I, I think it's it, according to, yeah, well, whatever. In that term, in that time period, I've only seen six episodes. I know that Meltzer said that, like, they would show one out of two. They were, they started with, like, a two-month lag, yeah, and, yeah. They, and they were catching up. Yes. So they, like they would show one of the two tapings and then on March 10th, March 17th, like that. So I'm not sure how many episodes ran. I think, th and it, 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 there's no real good source for that other than I've only seen six. I remember it airing. I, I, I cannot tell you how, how much aired, but I mean, they, the, the amount of time that's listed at two months, I mean, they were on for those two months. So, okay. I mean, I'll I don't know what was first run or what was repeats or anything. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any repeats. So it may have been all first run. So first run for TBS. You mean they don't, re didn't repeat yeah. any previously aired episodes on TBS. Right? Exactly. Yes. But yeah, they were on a two month lag. So it wouldn't mess with, with what was going on in the territory itself because two months was further out than any of the bicycle tapes. And it was interesting when you guys did the episode with Mike on the prior two weeks before this, where you guys were talking about how how, how Buddy Landell was like being jobbed out on on TBS on on the Mid South show, and it was basically it delayed his matches with Flair until like June or July, I think, of '85, which I'm really glad happened because Buddy is is awesome. Well, that's the I mean that's the main reason pretty much why Mid South was take, was off the air. Was because by the time those Landell matches showed up, was to two months, and Crockett was pissed off because he's pushing Buddy on his show, and now he, here he is on the Sunday show doing jobs to watch his guys. So that I mean that was the main reason why Mid South basically got expedited off TBS when they did more anything else. I so wish Buddy became world champion. I mean, he was, he had such charisma, that guy. And yeah. I know his issues. I know his issues, but I mean, that, that guy was tremendous. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go to uh, Charlotte, March 23rd, a big night at Charlotte Coliseum. In front of, no crowd listed here, but a packed out house. And opening match. Buddy Landell over downtown Denny Brown. This was stay for TV, so this would have been the Mid-Atlantic show, Mid-Atlantic Church of Wrestling. Then we have Pistol Pest Watley with a Barbarian by disqualification. Um, NWA World Tag Title Match, Don Cronulla and Dick Slater defeated Ivan Nikita Koloff by disqualification. Russians retained their belts. Jimmy Valiant over the Great Kabuki, who's in as a bounty hunter at this point in time, not as a regular, but trying to collect the bounty on Jimmy Valiant's head. And uh, D Dusty Rhodes went to a draw with Tully Blanchard in the NWA World TV title match. Dusty had won the belt the previous week in uh, Greensboro. And Tully's getting his rematch here, and it goes to a draw. So you know what that means for television. Time ran out before the match was over. So there's that. Then worldwide, got superstar Billy Graham over British Steve Casey. Arn Anderson over Manny Fernandez by disqualification. 
and the main event, the big match, Steel Cage, United States Heavyweight title, Madam T.A. becomes a champion, beating Wahoo McDaniel. And yes, we are going to go to the clip. So let's watch this go down in a very hot Charlotte Coliseum. And I think the clip we're watching on YouTube is taken from the Crocker Cup 87 home video, right? I think so, yes. in the ropes. Oh, who drops him? Drops that elbow. Oh, I mean, my. That, that chop right across the head. Again, right across the head. On the ropes again, David. He's basically chopping him from the elbow. Listen to that part. And uh, something yeah. I want to note, I don't know the last time I watched this match and finish, for a guy who, you know, we talk about what a big star he could have been and how great he was, we do not talk about the kind of athlete that Terry Allen was because that was like the RKO out of nowhere of belly-to-belly suplexes. And he did that a lot in this era, too. Where he'd just go straight from a drop-down as the guy is hitting the ropes to his feet in position to hit the finish perfectly. In some of the squash matches, he would hit the belly-to-belly you know, out of nowhere. You know? It definitely was like the RKO of this era. That's a great point. Yeah, that he but. has the speed and reflexes and explosion to just get Because, like, I'm watching it, and it's like, this looks like it's going to go into the finish, but is he ready? And he was. It just didn't look like he would be. Yeah, he he's that all-time what-if. You know, what if he doesn't get in that car wreck and everything? And just, you know, who knows what he could have been as world champion. That's for sure. But, uh they built this up so good for two months. They, uh, Magnum was chasing Wahoo and going to Wahoo and they built it up, built it up, built it up. And, uh, it, it blew off here. Wahoo's about going to leave and head to Florida. Magnum wins the title. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. And, uh, David, you can see here just watching and watching how everything went and just watching how Magnum was being portrayed at this point in time that Dusty had, Major plans on this guy becoming his top star. Are you muted? Yeah, I think they was muted. Sorry, I said um, <laughs> I, was, I was very fortunate to see Magnum twice in 1986, not in 85, but um, once on once at Dorton and once in uh, in LA at the Forum. And uh, so the, fir- the first one was a tag match with Dusty against the Midnight's, and the second one was uh, during that series with Nikita. Oh yeah. Um, so I got to see him at, you know, obviously Dusty loved 
working with Magnum, you know, <laughs> he, he had so much charisma on both coasts. Of course, they loved him in, in the Carolinas, but in California, he got huge pop. I mean, so uh, it's really sad what happened to, to, to Terry Allen. But I mean, what a what a, what an amazing performer. He's one of those rare guys as a baby face that the heel fans love too. You know, I mean, because he was the way he was, he was so aggressive that, I mean, he, he kind of had a heelish aggression about him so that it was easy for the heel fans to dig him. Just like the babyface fans dug him, you know, what a great character. Oh, you know, and and, and the stuff he did with Mr. Wrestling too, in mid South prior to that was like, you know, off the charts too. So, Absolutely, yes. And uh and Wahoo put him over, cleans the sheet, very professional, you know. And um now what we you know, on the on the television show, which we don't have here, they had a celebration in the locker room, the baby faces were around mad and everything, and then JJ Dillon and Buddy Landell come walking in and uh Buddy Landell challenges Madden for the title and like pie faces him. And there's like a little skirmish back there, and because so you, so you can see right here is they're they're getting ready to really push Buddy, and you know, put him and him and Magnum have a series for the U.S. title, but then you know, tell they get shit to the Magnum, you know, not so long after that. So basically, I'm guessing that maybe the Mid South stuff kind of had an effect there, but they really was shifting Buddy over to Rick at that time too. So I would say probably not. At, at that point in time, since but since Buddy and Rick were starting to work together on house shows, so they definitely had some major ideas for Buddy Landell, and uh, of course, we all know what happened there. Buddy being his biggest enemy, but uh, but yeah, Chris, you, it's, it's so interesting. Right. It's so interesting during this period because, like, on the March twenty third TV show, you have Magnum teaming with Ric Flair, and you have you know JJ with. Uh, JJ's still with like uh, who Ron Bass and Buddy and Black and Bart. He's not cl- yeah. Oh, yeah, and Black Bart. He's not with Tully yet. And then, then obviously, this is all going to lead into the Four Horsemen in a year. But it's kind of this jumbo of um, you know because I started watching late in '85 and I didn't know any of this early you know Magnum teaming with Ric Flair. Whoa! But um, it's it's just fascinating to watch Rick as this um as this big baby face in in the Carolinas and like he's kind of a heelish champion in the other territories a lot well, of you, times. Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't have known it unless you had the Crockett TV shows uh, from the Carolinas because TBS wasn't like he was Rick, you know he was the other Ric Flair on those but you watch the Carolina shows he's teamed with Magnum occasionally he's teamed with Dusty Dusty's in his corner in the Landell matches. So, yeah, it's a totally different flair until they do the big turn in September. Then he's the same guy everywhere after that. But, yeah, he's still Carolina Bayface Ric Flair at this point in time. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting to watch Crockett in 85 before the flair turn to watch. I mean, you watch that show and watch the TBS show and it's two completely different territories. I mean, two completely different territories. They had distinct crews of wrestlers, for the most part. That's, that, that's part of it, but still, I mean, your feuds aren't, you know, coexisting, so to speak. Other than Dusty Tolly, Magnum Tolly, 
and the Koloffs, you know, feuding with with whoever. But well, the Koloffs and Flair that coexisted on both shows. But yeah, a lot of the stuff, you know, it's just it's different people and, and different people getting spotlight and everything. So it's fun watching. It's like watching a brand split in, in ways like WWE would do. So um, interesting times at Crockett Promotions as they're getting ready to go national. And Dusty's already booking at this time, right? In the early. Oh in- yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's been booking since uh, early summer '84. Yeah, so he doesn't run out of ideas for about a year. Oh yeah, he's more to like early to mid seven is when he yeah. Okay, Christ. fair. I just I just yeah I just was annoyed with the dusty finish I would see all over the place. Yeah, once he started picking up the other territories and stuff, that's when everything started to go downhill. Fair enough. I was too critical of Dusty. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people were. <laughs> All right, Gary Juster has a show in Philadelphia at the Civic Center on March 26th for the 9,000 fans with Crockett Talent. We got Denny Brown and Pistol Pez Watley over the Rock and Roll RPMs. We got Buddy Land over Sam Houston. Avalanche Buzz Tyler over Hollywood. John Tatum. Tony Blanchard and Dusty going to a draw. Manny uh, Fernandez of Arn Anderson by DQ. Jimmy Valiant over the Barbarian. And Madden retaining the U.S. title over Ivan Koloff in your main event. Can I just say, since uh, we have Ivan here, as we're recording this, there had been a bunch of weird, like, greatest Canadian wrestler discussions on Twitter in recent days. Can I just say how amazing it is that, like, even in, like, more, like, dedicated discussions, even from people who have better knowledge of history and stuff, it's insane that Ivan Koloff's name is not brought up ever in these greatest Canadian wrestlers discussions. Because nobody thinks him as Canadian. Exactly. But he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, but just nobody thinks he's Canadian. So I mean, same with Buddy Roberts to a degree. I mean, he's not as accomplished as his trainer, Ivan Koloff, but still, like no one thinks of him as Canadian. Mm-mm. No. Pittsburgh, the Mernicks promoted a show in Pittsburgh at the convention center from on March 28th in front of 750 fans. Uh, well, things would get better there in a year, year and a half. Yeah. Had Denny Brown and Sam Houston going to a 50-minute draw with the Rock and Roll RPMs. Local guy Jimmy Jackson over a super assassin. Buzz Tyler, Manny Fernandez, Pistol Wildly over this team right here. Arn Anderson, Buddy Landell, and John Tatum. In 23 minutes and 30 seconds. I want to see that. Yeah, Jimmy Van with Barbarian by Countout. Man and TA retain USA Way title being Ivan Koloff. And then Tully over Dusty by DQ in a TV title match. Has a promotion ever had the kind of turnaround in a major market that Crockett had in Pittsburgh? Um, well, they had to go away for a while. And when they come back, they're in much better position. Yeah, but I'm I think a lot of it, in the span of a little over a year, they go from 750 fans to drawing the all-time gate record in the city. Well, there's a big what's changed since then. They got national television. True. Yes, they are running just with syndication at this point, and not on the great and not on the greatest channels either in that Pittsburgh area, if I'm not mistaken. It was on a a deep UHF channel. So, um, so it's yeah. interesting to watch. It's interesting to watch Crockett move north. Like, a, well, Philly obviously was a huge market for them for, for you know, around here and, and going into the future. Baltimore, I guess I call that kind of north of North Carolina. Baltimore was, you know, they, they, they their next show, I think, in, in April or May, they would sell out 
the uh, the arena or the civic center. Well, they're hooking up. It's Gary Juster. You oh know. yeah, sure. And it, it, and they're doing those combined shows too, like so. Flair's fight fought Sergeant Slaughter in February in Baltimore. Wrestling USA, yeah. Which got which which is interesting to me, like when we cover the news coverage on the World Wrestling Federation WrestleMania stuff, is that Baltimore ran this huge seven-page article on Flair versus uh, Sergeant Slaughter and the NWA. I think March 25th. It's like so right a week before WrestleMania. So Baltimore is 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 a battleground. Oh, absolutely. It was for the whole time. Yeah. And Philly was too. I mean, they're going yeah, to both of them. on the same day. You yep. know, <laughs> Crockett the Civic Center and the Spectrum. So, yeah, it's it's big battlegrounds and they're doing this before they get on TBS. You know, they're they're making this northern track. So, yep. it it wasn't the TBS it was they were already started but so so yeah and now richmond they were in richmond on march 29th mernick's promoted the show no crowd listed but richard coliseum we had denny brown and keith larson going to a draw with the rucker rpms because the best walk there were john tatum plus tyler retained the minute like heavyweight title beating ivan cole up by dq man of ta retained us heavyweight title beating buddy landell arn anderson going to a double dq with manny fernandez jimmy Bryant beating the barbarian in a lumberjack match and then NWA TV title versus ten thousand dollars. Maybe it all locked in the cage of ringside, totally over Dusty by DQ. And Dusty retains title, not Tully. So in a cage. Yeah, ba- well, baby doll's locked in baby doll. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Betty Lou locked in baby doll's in Betty Lou. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So uh, so you you see what's going on here. And yes, John folks, John Tatum was a regular in, in Crockett this time. Um, Dusty was a fan of John Tatum, but John was just a guy who was kind of lost in the shuffle and, uh, he got into Dallas and the rest is history after that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they got a, a good little crew at this time They're starting to, you know, add more to it. You get young guys and you can see the momentum is starting for them to, uh, to really get going here in 85. With what they got going on, and and at, the, at this point in time too, um, as uh, they mentioned that at uh, March twenty third TV show, they kind of have Arn and Buddy together in a as like a loose alliance, so to speak. And uh, it would have been interesting to see Arn, Arn and Buddy being like a, a regular tag team at this time before before Ole comes in. You know how that would have worked. Especially with the dynamic of Buddy and Rick as the Nature Boys and Arm being the cousin of Ric Flair. So it didn't last long, but it was fun while it lasted. Yes. Uh, Real quick, I was trying to find something else, but I just found the electronic media article about Black Saturday from the August 2nd, 84 issue. And tying into what we were talking about earlier, there's there's something I got to read here. I'm not reading the whole thing. Um, so they're talking to the director of publicity at Titan Sports. Mike Sotacek is the name of the guy. No uh, Mike Weber or anyone like that at this point. And he... <laughs> so here's what he says. It'll be 1,000% better with different talent and better TV production. And then he gives descriptions of some of the various wrestlers that they quote, including his tongue is permanently green for George Steele and 
You haven't seen so much flag-waving since the hostages were released for slaughter. But then we get this. All that talent nonwithstanding, irate viewers have flooded WTBS with mail, and more than 250 have phoned in to protest their loss, excuse me, the loss of some of their longtime local favorites, such as Jake the Snake Roberts and the Road Warriors. So that's interesting in and of itself that in the, you know, Atlanta Constitution, like the following week, they said 83 calls here. They're saying um, it's up to 250 by this point, but still uh, still less than the legend always was. Now, hold on, I got one away from the part I needed here. A TBS spokesman, though, said this. There has been a lot of protest. But hey, when we switch Beaver, as in Leave it to Beaver, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., we get a lot of calls. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that we've never heard that part mentioned before? The TBS was like... Yeah, when there's any change, we get a lot of calls. It's not a big deal. <laughs> well, I mean, back in those days, I mean, you know, Dave's, of course, older than we are. But, I mean, when you do something like that, when you change something, I mean, there's – you don't have a guide on your television. I mean, you if no. you're not paying attention or you don't have a TV guide or looking at your local newspaper, you don't know what when it's switching. And when you turn over, it's like, wait a minute, where's my where's my show? You know, yeah, and it, it's not it's it's not as uh you know convenient as this now the find stuff like that. The thing I always so, found amazing was though was the calls were from all over the country, which I whatever. gotta think that means that people called the TBS direct marketing order Conway Twitty number, right? They probably called information. I remember that too, Bix. But and, you had to call information for the right area code. You couldn't just call for it. I don't think in 1984 you could just call 411 from outside Atlanta and get the number for WTBS, though, could you? I don't, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't old enough. I don't know. Oh. I don't remember that. But anyway, on television, they're openly talking about Matt Superstar coming in on commentary during their TV shows. So uh, his days with AWA may be numbered. They were. They were talking about Bill Eadie coming in. They were talking about Slaughter coming in as kind of a regular. They, I mean, so Eadie does, I think, one shot, and then that's it. Um, would be interesting to see him and with this crew here in Crockett at the time. Yeah, but uh, he doesn't come in. So there's that. And you see, and you see Slaughter in some of these combined cards. I don't know whether you call them Pro Wrestling USA or or like the one in Chicago in September. That's kind of like an AWA NWA combined card. You know, you see Slaughter fighting with these guys. Yeah, he's with it's, it's Pro Wrestling USA branded shows mainly, but he does work the he works that Greensboro show the week before our week. So yeah, he's in. It was him, Carnival, and Magnum against the Russians. So he works that show. That's his big return to the Carolinas, and that's his only match he works in the Carolinas. So, yeah. Well, that's a big feud from, you know, 83, so. Yeah, no, yeah. And that would have been a good pickup, though, especially with going on TBS, that he's been off TV at TBS for a few years. Like, he was a big star off of TBS. That would have... Superstar? Yeah. yeah. He was there in 84. Him and, him and Bundy... Were he did team. come back a little bit, but still, like this, it would have been a good asset for Crockett as they're yeah, of course, building the audience yeah. back up. Yeah, absolutely, but didn't happen for whatever reason. And uh, it says Crockett is on TV now in Los Angeles and will be promoting a show there soon, which he did. 
<laughs> and it bombed. Well, kind of, <laughs> kind of he did. Well, like, okay, so the TV they're on is KDOC Channel 56 in Anaheim, which is not a very strong station. And it's like the Wally George station. And um, and th- they didn't really run a card. They ran, they, they brought three matches in at the Olympic in uh, June on, you know, with Flair and Magnum of, and, you know, and then two other matches on top of like Pistol Pete and Jack Armstrong and locals. So it wasn't a real, they didn't run a real card until August of 86 at the forum, which was a monster great American bash card. They did 1900 at the Olympic on June 29th. <sighs> and, it, and the three matches they had was Manny against Crusher Khrushchev, Dusty and Tully and Flair and Magnum. And then the other three matches were, what, what great matches these were. Jack Armstrong going to a draw with Jay Strombo Jr. Debbie the Killer Tomato over Charlie the Golden Cat. To win the California ladies the- title, though, too. And I believe that's Charlie yeah. <laughs> that's Charlie Haynes, I think, right? And Mondo, Guerrero, and Jay York over Budokan and Pistol Pete by qualification. The new Budokan or the old Budokan? It's Budokan. I think that's the original one. No, yeah, no, 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 no. It was there. It was that pro, was that it? terrible promo he cut on California Championship Wrestling about turning yeah. baby face. Anyway, um, that was an amazing show. <laughs> it was. So, so they're, they're yeah. Again, they're branching out well before they're on TBS here officially, because they don't they don't go on TBS officially until April the sixth, and they're already trying to get into different parts of the country. Yes. For those who have never seen it, yeah, we should explain that real quick. So the Crockett presence begins with the March 31st or – well, no, March 30th episode of Championship Wrestling from Georgia where all of a sudden um, Gordon Soley is on vacation and replaced by Shivani and it's basically all Crockett guys. And then the next week – it was the same thing, but they announced the changes, and then that evening, World Championship Wrestling is Crockett. Yeah, is that yeah. when they took over the the, the morning show too? Went from Oli? Yes. Did he take it over yeah. right then? Well, yes. did, that's what I was talking about. Championship Wrestling from Georgia was what he took over for. Okay, that week. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. April yeah, six. Be- April six was the day when they took over everything. Because on uh, the twenty third of March, you still had Rip Rogers and Oli. Yeah. And, you know. Yep. Yep. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then the thirtieth is when Tony, Tony and the and the Crockett crew really are on there, and um, there's still some of the Georgia guys are there, but it's you could definitely tell things are changing, especially because Gordon's not there, you know. So they say Gordon's on vacation, yeah, a permanent vacation. Yeah. <laughs> He'll oh, be so back <laughs> ten years. Yeah, years later. Yeah, five years. I found one of the ads for the Olympic show, and yeah, it's wrestling. National Wrestling Alliance, tomorrow, Saturday, June 28th, 8 p.m. Rick Flair versus Magnum T.A., Dusty Rhodes versus Dolly Blanchard, Fernandez versus Kate, I guess that's one way to spell Khrushchev, plus California Women's Championship. Yeah. So. And uh, AWA will, you know, be there in uh, October. Mm-hmm. They'll try to run the Olympic. I went to it, so. Yeah, they, 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 these groups are trying to go in L.A., which, hey, I mean, it's, Number two market, you want to try to, you know, get a footprint in there at this time. I guess WF, who is basically running the town at this point in time, they're dominating because they're all over it. But uh, so, yeah, they're just trying to trying to get their little foothold in there. But it don't work from the start, that's for sure. 
All right, let's go international now. Let me go to Japan first. Land of the Rising Sun and All Japan Pro Wrestling. A lot of rumors going around that the All Japan natives are upset that they have seen their placement on the cards change from the arrival of Riki Choshu's army. In fact, Shiro Koshinaka has decided to lead the promotion and is working as an independent. Koshinaka is expecting to join New Japan when the time is right. And it said Giant Baba is extremely upset about this. Okay. Huh. So, as you had explained in the past, one of the reasons for the heat is that they bring back Masawa from Mexico much earlier than originally planned when they get the Tiger Mask deal. And they just kind of left Koshinaka there without keeping him updated or anything. Yes. And that put a bad taste in his mouth. So then he sees all of a sudden Ichingundan come in and he's like, well, peace, peace out. I'm done. Yeah, pretty much. And he doesn't uh, show up in New Japan. Let me see here. When does he show up? As I do a search here. Uh, August 1st. That's when they had the big ceremony in the ring where he shows up and the crowd crowd pops because they knew him. And uh, they announced he was signing with the company. So, uh, yeah. Long term, I think it worked out much better for him. Oh, absolutely it did. Well, for starters, (laughs) he's, you know, at this point he's a junior heavyweight size guy. They are paying more attention to the junior heavyweight division. But... He was more of a New Japan-style wrestler. He was. And the reason why Baba's so upset is because Koshinaka was like his personal guy. Yeah, it was his protege. He was his young boy. His protege, yeah. It was his young boy. And uh, he, he just lost Onita. And now he's losing Koshinaka. So he's losing his two guys. Yeah. And... Looking at the early Koshinaka New Japan results, they have him running through junior heavyweights, young lions, etc. Like he is a push junior heavyweight from the start, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking. You know, this first tour, uh, Challenge Spirit '85 beats Black Cat in his debut. Then Keiji Muto, Naoki Sano, Shinyashimoto, Sifiyafi, and then if we when we go to September. I'm looking at wrestling data to make this part easier instead of cage match. Um, Koshinaka and Mudo over Don Arakawa and Jin Yashimoto and tag. No contest with Kerry Brown. Beats Iviafi again. Uh, teaming with Hirokazu Hada to beat Shinji Kasuga and Naoki Sano. Beats Sumon Kim. Uh, doesn't lose until day 17 of the tour, and it's a tag teaming with Sano. So one guess who dropped the fall there. Yeah, he's pretty much, you know, he's pretty much unbeaten throughout this. So they're taking him seriously. He's being protected. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure the Mexico thing sucked, but he picked the right time to go to New Japan, and the rest was history. Mm Mm-hmm. Because also, you know, we don't think about it this way. It's not like the junior heavyweight division didn't take any hits with the Ishingundan jump either. No. You know? Because Kobayashi moves over. 
Um, it's it's mainly Kobayashi and some young lions, but still, like Kobayashi, Fumihiro Nakura, uh, Norio Hanaga. Am I forgetting anyone? Taranishi. Yeah, Taranishi was a, he wasn't yeah he was a regular junior heavyweight. He wasn't pushed, but still, he's part of the division. So a lot of your future is gone along with the, your, you know, now long-time top junior heavyweight heel. And speaking of part of that future, Yoshiaki Yatsu has denied the rumors that he may go back to New Japan, who's in desperate need of native stars. But Grant Hamada's trying to get back in after leaving them twice in the last year, first UWF, and then for all Japan. Hamada is very unpopular among his peers, so he may not be welcome anywhere right now. He was too eager to outshine the new Tiger Mask and messed up teamwork moves, making the new Tiger look bad on the January tour. Huh. Interesting. That I, Look, with the various jumps, I always figured that was part of it, but this does go a long way to help explain why uh, Hamada is barely, yeah, he's basically unable to get work until JBWP starts up and he works as a referee and a trainer. Yeah, that's it. Now he's active wrestling. He doesn't return to active wrestling until late 1988, pretty much. Ishigun, then, you know, the jumps, uh, they changed the Japanese wrestling business, David. And uh, New Japan's reeling, trying to, uh, you know, get people to come come in, come back and whatever, because uh, it took a big hit there. I, um, I started watching Japanese wrestling a little bit later in 87, because when I moved to L.A., I discovered in, in Little Tokyo that you could get the weekly episodes of All Japan and New Japan in a video store. And I would pay $1 to rent them or $10 to buy a tape, and it would have two episodes on it. And so fortunately, when I started doing that, I, they had a big backlog of like 86 and 85 episodes. So I was able to see a lot of this stuff and to collect a lot of this stuff and then trade it in tape trading back in the day. I'm guessing that's why really are All Japan... TV really starts in 85, you know, as far as like a week to week to week, because New Japan, it goes back a little earlier than that. But yeah, all Japan, we really don't have a week to week week thing till 85. I mean, well, we filled in some of the gaps in recent years, but yeah, in terms of like week stuff coming here regularly. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, was inter- it was interesting because the the broadcast quality of the tapes, the video VHS tapes that I would get from the Japanese store, they, it had a it had a much better quality than American television. And well, I don't know if other people notice that. It okay. I believe. I mean, you're you're recording the VHS and stuff anyway. But I be- at some point in the '80s, I think Japan had slightly higher resolution TV, right? It wasn't HD or anything. That's what it must have been, yeah, because it if, was just bright. Yeah, the colors the colors popped if you had like good quality Japanese wrestling tapes in the, that era, even taped off TV that it you didn't see taped off of American TV. There was just something. Yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I, I noticed the difference too. Never really thought about that until now. Yeah, but as far as Hamada, as I mean, do we know why he like, I mean, you can guess why he went to UWF, but for a guy who was a New Japan trained guy and as talented as he was, that he just was constantly getting pushed aside for the hot young new guy. 
And I guess all Japan was the same thing, that he thought he was about to be the big push junior heavyweight babyface, and then Masawa gets the Tiger Mask gimmick. Mm-hmm. Here we go again. Which, <laughs> you know well, what, I mean... though? You blame him for a ha- for having a chip on his shoulder about it, though. I don't. Yeah, but you gotta be professional. Well, no, of course you gotta be professional, but I don't blame him for the underlying emotions about it, because it... it <sighs> I guess also, yeah, we need to consider the other thing, too, which is that even for the junior heavyweight division in New Japan, he's a very small guy. Well, and all Japan juniors, you know, are kind of different, too. So Yeah, they're kind of same height, but bigger, burlier guys, I guess. Would be and, and not pushed nearly as hard. So he just, I mean, he was never going to be that top guy. It just wasn't going to happen just because of his size and everything. He had the talent yeah, for he, it, but yeah, like he, he would have been like uh, Hoshino, you know, same type of size and something like that. But yeah, but he just got to be professional. I mean, not to sell Hoshino short, but Hamada had the flashy moves and the charisma to be a to- a what? top junior heavyweight. Hoshino had more charisma than Hamada did. <laughs> well, as a big, but yeah, but the, how much knows a heel? Though? I've watched a lot. No, no, baby, he's babyface. Okay. The I mean, I, 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 yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm remembering something wrong then. Okay, you're you're thinking of Makai Club. I'm, I could have sworn I've seen stuff from back no, then where he's teaming with the no, heels too. Okay. No, no, no. no, he had charisma in spades. So. He just was short, but that was part of his charisma too, especially like when he was doing the big guys, the famous ones when, when he had the interaction with Andre and that and that, that tag match one time. Yeah. I mean, the fans are going nuts. Well, also, the, you know what? Sh- it probably didn't help him that until he had his success in Mexico, his name in New Japan was a little Hamada. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he became Grand Hamada. Because that was his name in Mexico. Yes. All right, let's go to Bath All Japan, March the 29th at Cork and Hall for a 2150. We have Mitsuo Momoto over Shinji Sasazaki, Shinichi Nakano over Yoshiro Momoto, Tarzan Goto over Fumihiro Nakura, Magic Dragon and Kiyosato over Ryumago and Apollo Sugawara, Masafuchi and Money Inouye went to a double count out with Ama Hamaguchi and Masakarisu, Norio Naga and Kunio Kobayashi over Toshiaki Kawada. And Tiger Mask 2. So a Kawada Masawa tag match there. Uh, Gorosurumi Rushkamura of a giant Baba and Great Kojika. Killer Khan, Yoshiaki Yatsu, Matoshi Kuma, and Tenyogurichiro. Ricky Choshu of a Bulldog Bob Brown in 4 minutes and 25 seconds. Excuse me. And that's a televised match. And then Stan Hansen and Ron Bass over Takashi Shikawa and Jumbo Shiruta in your main event. What I'm noticing here, and what I've always noticed when you look at results from the Shingundan era of All Japan, not to sell the mid-card and undercard guys at different times short, this is by far the deepest roster that All Japan ever had. Native-wise. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, you look at all right, so look at all the foreign guys on this show. Hanson, Ron Bass, Bulldog Bob Brown, and that's it. <laughs> yep, three. Why would Bulldog Bob Brown get um, sent over, allowed to appear in all Japan at a great card like this? 
Probably um, to piss off the guy who we're going to be talking about joining New Japan. I mean, not okay. Not, not really. Well, I'm about half kidding, but it's still, it's all about your it's all about your relationships. Yeah, you know Harley. Who's who's all, all, Harley Race is uh, one of the talent bookers for all Japan. Yeah. Oh, of course that makes sense. So there you go. I don't think I realized. Yeah, the only time the I ever saw bookers. Bob, the only time I ever saw Bulldog Brown was in 1985. So. One time no, you, only. Yeah, you, you, you ain't missing nothing. I tell you that. No. Um, also, seeing that he's getting squashed in four minutes makes me wonder about that story where he goes to Jericho and he's like, "Kid, all you do is high spots. You want to go to Japan, but in Japan, they don't even do any high spots." <laughs> I I wonder if this is why he said that. Well, he worked the whole tour, so, I mean... I'm curious maybe. to see how he was booked the rest of the tour, though, because... Tag matches and stuff like that, you know? But this was his big TV match, one of them. I think it's Getting two. squashed second from the top by Ricky Chosha. It's Ricky Chosha. So I know. But... Is it, is it, is it amazing to have a match where it's literally, where it's quite possibly the best wrestler in the world versus the worst wrestler in the world? <laughs> yeah. You don't see that that often. No. Well, some people had different opinion of who the best wrestler in the world is, and we're going to New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan's savior in their war with all Japan arrived on March 21st at Cork and Hall as Bruiser Brody, who some Japanese fans said looked like looks like Jesus Christ, arrived finely dressed, wearing a suit and tie. He was carrying a bouquet in one hand and his chain in the other. The lights were switched off for a while. Then the solemnest tune ever heard in the wrestling arena, Symphony Number no. 5 in C minor by Beethoven, was selected to accompany Brody for his sensational arrival in opposition to the group he had worked for for more than six years. The entire arena was illuminated again as Brody entered the ring to confront Antonio Noki, who was waiting on his opponent, Hacksaw Higgins. Fans began to imitate Brody's barking and his chain swinging whipped the crowd into an even greater frenzy. All of a sudden, Brody stopped barking and swinging the chain, trying to shake hands with Anoki, who did not, of course, extend his hand. Both men stared at each other, down some more before Brody left the ring. All of this was taped and shown the next night on TVSI, along with the announcement that Brody and Anoki would face off for the first time at Sumo Hall on March the 18th. Taking Brody into the promotion was the most sensational, uh, was the most sensational effective way for Anoki to get revenge on Giant Baba. As everyone should recall, Baba not only raided Ricky Choshu's crew, but also the British Bulldogs last fall also. Brody was originally scheduled to work for Paul Japan from April 19th to April 25th, but that's obviously canceled now. Although Baba's going to sue Brody because he has a valid contract, which expires at the end of 1986, this is similar to the Choshu Bulldog situation, where they had contracts in New Japan, and Booker C. Saguchi protested their departure strongly was turned out in vain. Baba seems to have no right to refer to the validity of his contract with Brody. Real quick, because I feel like I'll lose this thread since this is surprisingly long by eighties mid-80s Observer Japan standards. Um, when you consider what era of Japanese wrestling we're talking about and where some of the money and stuff comes from, boy, does this feel eerily reminiscent of how it turned out that like 90% of the pride FC contracts weren't binding. Doesn't it? Yeah. 
Chris, do you want to remind everyone why Pride ended up having to go out of business? Well, because uh, of the, the money issues. Well, no. Why were there money issues, though? Why did they lose their TV? Well, they had the, the, the whole controversy with, what's his name? It was exposed that they were knee-deep in Yakuza. Yeah, but who was the guy in charge of uh, DSA? What was his fucking name? Oh, wait a minute. The guy who's in charge of Ryzen now. I know. I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. Bar, uh, no, Yuki Sakibar. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were deep in with the Yakuza. And, but here's the thing. New Japan, I mean, this is all TVSI right here with them. I mean, they're fronting the company. So. Well, the other thing I was going to say, though, is in fairness... You hear a lot less about Yakuza around Baba than you do around Anoki, New Japan, even JWA. Yeah. Like, I'm, it's Japanese entertainment of this era. I'm sure there's Yakuza involvement. But it seems like Baba avoided it more than others. Yeah. But still, it, like, seeing that everyone's acting like these contracts aren't binding is... Very interesting. Well, let's continue. Since Brody's jump, various reports have been made about what made him do it. Saguchi's official announcement was that Brody was simply among the list of wrestlers sent to New Japan by Vince McMahon. They claim that the WWF, not New Japan, lured Brody away from the NWA and all Japan. Weekly Fight denied this, saying that if Brody had joined WWF, he would have worked for them first before working for New Japan. Which is true. Weekly Fight said the real reason was that Brody was upset with the money he was receiving from All Japan. And he wasn't getting paid quite as much as Stan Hansen. He made up his mind when he learned that the Road Warriors, who have much less experience than he does, were paid $10,000 per week. Each, to be clear, since it doesn't say that. Baba may have upped Brody's pay, but seemed unwilling to do so because Brody had often double-crossed his NWA allies. It is said that Brody wore 16 weeks per year for $14,000 per week and received a major signing bonus. Nice work if you get it. <laughs> I love that line there about Baba being unwilling to up Brody's pay because he often double-crosses NWA allies. Kind of bites you in the ass, didn't it, Brody? All the, the stuff that you were doing in America. Came back to get you. You know? Yeah. And people people stuff but anyway well it also makes me hearing this though it also makes me think of let me see does it say when in 85 this is it doesn't there's and it's still up there because all from when they were doing the podcast for free before it was part of the observer observer website this was on it you know the pacific rim wrestling show that uh jim valley and fumi saito do they played one of Fumi's recordings of an interview he did with Brody for, I always forget, which magazine was Fumi at back then? I don't remember was it what it was. But anyway, they played this in the recording that he did of the interview. And one of the things Brody talks about is how much he values his independence. And even early in the New Japan run, he makes this distinction People always say to me, oh, you work for Anoki, you work for New Japan. No, I work with Anoki. I work with New Japan. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of the reporters, Brody's very popular among Japanese reporters because he is intelligent and calm outside the ring. He is also kind enough to speak in easy English to those reporters who aren't good at the language. During the last week, at the most... <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm sure Brody's telling Meltzer this too, but I'm sure Fumi is as well. <laughs> well, this is not... This is Dave's Japanese section, you know, that whoever does it is doing the, doing this. Uh, during the last week of the most recent Japan tour, he was very nervous and was sometimes rude to the reporters. At the press conference, he called on March 22nd. He apologized for that. Brody also talked about bringing his chain at all times, and he said he doesn't need the chain as a weapon, but he uses it to psych himself up for matches. Most fans think it spoils his tough guy image, making him seem like just another heel who needs a gimmick. Hmm. Brody's signing was like hitting a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning and put the game in extra innings for Anoki. Since the beginning of the year, their attendances have been on par with the worst numbers in company history. And some thought the company might go bankrupt. Although new form booker Tokyo Joe Daigo brought in new names like King Kong Bundy and Hacksaw Higgins this year, none of them have proven to be drawing cards. Overall, the last tour drew extremely bad, with crowds ranging from 1106 to 3702, which shows what happens when you try to main event Hacksaw Higgins and Dr. D. David Schultz. Now, Baba was asked about Brody leaving. He said he doesn't, didn't mind him leaving so much because he was a, he has bigger drawing cards like Stan Hansen, Terry Funk, and other road warriors. There's some truth to that, but there are those in the media that believe Baba has sour grapes because among the fans, they think Brody is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now and that he may be the guy to get a good match out of Andre the Giant these days, which never happened in New Japan. Amazing. The thought now is who is next. There are a lot of rumors that anyone may uh, maybe W bound, such as the British Bulldogs, will return to New Japan. But Stan Hansen is so tight with Brody that he may decide to follow him back as well. King Tonga, who still belongs to all Japan in a way since he trained with them, also is on New Japan's radar. And Anoki did talk with Ric Flair in February when they were in Hawaii together. So New Japan may be loading up on big-name foreigners to offset their native losses. Well, we don't get none of that. But David Brody is a guy who, at this point in time, is still a major wrestling star in Japan. And the fact that they lost so many guys at the end of 1984 to strike back getting Brody was a major coup for Anoki in Japan. Well, I I was lucky to see Brody, but um, early '86, and it was just th- three squash matches at the show at the Showboat for AWA. I was lucky to see him, and and he, you know, and, and in his interviews, so I feel honored because he's he might be my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, just a tremendous person too, and I and I can tell you firsthand that Meltzer was very close to Brody. Obviously, you guys know that, and you talk about it a lot. But I I went to a a, a subscriber party at Meltzer's apartment in '86 where we watched Starcade, and um, he 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 knew he knew Brody really well. You, you just you just knew it, and. Um, I mean, I could say other things about New Japan or whatever of this era, but to me, Brody, Brody, watching all those Brody matches, starting with the Funks, you know, the matches with the Funks, and and, and all these things through this era, it was just like was 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 a treat. Brody, Brody's matches, 
I mean, were were they great matches per se? Not all the time. No. I mean, he, and, and Brody's a guy who, in recent years, has fallen into that thing where people are like, were like, well, maybe he was overrated too much, you know, in the eighties and stuff like that. But you watch Brody's matches, and the one thing you can't deny is they had a special type of feeling to it. I mean, because the fans were so hot, and he had a way of how he worked where it was just, you know, full on intensity. And I've been watching this 85 stuff, I've been knee deep in 85 New Japan. And when he shows up on that show, I mean, that place goes nuts. And then that first Anoki match on April 18th. I mean, that place was rocking. And all the Anoki Brody matches are smoking hot. I mean, the crowd's just insane. And then, you know, any anytime Brody's around, and yeah, that that's the difference they did in his in presentation from All Japan, where All Japan had their in-house version of Immigrant Song. Brody and New Japan came out to the opening of Beethoven, and then it went right into Led Zeppelin, the real version of Immigrant Song. Right, the actual song as opposed to the weird All Japan knockoff with the horns. Yeah, so it went right to the original version of it. So Brody's even more of a, got this badass thing going on here in New Japan. And, uh, oh yeah, it's fantastic. I I mean, I love Brody in the 85 New Japan, which I'm watching right now. This He stands out heavily on on those shows when he's on there and he gave him a big spark even they if you're a low that. voter on brody he he brought something they needed yeah you can't deny you can't deny him you can't deny how, how great of a performer he was like i said was he a great in-ring professional wrestler hell no but you can't deny his matches were special they had something to them and that's and you know i think those that judge wrestling on just work rate as far as in-ring technical stuff, they're not going to get Brody as much as people that are watching it for entertainment value. So there's your distinction more than anything else. Brody entertained. Brody was believable, you know? And those fans were just sold on him. Yeah. And, okay, so to do the math, because it comes out, I think, to more than you'd think without really thinking about it. 16 weeks... Times fourteen thousand dollars is two hundred twenty-four thousand dollars a year in nineteen eighty-five money. So let's see. Yeah. Let's pull up an inflation calculator to see how that comes out to. So I said two twenty-four, right? Yeah. Two hundred twenty-four thousand nineteen eighty-five. He is making over five hundred eighty-three thousand dollars for working less than a third of the year in Japan. Is uh, is Ellering getting the same as the uh, Royal Warriors? From Baba? Is he also getting 10000 a week? Past a certain point, it seemed like he was getting the same money as them most places, but I don't, th- I don't think he got a full 10 grand a week, right, Chris? I would be surprised. Mm, no. No, I don't think so. I think he's getting a healthy payoff. Yeah, he's getting. Yeah, he's getting. I'm getting sure he's paid, well but... paid, but I don't think he's getting the full ten grand a week. No, but yeah, I mean that's something we need to consider. I think it just in general with this kind of thing too. I forget what Brody was making in all Japan, and I'm surprised it's not mentioned here. Knowing what his priorities were, 
which were effectively as make as much money with as little work as possible to set up his family for the future and be at home as much as possible. Why wouldn't he take this deal? Yeah, he could be. I mean, he's the top foreigner now, even over Andre. You know, and also the WWF thing is in flux. Granted, they renew the deal for another year, technically, but they don't do much with it. Like he, it was the right time to maximize his value because they're coming, you know, coming off of losing so much of the native roster over the previous year between UWF and Ishin Gundam going to All Japan. They, he couldn't have struck at a better time. And, you know, God, I mean, obviously he couldn't have known, but long term, it was certainly the right decision. Yeah, I mean, they're about to end, like you said, they're about to end with WWF. I mean, Hogan is still there, but their whole WWF relationship is about to be ending. But the deals were nude. That's the weird part. They stopped getting guys sent over pretty soon, other than Andre. But it's on top of the Crockett deal for TBS. The other big cash infusion WWF gets at this time is Anoki renewed. Oh, no, no, no. Was it that he renewed or was it that it was just the annual payment was due? Well, they're done with WWF, duh. That, but no, up. but the way Melter's always reported is that they get an, not, they get an Anoki payment around this time. Yeah, but it's about the end. It's about the over. Okay, Hogan, it's an installment or something. I don't know. Hogan's last shows are coming up. But isn't Hogan's last shows are coming up. I think what June. June, uh, all right, yeah, so he works, uh, he works Fujinami on June 11th. And he works Anoki on June June thirteenth, and I think that's it. The last ones, yeah, that's it. That's the end of Hogan, Hogan in New Japan. Japan, and that's the end of all of them in New Japan except Andre. So, so, so yeah. All right. Um, well, speaking of talent training, New Japan's also looking at working with Jerry Lawler about talent training deal with Memphis. It seems like they're doing anything they can to keep from renewing their deal with Vincent Man, which runs out in the fall. So there you go, Bex. But Hogan's done, yes, and most of the other guys are done too, but Andre's still there for well over a year. Yeah, but he's different. But he's through <laughs> WWF. He's being booked through WWF. Yeah, but he's different. I you know, know, he's the only one. Nobody else is. Well, anyway. All right. Um,. Speaking of talent situations, New Japan is looking at working with Jerry Lawler about a talent training deal with Memphis. It seems like they're doing anything they can to keep from renewing their deal with Vince McMahon, which runs out in the fall. Okay, so, so it must have been a, a previously scheduled payment on the existing deal then. Yes. Now, Lawler had just worked all Japan in January. You know, worked him and Valiant working that tour. So mm-hmm. he has that, but uh, he does work in New Japan a little bit later. In 1989, uh, when he's world champion, but that would have been interesting if they would have made that deal. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that some of that Memphis crew going to New Japan, like the Fabs or uh, you know uh, Coco, and, or you know, and even like Dundee later on, Tom Branch, Tom Branch, Bota, the Witch Doctor. <laughs> I mean, they would you think about it? I mean, New Japan and Memphis, I mean, it seems like it could have worked, but I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they ended up doing pr- 
doing a little bit better with world class. Yeah, I think world class and Watts were better fits. Yeah, what do you think, Dave? Oh, Lawler used to like to take vacations. Like um, later in 85, he'd be in Hawaii for a while. He was a really good heel in Polynesian pro wrestling. And that, 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 that aired on score. And they had one card in San Jose in, in December. And I think Lawler could have been could have been more in Japan. But, you know, they mostly needed him in Memphis anyways. Yes. Yes, they did. So, but yeah, it would have been interesting to see how that how a talent train deal would have worked with Memphis. But it's talked about a lot in this era, you know, of of Saguchi and uh, Lawler hooking up and you know doing the deal. But don't get it though. There's that. All right, um, that's out of twenty five fifteen. Bix showed up at Corken Hall March twenty first. Oh, come on, because one of the newspapers reported that Brody would be at the show. And a sizable percentage of uh, those at the show purchased tickets that night for the April 18th Sumo Hall show. 25-15. So, so there goes your big surprise. If it's already out there in the media, that Brody might be there. But anyway, uh, here's, our results. here's our results of the show. We have uh, Keijimuto over Masahiro Chono in your opening match. They wouldn't do nothing. Don Arakawa over Shin Hashimoto. Testoshi Goto over Keiichi Yamada. Liger. Then we have Mike and Pat Kelly over Kataro Hoshino and Shunji Kasugi. Anoro Arasone and Seisha Gucci over Bad News Allen and the Hawaiian Leroy Brown. <laughs> Dr. D. David Schultz went to a no contest with King Okamura. Hiro Saito beat Umanoseki Ueda in a no countouts match. Shunji Takano and Tatsumi Fujinami beat the Strong Machines one and two by disqualification. And Antonio Noki over Hacksaw Higgins in your main event that Brody uh, was all over at ringside. So, uh, yeah, I just watched this uh, a few weeks ago and um, the main matches from this show. And, uh, yeah, like I said, Brody just he invigorated that show, that promotion this time. But, I mean, it's still it's still some pretty fun television because the machines feud um the fans are into the machines and yeah it was fun to watch it's just it's just different than what you would see the year before with choshu and all those guys around so that's the big difference well so yeah the not like these guys are bad workers but the foreigner selection has suffered in terms of name value a lot yeah, the, the TV matches from this show was Kim, King of Kamara, Dr. D, Hiroshito Inuita, Fujinami, and Takano against Strong Machines, and Anuki and Higgins. And Shinji Takano is re- really young here. A, a little bit later, they would start showing on all the New Japan shapes would have a, would have a junior heavyweight matchup first, and it would be like Yamada or Mudo, and those guys were just phenomenal before they you know turned into characters. And they yeah, were just could, phenomenal yeah. guys. You could see that those guys were the future. Absolutely. Yeah. When you watch it, especially Muda, you see him, you're like, well, this guy's got something and he's going to, he's going to be uh he's going to be a me- mega star. Absolutely. Well, I like Yamada too. I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 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 Of course. And Yamada would get chances, but Muda was on more. It's like, they knew, they knew with him that this guy had something because he was on more than anybody as far as the young guys. Yep. True. So yeah, good stuff in new Japan. All right, let's go to Kuwait. 
Kuwait City, Kuwait at the Cosmo Sports Club on March 29th. This is a show promoted uh, with Crockett's help. And what a, uh, we have only one match from this uh, show here on this tour. Sheik Adnano Casey and Nikita Koloff team as a tag team beat Dory Funk Jr. and JJ Dillon. Huh. A wild tour here. A Kuwaiti tour. Yes, and I, I I gotta think this is not the same local promoter that's doing the WWF shows. Um no, I don't think so. I don't think so. At I gotta all, think it's most still- likely someone else, yeah. All right, other other uh let's see, superstar Billy Graham was on this tour, Dick Slater, Mass Superstar was on this tour, uh Sarder Slaughter joined this tour, Kabuki, Blackwell was on this tour. Um here's a match from April 2nd in Kuwait City. Sarder Slaughter, Great Kabuki, and Dick Slater over Dorfman Jr., Crusher Blackwell, and JJ Dillon. That's a funky match. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to pull up. I thought I had it on my computer. I'm trying to pull up J.J. Dillon's book because he talks about this or a tour later in the year in his book. And I think Adnan O'Casey had like some in with like a king in uh, Kuwait or somewhere over in the Middle East. And they loved him bringing in a, a tour. Is that correct? Well, he was Iraqi. Yeah. yeah he's well, from Baghdad. But he, they like would bring him in, and then they'd bring in a foreigner to fight him. Yeah, that, that would like, have been in earlier in years. That wouldn't have been in this era. That okay. would have been. I think okay. that would have been earlier on when he was more of an active wrestler. I've read like a hundred wrestler books, so I don't. It all <laughs> commingles in my mind. And there are a lot of these tours that happen that you know we don't even know about as far as people going over. And stuff well, like especially that. there are so many WWF tours in this era that we don't really know anything about. They had the South Africa tours and all that stuff where guys would go over. So, yeah, there's all kinds of little things. But anyway, that's Kuwait making their Between the Sheets debut on this show. Had we never actually done Kuwait? proper no. as far as results are no. going? No. Although, okay, no. I found I, I remembered I can look because it's in my Kindle account. Hold on. I can look there. Kuwait, 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 Kuwait. Uh okay, here we go. It's this tour. Alright. Uh after Crockett's television show was being aired worldwide, he made a deal to promote a wrestling tour in Kuwait in the Middle East that ran from March twenty seventh until April fourth, nineteen eighty five. Of course, I always wanted to go to new places, and working in the office made it easy for me to make sure that I was included on that tour. We took a great crew with us. David Crockett, Dory Funk, Crusher Blackwell, Dick Slater, Superstar Billy Graham, Bill Eady, Lex Luger. That's can't, not right. I don't think it is, but he rep- he gives specific anecdotes, so it's weird. Uh, the Great Kabuki and Sergeant Slaughter. Star headliner for the tour was Adnan O'Casey. Blah, blah, blah. Background information. Popular over there because he's Iraqi. Tried to give the tour er, an international flavor. So I became an Australian and teamed up with Dory Funk. <laughs> um, so it's Kuwait. In, this says it was Kuwait. Yeah, so Kuwait in the whole Middle East. It also, he says there was an Iraq show. Uh, we all stayed in a hotel. We were told we couldn't go out and wander the streets at night, but it was safe during the day. We wrestled in an outdoor soccer stadium. There was a constant swirl of sand in the air. Five minutes after I brushed my teeth, 
I would have a gritty feeling in my mouth. I also remember seeing three water towers in the center of town. The tour was an interesting but uneasy experience. I was happy to have had the opportunity to make the trip, but I was also happy to leave. It wasn't a place where you took a chance and did something that you weren't supposed to do. For instance, drinking alcohol was forbidden by the government. On an earlier tour, Jimmy Snuka got busted for bringing in marijuana. It was a big deal, and they put him in jail for a short time. Just for the record, it's worse than that. Unless, I mean, it's Jimmy Snuka, so there could be multiple incidents, but it was that on a WWF tour of Kuwait, um, he was going through customs as he was leaving the country with hashish taped to his body, which I know, <laughs> that sound, doesn't sound like Jimmy Snuka's drug of choice, but whatever. And uh, WWF had to pay a lot of money to take care of that, and it must have been a big deal because it seems like that had much more of an effect on him leaving WWF than Nancy Argentino did. Um, yeah. We visited several gold shops in Kuwait. The law in Kuwait stipulates that gold has to be 18 carats or higher. When we arrived back at Kennedy Airport in New York, everyone had all this gold on them. Luger bought a lobster claw chain that he still wears to this day. I remember thinking, we're going to get killed in customs. But the customs people recognized Sergeant Slaughter and whisked us through. I, I, I wonder where JJ's getting the Luger thing from. <sighs> okay. When did Luger start training, as far as we know? Um, is it 85? I'm just saying, is there any chance that he started training and they brought him on this trip for experience? <sighs> he, he was playing in USFL in 85. Well, that's what I was about to look up. Yeah, okay, yeah, he's on the... Yeah, he's probably playing a Showboats game during this tour. Yes. All right, let me see. Uh, he's playing for the... He played for uh, Memphis and Jacksonville in 85. Oh, no, he was on the injured reserve for four weeks when uh, when the tour happened. He was in the middle of an in, alleged injury. So there you go. Unless he's not really injured. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think JJ would remember if there was more than one in the context well, that was, he's bringing it up and if there was more than one Kuwaiti tour? That would be a story then if that's the case, if he was on injured reserve but in fucking Kuwait with wrestlers. Luger seems willing to answer questions on Twitter, so I think I'm just going to tweet at him. Uh, and ask him to see. Because I'm sure he would know. Um, let's just see. Okay, Memphis Commercial Appeal, April 21st. We've got a picture. Okay, this isn't a real profile. It says like Larry Fall takes a breather. Wait, which picture is this? Uh, okay, it's him and uh, exercise equipment. I don't know. It's interesting that he's not actually playing during this, isn't it? Yeah. But it's not like we're ever going to get results. So, okay. So wait, let me let me see what's going on here. It he's. Okay, I'm searching for Larry. Okay, so we've got March 21st, Memphis Commercial Appeal. Um, offensive lineman Larry Fall is on the reserved injured list for four weeks. But he, he's back at practice and expected to play against the Invaders. Um, so this is saying he's in practice during this. Um, oh, wait. Oh, I thought I had this in chronological order. Um... There's something going on here. I just can't put my finger on what. I do, I, JJ like, used. That's what it but is. But he got everything else correct? 
Well, that that happens. Watch wrestling shoot interviews. Who do you think would be <laughs> okay? But who would be the Lex person in Lex Luger's place that he is the specific that he know? But that's the thing. Lex Luger still has that chain and wears it to this day. I don't know, Biggs. I don't know. I can't answer that question. I'm not. I'm not JJ. I don't know. I know. Uh... <laughs> let's move on. I'm had enough of this. All right, let's yeah, go to yeah, England. You no, know, I'm fine with that. All right, Dale Martin Promotions. We had two shows during our week in Bristol at Colston Hall on March 28th. We have Chick Cullen over Pete Roberts, Eddie Riley over Sid Cooper, Dave Duran against uh, Tom Tyrone, no match list, no result listed, John Elijah going to a draw with Keith Hayward, and Marty Jones retaining the world mid-headway title being <laughs> Scott, Scott McGee. And then they're in Harrogate, North Yorkshire, at Royal Hall Harrogate on March 29th. We have uh, Bristol Heavyweight title, Alan Kilby, retaining over Skull Murphy, not the old Skull Murphy from the 60s. Danny Collins over Steve Fury. Greg Valentine, not the hammer, over Tally Hokey. Chick Cullen going to a draw with Scott McGee. And Marty Jones retaining the world middleweight title, beating Fit Finley by disqualification. Doesn't get much better as far as... Entering at least in that era for what he had one of these shows than a Marty Jones Fit Finley title match. Yeah, stout, stout stuff there. And uh, Chick Cullen was in Calgary, Bix. And what was his alias in Calgary again? Robbie Stewart. Robbie Stewart. That is correct. And I think he's a guy who, he's someone who I don't think gets nearly enough credit because when it comes to the style changing and stuff, he's not a chain wrestling world of sport type he's really a babyface mark rocco yeah like he works more of that go 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 you know big bumping junior heavyweight style than the traditional british junior heavyweight style yes and uh scott mcgee over here winning at the time so there you go yeah which he's gonna be in memphis pretty soon so no no he's not that was the year before. <laughs> no, you're right. Sorry. Sorry. Sometimes when we do these mid-80s shows, I just get the year flipped in my head, and I don't know why. But, yeah, where WWF is next after this, I guess? No. I, I can't remember where he goes after this, but he's around here for a while. I don't think he makes TV, though. WWF's 86, so maybe it is WWF in late 85, so there you go. But, yeah, I don't think he works any World of Sport tapings in this, though. No. All right. Canada. Montreal, the Paul Salve Center, March 25th. Rick Steiner and Scott Duran over Denise Goulet and Gino Brito Jr. Isn't he wrestling as Rob Rick Steiner here, though? Actually, he's wrestling as Rick Steiner, supposedly. Okay. Yeah. So that, okay, you know what? That also that makes sense because I always found it weird how in Mid-South... He starts out not as Rick Steiner or as Rob Rick Steiner, but as Rob Rick Steiner. Yes. But that makes more sense if he had actually used the Rick Steiner name before. Yeah. Then Leo Burke over Tony Rico. Sailor White and Pierre Lefebvre over Joe LeDuc and Armand Rougeau. Jacques Rougeau over Richard Chalon. Afem Sika went to a no contest with Gino Brito Sr. and Tony Parisi. And then King Tonga over Dino Bravo by this qualification. And then in Quebec City, at the Calisie de Quebec on March 27th, we have Armand and Jacques Rougeau over Scott Duran-Rick Steiner. 
Pierre Lefebvre and Stella White over Gina Brito Jr. Denise Goulet. Offensica over Parisi and Jock. And then the Road Warriors retain the world tag titles, going to a no contest with Dino Bravo and Rip Martel. So they're having a pretty hey, can busy I say- month. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Can I, can I say something about Montreal? Okay, so when I was a kid, like 13 years old, we started to get cable TV and we got Channel 9 out of Sherburne, something like that in Quebec. Sherburne. Um, yeah, and uh, we would get this new show, which was so much better than the WWF show called uh, La Lute Grand Prix. So like we would get this the Grand Prix wrestling and it have like Gilles the Fish Poisson and um uh the Valiant brothers were on there and, and this is 73, 74. Montreal and later when I read, you know, um Bertrand and, and Pat's book on on Andre and on Mad Dog Vachon. Montreal was such an amazing territory, and not just Montreal, but Quebec City as well. And it's it's really unfortunate that there isn't more footage from the Montreal territory because they had amazing shows there with like monster crowds. Yes, I mean, and Sherbrooke was where they taped tape TV. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's I mean, the that... TV station, presumably that yeah that they were taping at. I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Channel Nine was like on cable in I know it was in Bangor and in Lewiston, Maine, and I don't know where else. Well, they, we were only... they 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 uh, they uh, they know they ran Vermont. Um, I, but that's I, later I would... on. I don't know if they were running over the border in that era. Were they? Possible. It's possible. Um, sometimes there would be like Vermont. Like, cause when Andre started, they, the, um, the Montreal promotion would, would, was in Burlington, Vermont, and sometimes in Northern Maine. And, um, I remember also the one other memory I have from that Montreal TV show was that they aired the Sheik versus, um, Chief J. Strongbow. And it was an amazing bloody match. And I think it was like a famous Detroit match, but, um, I found out later, but it was like, we would see Chief Chase Rangabo on TV and he'd be in three minute squashes. And then all of a sudden on this other channel, you'd see him in like, you know, a match versus the Sheik all bloody. It was, um, it was eye opening. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> all right, Mexico. Let's go to EMLL. They had a big show during our week. March 22nd, Arena Mexico, 17,800 fans. We have uh, the Pegasos against El Mestizo and Leon Chino. Limus, MSA Dos, and Terra Chicano against El Dorado, Empato, and Solar Ramatu. Américo Roco, Shamaco Valdaguez, and Hombre Bala against El Dandy, Fazgarela, and Talisman. Mascara Año Dos Mil, Radio Disco Jr., and Tony Salazar against Herodes, Pedro Aguayo, and Tony Benetto, the features Gramacus Jr. Atlantis retained the Mexican National Middleweight title over El Faraón. And Los Infernales, MSA Uno, Perota Morgan, and Satanico retained the Mexican National Trios titles over La Piera, Mocho Cota, and Sangre Chicana. Um, yes, this is a stout show here. Uh, we have some the main matches from this show on tape. And uh, yes, some, some good times here in uh, EMLL 1985 picks. Uh, yes, that trio's title main event in particular, and, and you know, and the middleweight title match 
especially and i mean those are some very strong matches on paper i don't know if i don't know if i've ever watched any of the 85 tv i know like you said that it's out there but um is, is there tercera on there well no we don't have results so presume it's yeah. just the top two matches we have video of. yes yeah on this show absolutely yeah. uh, but you know uh, that tercera is very interesting on paper too especially that mm-hmm. technico team yeah, oh yeah well, actually, wait, yeah. no, it's, it's the Rudo team. What am I? Well, both. Because, yeah, Fuerza <laughs> would be, well, but Dandy was both. a Technico, and ta- Talisman would be a Technico at the time, right? No. Okay. Why well, was, I was thinking, I think it threw me off because I you think of Omar Bala being a heel. Or is that team mixed? What am I missing? No, it's Technicos, and, Technicos first, then Rudo's on the, on the second. That's how it goes. Okay. I when forgot about Omar Bala ever being a Technico then, I guess. He was a mass technical, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, March 26th, Rina Coliseo. Pegaso and Super Bolido El Minero and Reyes Villos. Polaris and uh, Rocco Valente over Aguila Venezuela and Super Bolido doing double duty. Pierre Estrada, Masacre, and Tierra, Tierra, Viento y Fuego, Earth, Wind, and Fire over Estratejo, Quasar, and Stuka. And then America, Roca, Atlantis, and Cachorro Mendoza, be Aldandi, Elegisio, and Popiteca, despite its qualification. Because Elegisio got hurt. So the sounds like they went to a uh, finish on the fly here to, to get out of the match, to uh, get him to the back. So uh, there's EMLL for a week. Now, Promotiones Mora, you know, you think of them as a, t- a promotion based out of Tijuana. Well, in this era, they're running all over Mexico. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is Benjamin Mora? Mm-hmm. Arena Nakapan on March 20th. Manala and Super Bengala over Bestia Verde and Destructor Nazi. Yes, the Nazi Destructor. Gran Petronero and Shua Guerrero over Baby Casas and Pantera. Then Gran Cochise and Hecatombe over Babyface and Roy Navarro. Shamaka Balaguez, Io De Santo, and Villano 4 over Infamero Jr., Tony Arce, and Volcano in your main event. Well, wait, should I tell everyone who Baby Cassis is since he didn't say? Yeah. Belina. Belina, that's right. The Arena Aficion de Pachuca. We have Io De Santo retaining the UWA lightweight title over Espanto Jr. And then Mora ran a show at uh, El Torreo on uh, Nakapan on March 24th. We have Cobarde number two, Convoy, not the song from the 70s, and Fiyuki. <laughs> yes. Koto Fiyuki, Rika Fiyuki. Went up against the Exoticos, Baby Sharon, Rosado Ruiz, and Rudy Reina. This show's full of talent. Jaguar Yakota and Rossi Moreno against Sheila Salazar and Zuyema. Vianos, one, four, and five against Los Brazos, Brazo Oro, Brazo de Plata, and Brazo. Gran Amada. Defending the NWA middleweight title against Sapiera. And then our main event, Connect, Dos Caras, and Enrique Vera against El Paraon, Fishman, and Pedro Aguayo. Now, UWA ran on the 21st. We have Goliath, Micro, and Nocle over Arturito, Gulliver, and Lanterito in your minis match. Baby Sharon and Rudy Guerreña beat Dory Dixon and El Maraca Javier Cruz. Jaguar Yakota retained UWA women's title over Pantera Serena. Connect Dos Caras and Enrique Vera over Babyface, Luis Mariscal, and Scorpio. And Fishman, Paraguayo, and Adula Tamba over Los Brazos by disqualification. I don't think I knew there were non-office Toreo shows in this era. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
Hey, Chris, how did how come you pronounce the name so well of Luchadors? <laughs> Practice. Well, I always wanted to ask you that. <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, I was a good student in high school in the two years I took Spanish, I guess. And watching, I w- started watching Lucha before then. I mean, I was watching Lucha. The first time I saw Lucha, I was like 11 years old. So watching it and getting it from watching it, you know, that's how I, how I did that. You know, how I could pronounce the names as good as I can, I guess. Yeah, because I've listened to like hundreds of, 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 of your podcasts of you guys. And, and it's like, I always, I've always like impressed with that. So well, I appreciate that. I can't, I mean, I, 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 I know enough Spanish to do some things, but I, I would not be comfortable in having a, like a conversation with a, a native speaking Spanish, Spanish speaker. But I, I mean, I, I can do okay. <laughs> but the conversation was yeah, great. Yeah, be lost. And then we go to Puerto Rico to close out this section. Double Double C, San Juan on May 23rd, March 23rd, excuse me. We have two matches North American Tag Titles, the Sheep Herders, Los Pastores, Bush Miller and Luke Williams, won the titles from Invader 3 and Super Medico. So Johnny Rivera and Jose Estrada. And then our main event, Ric Flair in Puerto Rico. That, Retained the World Heavyweight Title, beating Carlos Colon. Hmm. So uh, there's some double C matches for our week there. I just noticed something interesting. Um, yeah. Didn't hit me at first. The Hamada match on the Moro show at El Toreo is an NWA middleweight title match. That's what he's defending. Mm-hmm. And he's also not on the UWA office show. Mm-hmm. So he's defending what's effectively an EMLL title, and the only show he's on, we see him on in this week at El Torreo is a show that's not promoted by the office, which makes sense, because one of the promotions he's on the out with is UWA's closest ally, New Japan. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So uh, after some great 1985 commercials, we'll be back. For halftime, well, we'll plug our Patreon again. We'll talk about IWTV, private internet access, hit the other plugs, and then we'll come back and David will rejoin us as we have news on Terry Funk's TV series. We have Pro Wrestling USA, Running Wild in the Northeast, The Ending Days, Church Wrestling Georgia, Welcome Down, Going Back to Florida, and we even have some clips, including Tux Newman and Randy Savage, Running Wild in Memphis. All that and more after the break. God Daytona Triple Z, it is an American Revolution. instant camera lets you be sure you have the shot right away so it also lets you make it better right away and better still till you just can't do any better and you know what's best of all when you get just the one you want it makes it easier to share the others the new york stock exchange when people here get acid indigestion and you know they do they can't just stop 
No wonder so many people take Rolaids, the tablet that gives millions 100% relief. Like a sponge, Rolaids antacid medicine consumes 100% of the acid required to give millions 100% relief. With Rolaids, you can keep going. Rolaids. Rolaids spells 100% relief. High-class Billy D. Williams and street-cool Ken Wall are two crooks who got caught. I've never been so embarrassed. And now they're working for the cops? This ought to be fun. I haven't talked to anything soft and cuddly in over three years. Except for you, of course. Coming soon, Double Dare. You know anything about hot-wiring a boat? I can hot-wire a skateboard. Sunday, April 14th. James Garner, Bruce Dern, Michael York, Susan Anspach, and Blair Brown take mankind's greatest step, space. Personal computer game is heating up. May I? Go ahead. The AT&T personal computer is faster, two to three times faster than the IBM PC. It has a higher resolution screen, too, for better graphics, and runs thousands of business programs. In fact, it's more computer for the money to put your business ahead of the game. Your move. The AT&T personal computer. Call AT&T Information Systems when you've got to be right. Renault introduces five years or 50,000 miles. Plus, protection on required maintenance. Small car protection even better than Chrysler. 550 plus on all Renaults like the Alliance Sedan, stylish Renault Encore, and 8.5. America's lowest factory financing. European technology with America's best small car protection. Only from Renault. Give me a light. Bud Light. If you just ask for a light beer, you never know what you'll get. Bud Light! So if you want the less filling light beer with the first name and taste, don't just ask for a light beer. Give me a light. Ask them to bring out their best. Bud Light. Because everything else is just a light. Airwolf will continue. Passion, scandal, danger. Jacqueline Bissett and Christopher Reeve prove there is no stronger love than one that is forbidden. Anna Karenina, Tuesday. A patient is waiting. A team of doctors is ready. A donor has been found. But time is the enemy in the revolutionary new field of organ transplants. Bill Curtis explores an unforgettable world of people hoping the gift of life will be theirs when CBS reports Wednesday at 10, 9 Central and Mountain. This is CBS. All right. right now, your Toyota dealers have thousands of trucks and vans. No wonder he wants you to make him an offer. I just got this ridiculous offer on the white cargo van. Take it! <laughs> Excuse me? This is... Take it! You know the silver van? This is their best offer, sorry. Sold. Look, I got this. I'll uh, take it. Take it. Mm -hmm. There's never been a better time to make an offer on a Toyota truck or van. Yes, yes. Never a better time to answer this question. What will you do with all the money you save? A special look at sororities, Monday at 7.30. All right, we're back. And I've been Joe's great 1985 commercial. Says we're 50 to the halftime segment of the show. Or talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between machines. And yes, the new Patreon show is out. WrestleMania 3. 
35 year anniversary of WrestleMania three. And, um, Quite the show that was, and quite the show that uh, we done the Patreon. So everybody go check that out. We did the big plug that began the show. So, uh, yeah, everybody go listen to that. And get ready for next month. Because next month, we're going to delve into scandals. 1992 World Wrestling Federation Scandal Time. Titan and Gate. Titan Gate, and we're only going to do 1992, folks. So we're stopping there, and we're going to cover everything that's a scandal-related. <laughs> so you'll have the Patterson and Garvin thing. You'll have Donahue. You'll have the steroids and all that stuff. The Tampa Superstar Pipeline. Tampa Pipeline. Superstar Billy Graham. Bruno. All the all the people involved and everything. And yeah, so Hogan it's like doing a- coke on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, Warrior and Davey getting fired and all that stuff. So... And Warrior Hawk and his issue. I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot of stuff that's gonna be covering the WF in 1992. So yes. you definitely want to be uh, be on this one because it's gonna be quite the show. S- scandalous. Well, more than one show, but yes. And obviously, yes. with the first week, we're gonna pick up after. Other than maybe any newsletters or articles we didn't use when we did the show a few weeks ago, we're gonna pick up after the week we did a few weeks ago. And just point people to that. Um, and I'll just get it out there because people who have listened to the Mania 3 show might want to know why I was a little hesitant to announce at the end of the show. I just wanted to think about it a little more. And then I realized after we talked that we had the right idea. I, di- I didn't want to do feel like we were charging people and making money off of a show that was specifically about the sex scandals. Well, that was never my idea anyway. Well, right, so. which I don't think I realized at first either. That you, which, like, I'm, uh, we need to cover it. This is the type of thing we need to cover, and the Patreon is where we do the deep dives. But no, we're making it about everything because also you need you need to know about everything to understand it anyway. Because it was intertwined, and also the a big reason why the more serious stuff didn't get more play is that there was too much drug panic. Yeah, you know? yeah. So. You know, we'll obviously we'll talk about that plenty, but yeah, so who knows, you know, I'm sure it'll be at least two parts, maybe three. We'll see. Um, but that's what we've got coming up. Haven't started on the notes for it yet, but we'll see. And also I'll just say it here while we're talking about other in-house notes before we get into the other Patreon stuff. Yes, we are trying to experiment with different recording methods and stuff. If you hear a quality difference between this and the other segments, if you noticed um, the Google Meet, someone has joined the chat alert sound happening repeatedly during parts of this show. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to do some different things. So, yes, because and I'll just I'll just say because it's noticeable on some episodes. We're realizing we have to get away from Skype because even though lately it's been fairly stable for us in terms of like overall connection quality that buzzing noise you're hearing on chris's end sometimes we diagnose that as being a sky problem it's not happening on any other platform it's not his headset or anything um and the problem is is that so like you're people are probably not going to hear it during the segment but we'll hear it more during segments where there is a guest here's why the way that I and just about anyone else would record a show like this remotely, as the person who's recording it, my I'm on one side of the stereo recording, and the remote people, regardless of how many they are, are on the other. The problem with that is that because Skype 
has its audio stuff where it's going to trying to balance back and forth between the two other people on the other side of the call means that I can't always get a good noise sample that I can then use to denoise that out of the recording. The reason you're probably not going to hear anything on this segment is that when there's no guest, I can take it out. It's fine. It's a little, it's an extra step, but it doesn't really take me much extra time. So that that's where we are. And look, I mean, like we get it. We're not going to be begging and pleading because, you know, I think as someone said, that's what having a Patreon's for. But that that is why there's been sometimes maybe you hear the buzzing more lately. Why the stuff I mentioned earlier with the, when we try and Google Meet the alert sounds because even though it's fairly stable and good quality, Chris keeps dropping off for reasons we can't figure out. So right now we went back to Skype because it's just me and him, and we'll see. If anyone has any suggestions, they're greatly appreciated because we were trying Google Meet in the first place because of uh, it had been recommended by a few people, right? Yeah. And previously, some of the time, most most of the time I've used it professionally, it's been fine. When you had used it previously on other people's podcasts, it had been fine. Mm-hmm. And the first few times we used it, it was perfect. Or and the first half of this podcast, it was perfect that we recorded this week. It's just these these chat these like conferencing and chat solutions. Even if you have an internet connection that seemingly has no issue handling anything else, and we're not doing video, so it's not like we're using a lot of bandwidth. It they they're just super finicky. It seems like. It's we. It's all weird. <laughs> it's all weird to me, but uh, anyway. Anyway, yes. Back to Patreon, though. So yes, yes. If you want to make sure we can just get to the best uh, recording solution possible, Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. Oh, but also for all the bonuses and the free and the extra shows and the deep dives and everything. So Chris, do your thing. Five dollars a month gets you access to the entire audio archive that we got on our Patreon. Almost six years now of all the stuff that we've done. So uh, go check that out if you haven't already. Dollar Month gets you access to the Discord and thanks to this segment, which we're doing just a minute. $25, I just pick a show for the week. Now, when you pick a week, make sure you have two in mind just in case because you can pick a show that we may have done already or you can pick a week that somebody has booked on the calendar. So always be prepared and ask us if there's any questions. Let us know and we'll try to get you figured out on uh, if your show can work or not. So uh, you do all that, then you follow the protocol on the Patreon website, get that information to Bix, 30 days before 30 days of your show. We have the 10-year the rule, Wednesday to Tuesday, all of that stuff. We, we usually make it happen. So do all that, and you should be good to go. $50 for a segment of the show, or 100 for the whole show. That's David Davis has done this week, although he won't be in for the whole show, as you'll hear, but still, he's in for most of it. So, uh, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big Sweat, this week is our new and or returning patrons. We've got a bunch, really uh, more than usual for this time of the month, actually, it looks like. so. Consider we haven't had a show come out. Yes, as of this recording, it'll probably come out the night we're recording it or early the next morning. But, yeah, um, surprising. So, we would like to thank uh, Justin Delacave. Thanks, Justin. Friend of the show, JD. Is it all? I forget. Is it Oliver or Oliva? Oliva. Thanks, JD. Uh, Gary Cronin. Thanks, Gary. 
annual uh, subscription from Joe Seart. Thanks, Joe. $5 a month from, you guessed it, Frank Stutler. Oh, Daniel Cookler. Thanks, Danny. We got a $25 pledge from, let me make sure I get the name right, Stephen, I think it's Weteka. Stephen. And then we got Marcus Padilla. Thanks, Marcus. A $50 pledge from Greg Sirota, who, at least as of our recording, I know I need to get back to about uh, the pick he sent in. Thanks, Greg. And uh, another returning champion in Matt Prentice. Thank you, Matt. We take all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that come God, come back again. We thank all of you for being a part of our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Pix IWTV, anything caught your eye this week on there? All right, let's see. Well, I mean, you know, this coming week, obviously, well, this coming weekend, as the show comes out, not necessarily as we're recording, is Mania Weekend. Well, there'll be a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, weekend. so let me see. So as far as the weekend we're going into as we record... Let's see. Uh, oh, that's right. I forgot he had one this weekend. Uh, Blanton's got a Black Label Pro show. So that, of course, is notable. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, so yes, Black Label Pro. Well, so it would have already happened by the time you hear this, so it should be up on On Demand. But uh, Black Label Pro presents The Fights uh, from beautiful Crown Point, Indiana, including, let's see what we've got here, Jake Something defending the BLP title against Kevin Blackwood. Uh, BLP Midwest title, Tom Lawler defending against the winner of Avery Good Professional Wrestler versus Kevin Koo, Warhorse versus Shaz McKenzie, Calvin Tankman, Levi Everett, a like I said, Avery Good, Kevin Koo, Rachel Ellering, Billy Starks, uh, the Bang Bros, which which promotion was it with? Oh, I think it was Percy on the list, Black Label Pro, that show that said, if you Google them, please make sure you include the word wrestling. Versus yes. Abby Jane, and I don't know if I've seen Pancakes before, uh, a Dan battle between Dan Champion and Dan the Dad, as well as Cody Lane versus Devin Monroe. So, usual BLP-style action there, I guess, of what's on the show, I would say. Uh, Avery Good, Kevin Koo, is a sleeper match, I would say, to be one of the better indie matches, at least of the year going pre-Mania weekend. Uh, Warhorse Shazza sounds good. Lawler versus winner of... Coup, Avery Good, Sounds Good, Kevin Black would Jake something, so pretty fun-looking show there. And, of course, Bl we need to get Bland back on soon, too. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And also, <laughs> well, you know, this past weekend as of release, this coming weekend as of recording, 26th Annual ECWA Super 8. Yes, still going strong. Yes, and I think... Because they did last year, they did the Super 8 and the Women's Super, the Men's Super 8 and Women's Super 8. I think this is the first intergender Super 8, right? First I know of. Yeah, so it's uh, Eel O'Neill Encore. That's not a name I recognize. Travis Huckabee, Ryan Clancy, Ricky Morton, that one, Darius Carter, Erica Lee, and Eric Corvus. That should be hmm. interesting. Jesus, there are so many shows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It really gets overwhelming at times, but. Ninety nine nine ninety nine a month, brother. Code BTS pod. More on that in a minute. Well, uh, it's not just them. I mean, that that WrestleMania weekend calendar is just oh. All right. Okay, <laughs> so here's what they've got coming up. You know, 
Mania weekend this coming weekend. So um, no Friday or excuse me, no Thursday streams on IWTV actually. There's I'm just talking about in general Mania now. Oh, oh no, of course. I'm just saying as we get up to it. Um, hold on, I just got rid of that tab. I'm saying there's an ICW No Holds Barred show that. Includes our dear friend Tank taking on Neil Diamond Cutter, among other things. Oh, it has the Maximos versus the Carnage crew. Hmm. Well, ROH wow. 20th anniversary just passed, so why not? Um, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah, your main event is a uh, three-way American Deathmatch title match, which, oh, I hadn't seen that, that Eric Ryan won the title. Good for him. Always been a fan of his stuff. Uh taking on dale patrick's oh okay i see the spacing was off and then the co-main was john wayne murdoch atticus coger so that there's that and then what else do we have here mini weekend oh pizza party wrestling is back they've got a show um there's some oh okay oh no wait that's the following week okay yeah so that's it for them as far as mini weekend because okay that makes sense because they're not doing their own showcase of the indies deal like they did last year Hmm. so Lots of streams on IWTV, and then as far as on demand, let's see, is there anything new of note this week? I did catch, last week I caught one of the Freelance Underground shows, and it was nice to see Prezak back on commentary with them, because he's not associated with Freelance as much as he is with GCW, uh, Black Label to an extent, and IWA, but he, he sits in on them pretty regularly, if I remember right. Um... So those went up, and yeah, it's, things are still a little bit slow, I guess, heading into Mania Week and all that. Um, see, there's more Deathmatch Down Under that came out, which, that was fu- <laughs> that was fun. I mean, it's I don't think it's an IWTV thing. I think this may just go on their YouTube. But I did go to one of the Casanova Valentine No Ring shows last weekend, and uh, got to see Australia's Joel Bateman in action, which, it was weird that there were two different Australians working two different New Jersey, excuse me, New York area indie shows that night because Chaz McKenzie was working uh what was she working she was working BCW so anyway so that's IWTV if you're not already a subscriber independentwrestling.tv code BTSpod and you do not get a discount or anything but we do get a referral bonus for as long as you stay a paid subscriber and there is a lot of content on there and always more going up so very good value for your $9.99 absolutely and also something that's of great value is private internet access. I need to the send numero uno of <laughs> uh, VP. I need to send you the actual copy they give us so you can start reading it. I want to see what happens if you read that. Um, hold on, let me make sure I have the right thing. Uh, oh no, I opened the wrong email. Give me one second. But yes, private internet access. The Highest rated as fastest, uh, God, I jumbled all over that. Um, rated the, the fastest, uh, VPN by PC Magazine. Why is this not coming up all of a sudden? Uh, yeah, hold on. You know, I'm not you finding the email as usually as usual. You can just copy and paste that and I can read it somewhere. No, I uh, know, but I'm saying I forgot to, or I didn't search for my usual search. It wasn't cut. Co- well, no, I did. It just wasn't coming up when I was searching my emails. That's why. Uh, there we go. Okay, I don't know why that took was so hard to find this time. All right. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is, as always, brought to you by Private in Inter- in Internet Access. Great. Private Internet Access work is number one virtual private network or VPN. Even if you use incognito mode, 
your internet service provider is sharing your browsing data, and many times even selling it, but PIA can help. They encrypt and reroute your internet traffic through one of their own servers, hiding your data from internet service providers or network admins at work. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. And you know what that means, wank wank. PIA, PIA comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and, like we said, just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. Doesn't that sound great, Chris? As I vamp slightly because I forgot to open the website so I make sure I have the exact correct deal. Sounds fantastic to me. Absolutely. And there we go. You can get it for as low as less than $2 a month if you go with their three years plus four extra months free plan is how they call it, which is 79 bucks up front, which comes out to $1.98 a month. And hey, if you don't want that outlay right now or that kind of commitment, they do also have a one-year plan, which is $39.95 a year, and that comes out to $3.33 a month, so it's still a pretty damn good deal. So that's privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. Again, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets for the best deal you can get on a VPN service. Indeed. And don't ask us All for right. the links. They're in the show description. Seriously. It's annoying when that happens. Yes. Yes. All you gotta do is scroll down when you look at the show. So, yes. All right. Uh, next week on Between the Sheets. We'll go to 1998 as we break up our 80s extravaganza. And because uh, we have an 80s show as we got to that. And we'll be joined by Dr. Keith Lipinski making his return to the show after quite a while being off. Yeah. And uh, yes, we'll be discussing uh, Sean Waltman returning to the World Wrestling Federation and, and action Pat Money Night Raw the night of WrestleMania. And yes, WrestleMania will not be during our week. It's the day before our week starts. Um, so we'll have that. And. Uh, We'll have WCW uh, Nitro that night as well, and a weird show in a way. Eric Bischoff and Prodigy doing a Prodigy chat where Waltman comes up among other things. He's very opinionated on this chat, as you would as, as you would guess. So we'll have that and all kinds of other crazy WCW stuff, including some notes about Sting. Which after watching Sting wrestle. Uh, the night before we record this and just watching wrestling 2022 to listen to how sting was portrayed in 1998 is hilarious. And then we'll have, um, <laughs> by the boys, by the boys. So not saying, uh, we'll have stuff about Dave Brown returning to Memphis wrestling television. We got an eighties baseball star showing up with TC Martins in WC. We got, uh, Japan and Toyonoki's retirement. And we'll have all kinds of other shit next week on between the sheets should be quite the show. So everybody go check that out next Monday. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-C-E-L-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, anything going on in your world this week? I had a story go up, well, the day we're recording this, actually, at Fanbyte about, uh, you know, in light of Scott Hall's death, looking at the legacy of the click and how, yeah, and with the hindsight, especially relative to the amount of time and what the actual stuff that was happening was, how I feel like, as a group, the uh, politicking legacy is not something that necessarily should be sticking with them as much of as other things. Both for good reasons, like, 
yeah, they weren't including everyone in it, but they were trying to strike at one point for legit over legitimate grievances with Vince, you know, and also just like the chemistry those guys had in the ring together and other things. So it's kind of trying to reevaluate that. And I mean, I don't think I put this specifically in the article, but one thing I was thinking about is like, there's a lot of stuff that I think gets dwelled on just because it's from a time where the newsletters and the like were better sourced. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, is there a time when between Wade and Dave were getting as much like day to day from both of the big two locker rooms <laughs> than like Nitro era? Oh, there, I mean, it's a definite difference back then there is now. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it was weird that in the torch, like one day in 1995 it was just like, oh, yeah. So there's this group of wrestlers that's being called the click. <laughs> you know, and I, 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 think, it in the article, I, I think, but... yeah, I think there are other reasons for that. Where there are things, I think the relationships between some of the the newsletters and the talent now is different than it was back then in ways. Well, and also specifically the newsletters where there's more space to go in depth. Um, like they're you know I mean those are good. I mean, granted, Wade Keller is not old, but still they're getting older, and Wade hasn't done much straight up reporting in quite a while at this point and it's clearly by choice but you know and dave is dave and you know we've observed over the years there's definitely patterns to people based on age groups are they going to indie shows where they're making new friends among wrestlers who will then become sources stuff like that i mean look i can speak to that myself personally to a degree that clearly affects who's getting the most scoops at a given time like I always felt like, and I think you agreed with me on this, the period where Mike Johnson, uh, for at least several years, was clearly the best-sourced reporter among WWE talent, was when people he would have befriended through ROH and stuff were lit- becoming littered throughout the company. So, yeah. I, there, you and, know, there's factors and, like that, too. And social media has changed everything, too, because now the wrestlers are so more, much more accessible by everybody. Right. That you, I mean, you have people online that get that are better sourced than the newsletter writers. So, well, I mean, it's all. <laughs> I mean, the thing with the people who we'd consider newsletter writers, and I guess you could kind of include Mike in that, even though he hasn't been part of a newsletter in a good twenty per se in twenty years. Well, I mean, newsletter writers is a general term for everybody in the wrestling news profession. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you meant that or the more old school guys. Okay, but like. I think some of it is space, though, like, there are times, and, like, you know, Sean's my guy, I don't mean this even as a criticism, like, there are times when I'm looking at Fightful Select, and I'm just like, I wish Sean was doing more than a quick blurb here, you know? Yeah. So, people, I think we're also in a time period, too, where people read more about the the headlines and anything else when they read the story. Well, there's also that, yes. <laughs> Which is a problem. Um... But that's where we're at now as a country and a world. Oh, yeah. So, well, it's not just the U.S. Yeah. I mean, it's probably worse here, well, but yeah. So anyway, but yes, I, I I was happy with how that came out. So check that out. And I should have something a little newsier this week at Fanbyte tying into WrestleMania. So check that out and we'll talk more about that next week, I guess. So guess that's it for this segment. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about? Just 
broadly? I think that's it. or anything? I don't think so. I think that's it right, I think that's it right now. So well, uh, well, actually, no. Before we get back to the show, and I'll let you do your usual, I'll just say, fuck Austin Aries. <laughs> well, there you go. All right, well, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's move on to the territories. But first, we have a non-territory note to start off. It's Terry Funk's new show on ABC named Wildfire debuted on March 21st. It'll run for six weeks, but it's going against Magnum P.I. and the Cosby show, so it will fail. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, it did fail. That is a... Uh, Oof, that's a tough, uh, tough chore there to try to uh, to fight those two ratings juggernauts, especially the Cosby Show at this point in time, which was just insane, insane uh, ratings on that. What show. year did it start? Yeah. Cosby Show. What Cosby Show? Yeah, this is first season. That's what I thought. Okay, it's eighty four, eighty five. Because yeah. it started in eighty four, so we're still in the first season of uh, a Cosby Show. Even with all the other Cosby stuff these days, like especially because I watched the Showtime documentary series from last month or whenever it was, it really is creepy that he was a gynecologist with a home practice in his basement. <laughs> it's the eighties, <laughs> you know. You don't think about nothing like that. <laughs> I know, but without getting into deep of it, aren't some of the stories of the allegations the ones that were at his home? Weren't they in like his basement man cave? Uh, I think so, yeah. So that you, that uh, show is after all those allegations and him going to jail and stuff. That show lost so many clearances, so many deals, and um, the you never value of that it. show went way down. You never see it anymore. And uh, I mean, that show was you know a big deal at different points of time in syndication and other like uh, you know, startup networks would play it. Uh, Bounce. Yeah, now yeah, and now you just now it's untouchable. I mean, you don't even want to touch it. So, well, but it's not even then, just because of him, though. It's because of stuff like that, and because of stuff like I had completely forgotten about until watching the documentary. The barbecue sauce, how his barbecue sauce is Cliffs is like this secret aphrodisiac, and no one knows why. And it's like there's stuff in there <laughs> that's like kind of eh, like it's, it, it. It does make you wonder if he was subconsciously leaving breadcrumbs or something all right so wildfire lasted for six episodes <laughs> was he a regular funk or what he's he's, one, he's a cat he's a regular cast member oh, so he's Prometheus, a full cast member prometheus jones extremely strong and expert with a lasso works as a town veterinarian uh it was six ep six <laughs> episodes it was the mid-season replacement Due to low ratings, the the series was canceled in a month. Basically, um, yeah. So, who's the boss? Mister Belvedere uh, followed it, but basically, that that's what replaced Wildside. Um, Magna PI did a, a nineteen point one rating that season. How many homes? 15th, that's fifteenth. That's ranked fifteenth overall. <laughs> a nineteen point one. Cosby Show number three. 24.2 and then your follow-up family ties was fifth with a 22.1 rating <laughs> yeah at that point in time thursday night on nbc was cosby show 24.2 family ties 22.1 cheers with a 19.7 
Night Court with 17.6, Hill Street Blues with 16.6. Not too shabby of a lineup there. Why even put anything on against that? (laughs) Well, that great lineup for decades. Yeah, no, Thursday night was their night, David. It was was NBC's night, and it's hard to beat them. But anyway, so yeah, there's Terry Funk. All right, let's go to Pro Wrestling USA. And they're running in uh, some interesting towns here. Brooklyn, they have Roosevelt High School picks in in Brooklyn, New York on March 19th uh, in front of 2,000 fans. We have Rocky Jones and Tom Zink over the Alaskans, Rick Renslow and Dave Wagner. Mr. Saito over Jay Youngblood. Little Coco and Little Mr. T. Yeah, over Butch Cassidy and the Haiti Kid. What a match that is. So we got Little Coco, Little Mr. T, and the Haiti Kid all in one match. Tom Zink over Larry Sharp. Tom Zink doing double duty. And Bob, the team of Bob Backlund and Baron Monraski over Kendo Nagasaki and Mr. Saito. Also doing double duty. Then we have Satoka, New Jersey on March 20th, where we have the Youngbloods over the Alaskans. You got the Haiti Kid or Bush Cassidy. Rocky Jones fought Larry Sharp to a draw. Then we have Bob Backlund over a fake assassin. Oh, great. Larry Zabisco over Baron Von Raschke. Sarner Slaughter over Mr. Saito. And Rip Martell retained the NBA World Heavyweight title over Kendo Nagasaki. Then they went to New Haven, Connecticut, on the 23rd in front of 7,000 fans at Veterans Memorial Coliseum, where Offen Sika went to a draw with the Youngbloods. Bob Backlund over Kendo Nagasaki. Tonga Kid over Larry Zabisco by disqualification. Sarder Slaughter over Kamala by disqualification. Rip Martell retained the world title over Jimmy Garvin. And then Tonga Kid won a $50,000 battle royal. Not a bad house in New Haven, though. $7,000. It, it's interesting. Um, AWA is also running you know, shows out in, in uh, like Salt Lake City on the 20th. They're running another show on the 23rd. Yeah. In Middleton, Wisconsin and stuff. And um. Al, these are there's no uh, Crockett guys at, at, at this time, right? N- not right here on these shows, no. <laughs> so, so this is straight pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling USA TV, basically, because at this time the TV is just the AWA guys and guys like the Samoans and the Youngbloods. Okay, interesting. So this is what they're seeing on pro wrestling USA television. So. Well, no wonder they didn't get that much traction, you know. So it can get confusing. <laughs> I mean, Bix, you know this. It can get very confusing when you see, you know, Pro Wrestling USA Television, where they have their separate TV tapings, and then they have like NWA guys working Baltimore and the Meadowlands, and then the other places they have just AWA guys. It's very, very confusing. Or you'd also have the uh, the Backland shows too. Northeast Wrestling. Which is all in that mix. Yeah, it can be confusing to figure out which is which. And then you have, you know, like I said, Gary Juster earlier and his shows. Then Dominic Danucci's promoting his shows with these guys. Uh, I think Kowalski may have done a little bit with these guys. So uh, Savoldi's are mixing up. And then Often Seeker promoting their own stuff. It's just the Northeast uh, is a wild time in wrestling here because. WWF had got away from promoting a lot of these little spot shows, and it's just, you know, the wild, wild west, but in, in the east here, in wrestling. And 2,000 yeah, people the, do, the, for a for a house show in South Brooklyn is pretty damn good, too. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you think of the whole death of the territories and how Vince is going to start winning the war 
you know, at the end of the month with a really strong show at the Garden, WrestleMania 1. Um, it's too bad that the other promoters couldn't get it together to uh, to make a concerted, uh, streamlined effort. Because with all these, like, uh, Pro Wrestling USA TV versus the great cards at the Meadowlands and, you know... It's it's just too bad because there was so much talent that was so much stronger performers at this time. It's too bad they couldn't have pulled something together. Yeah, just too many egos. So damn. yeah, well that yeah that's what everyone always says. Uh, you know the Vince thing. Ah, those guys can't agree on what to get for lunch. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> yeah. But all yeah, right, I had, yeah, just real quick, I was gonna say like. When I first saw Roosevelt High School, I was like, wait a second, isn't that where Howard Stern went? And I was like, wait, no, that's Long Island. That's Roosevelt, Long Island. That's Long Island, Roosevelt, yeah. Yes, this is presumably Franklin Delano Roosevelt High School in uh, Mapleton, Brooklyn, which is the southern tip of Brooklyn. So for people who have a general idea of of the area, you know, Sheepshead Bay, Midwood, Bensonhurst, Bath Beach, Gravesend, you know, you're more like... Russian enclaves near Coney Island, that that, kind of, that part of Brooklyn. Yeah. All right, let's go to the dying days of Championship Wrestling from Georgia. Fred Warden and the crew, they had a show in Columbus in Minnesota Tour on March 24th. Had Doug Summers going to a draw with Paul Diamond. Br- Brett Sawyer over Chick Donovan. Buzz Sawyer, the Italian Italian, and Ole Anderson over Double Blue, Scott Irwin, and Bob Roop. Double Blue, of course, being Tony Marino, the old school uh, Pittsburgh guy under the mask. Ronnie Garman over Ron Starr. Dunderbolt Patterson over Mr. Kareem Muhammad. And then Tommy Rich went to a no contest with Rip Rogers. Then uh, that was the daytime show. Nighttime show at the Omni in front of 1,000 fans. Mm. Where you had Brett Sawyer over Doug Summers. Magnum TA over Chick Donovan. Well, or as your results say, Magnum Ta. <laughs> Thunderbolt Patterson over Kareem Muhammad, Rip Rogers over Tommy Rich, Jimmy Valiant over Bob Root by disqualification, Ron Starr over Ronnie Garvin, Buzz Sawyer over Scott Irwin, and in our main event, Ivan and Nikita Koloff went to a double disqualification with Gene and Ole Anderson. And then March 28th in Cleveland at the Convention Center, Paul Diamond over Doug Summers, Brett Sawyer over Randy Rose, Tommy Rich over Rip Rogers, Italian Stan, Ronnie Garvin over Double Blue and Ron Starr. Donovan Patterson or Bob Root by DQ. And then we have Buzz Sawyer, Ole Anderson, and Arn Anderson over Scott Irwin, Mr. Kareem Muhammad, and Ron Starr. So Arn working as a baby face here at the, uh, on this show. But uh, I guess Gene must have uh, been on the weather, got hurt or what, something there. But uh, yeah, Bix, this is uh, the dying days of Ole Anderson's Chanterous from Georgia. Well, because if not at the beginning of the week, clear, well, Actually, no, wait a second. We know this. I think the Crockett deal is struck with Vince around the middle of March. Yes. So these are all completely lame duck shows. And like we talked about earlier in the Crockett section, we talked about how the TV changed on the 30th when Tony showed up with uh, Dusty and all them were there in the studio. Yeah. So, Although, <clears throat> do we know if Crockett bought out Ole and Fred Ward or, or at all? No. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He bought the te- television. He didn't buy them. So did, but did he buy their television too? Did he make a deal he bought, with them? 
Or did he only buy Vince's contracts and get an exclusive assurance from Ted? He bought TBS, the TBS time slots. Whatever they had in their markets was up to them. Now, what what they did, though, Fred Ward, for sure, he he just went with He was like, fuck it. <laughs> I'll go with Crockett. I'll, I'll put Crockett's TV on in my town. And that's what they did. Um but- so the so, Crockett guys, the Crockett guys that, that showed up at the Omni, that was like uh, they uh, Ole already knew he was yes. lame duck, yeah. and they're and yeah. they put Magnum and the Kolops and that kind of stuff. Well, they, there was already that kind of Ivan had already come in there the month earlier, so there was already there was always a working relationship there. Um, but this is when, like I said, yeah, it just really changes. Well, remember so, too when. I think it was on the Georgia side that when we get the quote-unquote merger at the end of 84, while on Memphis they just say it's Memphis and Georgia, on Georgia TV they say it's Memphis, Georgia, and Crockett. Yes. That are merging together into a new company, which obviously didn't really happen, and I still don't understand why they called it a merger, but the Crockett side of it kind of, kind of fell to the wayside but still there as we can see here there was a presence yeah i don't think dusty want to be a part of that so <laughs> that's probably no why. and he was a very smart man as far as that yeah. kind of thing so i think he was right championship press from florida now where wahoo daniel lost the u.s title he's now entered the area and is now the booker also which that means the end of the Freebirds. We'll talk about that when we get to world class. All right, we got house shows for the our week here, week plus. Miami, March 20th in front of 2451. Mike Golden over Dale Easy. <laughs> then we have Larry Hamilton and Mark Reagan over The Assassin. This is the real assassin and The Missing Link. Florida Heavyweight title, Jesse Barr retained over Pettigrero. Brian Blair and Mike Graham beat Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordy in a no DQ match. And Terry Gordy came back and beat Bugs and McGraw in a lights out match. Then we had the Bayfront on March 23rd. Mark Reagan over Jack Hart. Barry Horowitz recently returned to wrestling uh, this past weekend. Hector Guerrero over Dale Veazey. Yes. Mike Golden over the Yes, Mike Golden over the Assassin. The Assassin. <laughs> then you had Jesse Hart retaining the Florida title over Bugs and McGraw by DQ. Brian Blair over Rick Rude by DQ in a Southern Heavyweight title match. And then Bugsy and Hector won a $20,000 tag team battle royal. Wait, you mean, so you mean the ass, ass in? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, Orlando on the 24th. We have Wild Bill Irwin over Mike Golden. Mike Graham over Buddy Roberts. Hector over Rick Rude by DQ. Jesse Bar missing Link over Larry Hamilton and Mark Reagan. Brian Blair and Bugsy over Gordy and Hayes, and then Ric Flair over Wahoo to retain the NBA World Heavyweight title. Tampa, Sporting Sports Center, front of 4,000 fans on the 26th. Mike Golden over Jack Hart. The Unbloods over the Assassin, Mr. Link. Missing Link, Mr. Link. <laughs> Missing Link. Uh, Jesse Barr retained the Florida title over Hector Guerrero, subbing for Mark Reagan. Bugsy McGraw going to a WDQ with Michael Hayes. Terry Gordy over Mike Graham in a lumberjack match. And then Ric Flair retained the NWA World Title over Wahoo. Well, you and see, the, 20- the Mr. Link is the York <laughs> Foundation version of Missing Link. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, then back into Miami on the 27th for, for the 3849. Youngblood, Jay Youngblood or Missing Link. Jesse Barr going to a draw with Mark Youngblood. Root over Hector. 
Brian Blair of the Assassin, Brian Blair and Mark Graham won a tag team title Battle Royal, and then Ric Flair of Wahoo in the main event for the NWA World Heavyweight title. So, welcome, Wahoo. You're jobbing the Ric Flair every night, but it's a world title match. So, it's, I'm sure there was some type of cheap finish there. But Well, isn't he the booker, too? Yes, it was just red. Yeah, he's now taking over as the booker. So, yeah. So, we've talked about this era of Florida on this show before. I really enjoyed Florida when Dutch and Michael Hayes were booking. It was different. It had and it had different crew, different feel, you know. And then Mike, and then Mike, you know, Mike had stepped away because of, of Eddie's death. Then this is about time Mike decides he wants to come back and be in power. Brings Wahoo in as the Booker, and it's time to force out the Freebirds. And if Florida's still okay as we go here into the spring. But it, it, this is when they start going downhill as the years roll on here. But, uh, Dave, I'm going to ask you first. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the the decline of Florida and rest and change of Well, I, I saw a Florida show when I was on vacation in 74, and I thought it was phenomenal television. Oh, the, and so, the gold, the I, golden I, era. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't see I, – I only saw 85 in, on tapes I got traded – I think from Barry Rose was sent him up to me and I would get him like 86, 87, something like that. And um, um, 85 was still strong. Even to the end, you got shows with Flair, you got the Road Warriors coming in, you got you got Lex Luger starting out, you got Bruiser Brody in there. You know, it, I don't know if that's late 85, early 86, but then it but then it really started to decline. And everybody spread, and the you know the Freebirds left, and the actually around here, um, and the and uh, Wahoo ended up back at Crockett, and um, it, it's just kind of sad to watch. I can't you can't really watch too much of it beyond '85. Kevin Sullivan comes back, and it's you know time to rehash all that, and you know the Black Jack Mulligan show basically, you know he's you know they're pushing pushing the mulligan, win them stuff hard. All right, but enough about that. Let's go to Southeastern Championship Wrestling. We're around the Batwood Auditorium on March 18th in Birmingham. We have Bill Ash over Ted Oates. Robert Fuller over Mr. Russia. More on him in a minute. Nightmares over Steve Armstrong and Johnny Rich. The Rap Patrol. Austin Idol went to a no contest with Lord Humongous. Port Chop Cash won an Indian strap match over Jimmy Golden by disqualification. And then Bullet Bob Armstrong over Tom Lentz, a.k.a. Boomer H. Lynch, by disqualification. Now, regarding Mr. Russia, we actually have a TV clip from Southeastern Championship Wrestling as we go to the March 23rd uh, episode of television, where Austin Idol and Mr. Russia had a very, very, very short TV match. So let's watch that clip, shall we? And watch the shenanigans that goes on there. Ladies and gentlemen, this event, one falls, television time remaining, and it is the 270 pounds, Mr. Russia. Ron Fuller resplendent his in his top hat and tuxedo. Alabama State yes. Heavyweight Champion, the Universal Heartthrob. Crowd loves his Mawson Idol. And we have action starting right... Before the bell. Did you notice what just happened, though? Um, no. What what just happened? What am I? What did I miss? When they played whatever his entrance music is, they were just feeding it into the TV feed at the expense of everything <laughs> else. 
there was well, no more crowd noise or anything in the ring while the music's playing. So I, I'm curious why they did that. I mean, Dothan Television Production. Not, uh, it's not New York or uh, Los Angeles. So. <laughs> really plowing into Austin Idol. There's that knee into the chest area. Russia now going outside of the ring, making his way up on those ring ropes. He's down, but uh, there was no Austin Idol there to crash on. And wait a minute. He is locking in the Las Vegas figure four. The Las Vegas leg lock. Here's Humongous. All right. Idol now going for Humongous. Has he? He is locking in. He's got it. He's got the figure four on the big man. But Mr. Russia, he's holding out the thread. Robert Fuller in the ring now after Mr. Russia. Hard right to the side of the head. Mr. Russia goes down. He's going for the Fuller leg lock. And look at this side by side. Here comes Boomer Lynch. Lynch now plowing into Robert Fuller. There's that bear hug. And here comes Bob Armstrong. for the sleeper on Boomer Lynch, Shinnamaki on Austin Idol Fuller, and now here's Jimmy Golden. The ring is filling up. We have mass confusion in the ring. The Raptors crying. Ron Fuller's in the ring. Up in his new fabs gear. And he always went out here in this area. Fuller and Stable retreat from the ring. We'll, we'll be back with more action in just a moment. So they go into the commercial break there, and of course, because it's Southeastern, we return from the commercials first with the house show rundown, and then we get promos from both sides, which. Boy, isn't it interesting how this is suddenly looking like... I mean, I know that there are always similarities, but the TV looks more and more like Continental confined to the studio by day, by the every day, doesn't it? Well, that's Continental was, you know, birthed off of this, so yeah. But anyway. In the arena, we were oh, a lot of things were already settled. Yeah. It's a good thing they had a lot of people back there, because you saw what my stable was capable of. They had them each and every one. They're probably back there now looking for wheelchairs and crutches and some way to get around. Can you imagine what my man Humongous is going to do to Austin Idiot? He's going to shoot him up to him. Austin Idiot. Come, Daddy. My man here is going to win us the Cataract. Yeah. You know he is. This man is going to make him say, I quit a hundred times. Not once, but a hundred times. And my man, Mr. Russia, is going to end career of that big bellied brother of mine, Robert Fuller. I'm tired of saying so. Wait a minute. Let me tell you one thing. That Boomer Lee may be big and he may be strong, brother. 
But you look at it from right here. This ain't no Alabama toothpick that I'm going to put around your body, you big hairy nut. I don't care if you're from South Africa, Timbuktu, or Kalamazoo, big boy. I'm going to put that sleeper on you, and you are going nighty-night Sandman. Instead, I hope I get that top hat winded up into a frisbee and cut your head off with it. He said it right there. Hey, Slim Jim, don't be afraid to come on down, son. Don't be afraid to come on down because this is going to be a good one for you. Your man's mask is coming off, and I don't want you to miss it, Ron. Don't want you to miss it, boy. Let me tell you one thing. I got a match. What do you call I quit. And Jimmy Golan, I want to hear you scream all over the arena. I quit. Because Jimmy Golan, I will never quit, brother. Because I'll be coming at you all the time, Jimmy Golan. You will holler. I quit. Because I'll make you quit. Got it. All right. Uh, we said our desk area a complete disaster. But these gentlemen have a lot to settle this week in the arena here in the southeastern wrestling area. And uh, we just have to wait and see the outcome. A lot of very special stipulation matches. Uh, Should I remind everyone what the Alabama toothpick is? Go ahead. A two-by-four. Yeah. <laughs> and, again, this television is so great. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad that we have as much as we do from 84 and 85 in the studio before it became Continental. Because it is so fucking great. The brawl, the TV brawls are always chaotic and fun, and and just the way everything's formatted, it's it's very similar to Memphis, but it's not, you know, in a way. I mean, it's it, it's a great, you know, yin and yang to Memphis. Yes, but uh, and Mr. Russia, of course, Borsukov under mask. Well, so, Zerkov, Zerkov. So, yeah, Alabama. You know, this this TV footage, Dave, I mean, this time period among tape traders, I mean, it's, it's very rare to get a hold of. Oh, I, I never saw it. I never saw it. And also, because the Observer where, you know, rarely the, covered it, right? Yeah, there weren't a whole lot of people trading tapes from that part of the country, really. You, you, need it, you needed a source. Like, in Memphis, I had a guy, Brian Trammell, and he sent me every week. So it's like, you needed that. You needed one guy who taped it off his own TV and sent it to you. So... Yes, you did need someone who taped it off TV and sent it to you, right, Chris? Who definitely did not just drop off of the call and back into it. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm, I'm catching it quick this time. You know, it's it it funny, though. It was a lot easier to get Continental when Eddie Eddie was uh, booking and Polly was there and downtown Bruno. All that stuff was real easy to get a couple years later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just... It, it was just in this era, and it was tough to get. But luckily, Dave had this stuff, and people were able to get out, get it from him. So, Dave, yeah, Dave Meltzer is is one of the reasons why we have so much of this stuff. Oh, you're talking about when his when he had those ten, his ten dollar tapes? Yeah, and yeah, right. This is before, yeah, because I didn't start getting the Observer till '86, and he was already like not trading tapes as much. Dave is Steve, yeah, Dave is Steve Minari. They're 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 the, the two guys who really had the stuff that was getting out nationwide to different people. Well, yeah, because if well, especially remember, with Japanese TV, if they weren't getting it from a video store like David was, they were getting it from Dave or Steve. Because like, yeah, you yeah. know, you Minari's can get, list, you can get Dave's Japanese TV comps even after this. But go ahead. 
Oh yeah, I, I've seen some of those comps, but um, I didn't I didn't like paying for things because you know I could get them. And uh, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I'm serious. I never I wasn't like a tape buyer in the in the eighties in the mid mid to late eighties. It was more of a trader. It was like kind of well, it's free. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> buying sure. tapes weren't cheap. <laughs> no, people. Yeah, but Minari's list. I still have a copy of that, like from around this era. It was like you know forty pages long. It was like you couldn't even begin to think what you wanted to get, and I don't know how long he would take to to make the tapes for you. But and in, 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 of- in this territory in particular, I mean, hell, Gordon Soley shouts out Steve Minari on television. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that shows you about Steve Minari and Continental, but yeah, I, but I always cool. thought I always thought the Continental didn't want their tapes out there. No, Ron Fuller did not want any coverage of his territory. Because he didn't want nobody else to know what he was doing. I don't think he minded fans, hardcore fans, yeah, trading fans, yeah. the TV. Oh. But other than that, as far as me- yeah. media, media coverage, media. Oh, I thought he didn't want wrestlers to know how much other guys were going to get paid or something. Well, <laughs> no, like it's it's sort of it's different. In, in his case, he was a very well-paying small territory promoter. You know, he's a lot closer to Don Owen than he is, you know, any of the you know, uh, West Tennessee guys and their reps. But, but it's a family territory, so there's only a certain amount of spots yeah. available to non-family members. Or non-partners, too, like Armstrong. You know, Armstrong was a partner. Well, yeah, I consider him family, family, though. Well, I you're saying. But yeah. his thing, the way Bo explains it, and it makes sense with the lack of coverage everywhere, he felt that if other promoters were aware of the crowds he was doing, because... I mean, what, Southeastern and Continental are pretty damn consistent drawing into, what, early 87? Mm-hmm. That they're pretty much always doing at least three, 4,000 people a week in the key towns? Yeah, good houses. He felt like there, he'd be more likely to have his talent poached. And with oh, good got it, got it. And, and, and with good reason, because, I mean, hell, Flair come in and swooped Arn up. So, yeah. All right, Pensacola, March 24th at Municipal Auditorium. Bill Ash over Les Freeman. Rap Patrol over the Nightmares in a No Time Limit match. Robert Fuller, Mr. Russia. Bob Armstrong, Portshot Cash, and Austin Idol over Jimmy Golden, Lordy Mungus, and Boomer H. Lynch. And then back in the Boutwell on March 25th, Bill Ash defending U.S. Junior title against Ted Oates. Rap Patrol defending the Southeastern Tag Titles against Nightmares. 1984 Cadillac versus Mutt, some money. Bob Armstrong versus Boomer H. Lynch. I quit match for Southeast Heavyweight Title, Port Chalk Cash against Jimmy Golden. And then the figure four versus Shinomaki for the Alabama Heavyweight Title, Austin Island against Lord Humongous. Hmm. Southeastern loved their stipulation matches. Yes. And uh, they ran a lot of them. And also, I love how you know it's a small roster territory when having a six man tag main event means there can only be four matches on the card. <laughs> yes. Um, boy, did. Portland did sometimes did it as well, but no territory handled a small roster better than Southeastern. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, they did it for years and uh, they did it well. So now Memphis kind of was the same way in, at times. Um, so let's go to Memphis. Tux Newman is now managing all the heels here. So Eddie Gilbert's army and TH Hart are no more. Newman is so obnoxious as a manager and to Dave's surprise has been very effective. 
he claims that Jerry Lawless pile driver and Andy Kaufman gave him cancer and killed him. <laughs> well, he's the first one who did that. Yep. Because Andy because Kaufman he... only died a few months ago. And he was Andy Kaufman's friend. Yes. Yes, because that's Jeff Walton. Yeah. And we should also explain one of the reasons that Dave is surprised that he's so effective as a manager is that words cannot express just how much he hated Jeff Walton as an announcer on Los Angeles TV. <laughs> Would you say that's accurate? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And nothing against Jeff personally. Jeff is a very nice guy. He was much better as Tux Newman than he was just as a babyface announcer. Oh, absolutely. All right, let's go to Mid-South Coliseum, March 18th. Jerry Oski over Jerry Bryant. Louisville Sluggers, Tim Ashley and Steve Constance over Harley and J.R. Hogg. Adrian Street, Mr. Wrestling, Tommy Gilbert in the mask over the Batten Twins. Debbie Cones going to no contest with Miss Linda. Dutch Mantel in, in for a bit here over Iron Mike Sharp. The Fabs over, went to a no contest with Eddie Gilbert and Lanny Poffo. And Randy Savage won the Southern Way title from Jerry Lawler. The newly turned Randy Savage. Is this the one where he pile drives him on the plate for the belt? That's coming up. That's coming up. Okay. All right, March, 9, March 19th in Louisville. J.R. Hogg over Tojo Yamoto. Jerry Oski, something for David Haskins over Harley Hogg. Mr. Wrestling over Speedy Talltree. Ashley and Costas over Jerry Bryant and Playboy Frazier. Stan Frazier <laughs> and his Playboy Frazier gimmick. Dutch Mantel over Adrian Street. And then Eddie Gilbert won a Texas death match over Jerry Lawler. Now, March 25th at the Mid-South Coliseum, we have Iron Mike Short going to a draw with Jerry Oski. Adrian Street, Miss Linda over Speedy Talltree and Debbie Combs. Sweet Daddy Seeky. Yes, that Sweet Daddy Seeky won a handicap match over J.R. Hogg and Mr. X. The PYTs, Norville and Coco, they're back in from Florida over uh, Tim Ashley and Steve Constance. Dutch over Mr. Wrestling. Fabs retain their Southern Tag titles over Gilbert and Popo. Pa- Pa-Po. And then Southern Way title, Jerry Lawl over Randy Savage by DQ. Macho retains. All right, so the main event ended when Savage hit Lawler with Tux Newman's cane, then went berserk and piled drove Lawler on a piece of metal with Lawler being carried out in the ambulance. Savage, by the way, has been phenomenal since turning heels. Probably the best in the business, even over Ted DiBiase, Chris Adams, and Paul Orndorff. We have the clip. So let's go to the Mid-South Coliseum and watch Macho Man Randy Savage in uh, his insanity. Well, here. actually, wait a second. You didn't timestamp this. Um, Play it from the beginning, I think. Oh, wait. You know what? Yeah. Okay. They, they It's the f- first thing on the show. That's why. Yeah. Okay. And it's my my video. I know how he feels about it. I want to talk to him because talk to him about it. It just seems to me that the tactics and the things that took place in there with under the direction of Tux Newman uh, is something that must be watched very closely. I, I noted that you made a comment uh, to Newman last week. It was Lance's that with Eddie you Hartley. were the ones that was going to. He's telling you yes. what what the uh, what the matches were going to be. And, uh, I agree and I with you, Lance. It was uncalled for. Okay, let, let's let's roll this tape now. Eddie and I are going to be talking about it. Bear in mind, this was a uh, Southern Heavyweight Championship match between the King, who was the champion. And at this point, you see Tux Newman jump into the ring. The referee was down. A Lawler coming up off of Savage. He had Savage in what I consider to be a position where he would have pinned him. Newman 
jumped in the ring. Uh, it resulted in a disqualification. Lawler grabs him and was going for a pile driving. There's no two ways about that. But Newman was uh, an, an interloper in the ring. Uh, Savage hit him from behind, as you can see, fired him out on the floor. And this is only the beginning of the mayhem, which, though it was acted out by Savage, and he was loving every minute of it, the wild son of a gun was just eating it up as he was tearing people apart in there. You see Newman directing him, throwing back in the ring. Chuck's Newman, in my opinion, orchestrated the whole dad blame thing, Eddie. And, and here you see a pile driver that Savage slams Lawler down into that mat. It's all over. He's already lost on a disqualification. Uh, uh, he retains the title for the simple fact that he was disqualified. That's Newman right. knew he was going to get right. beat. That's right. This is it's just one purpose right here. He wanted to injure Lawler. And any time the man tries to injure someone uh, on purpose, there, he's bound to be scared of what the man can do. That's right. Now, I wanted to point out, there goes Jeffrey, referee Jerry Calhoun. Do you see the object in the right side of your screen? This is a... We should note real quick, Jerry Calhoun is trying so hard to get Savage to stop attacking Lawler that he jumps on his back. Yes. Yeah. And he just went ass over tea kettle over one of the ringside tables. <laughs> yes, he did. Huge metal plate on which uh, the southern belt, there it is, right That's there, right, right in the middle, middle of it, that, that Savage carried that southern belt on. He takes Lawler, Calhoun tried to stop him, and there he pile-drive Lawler's head. Now, that's the second pile-drive. He flattened that thing out. It was a curved, big, heavy metal plate that he had the belt around. And, and that is what he, he uh, slammed Lawler's head on. It was done with Newman throwing it in there, Newman directing the situation, and he obviously, as Eddie said, he had one intent in mind, and that was to put Lawler out of action. Look at Savage here. I think that's where a lot of the damage came from. Well, right sure. There. Came right down behind him. He had the southern belt around his arm, slammed him right in behind. There he goes again. And remember, the match is over. That's right. This is all after uh, Savage has already been disqualified for the actions of Tush Newman. Now, following this, Lawler, of course, was taken to the hospital. But I want to I want to make the, the point here that if it were not for the fact of the kind of size of neck and, and the conditioning and all that Lawler has undergone, he would have been dead. I'm convinced of it right now. <laughs> Jerry, dead. at that point, you could see, was holding his neck in there. He was in pain. Oh, wait a second, Chris. If the pile driver can give Andy Kaufman cancer and kill him. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you're right. Boy, I guess. Pain. I got to tell you, and Savage is down there uh, blowing his horn and screaming at the folks. That's and, cool. and carrying on in that totally unpredictable manner in which he does. Can't believe Lance and, didn't just uh, say hoot and holler. Uh, it was, okay. uh, well, it was, it was a situation that really disturbed me because Eddie was down there and, and was checking Jerry out at that Right, point. I was talking to Jerry and I was... And, and you had already made some decisions right at that point. I guess. Right, I couldn't get the right answers from Lawl. I told him I was going to call for help. And he said, no, I'll be all right. Just let me stay here just a minute and I'll walk out. But, uh, you know... 
anytime you have injuries to your neck or your spine, there's the ambulance. You need uh, attention. So I demanded that Lawler go to the hospital. He kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to go. But I finally talked him into going, and him being in the pain that he was in, I don't think Lawler really realized what could have been wrong with him. He was not thinking clearly, Eddie. There's no question about that. Because uh, he, he, he was making comments like, hey, let me back at him. I am ready. And, right. I mean, you know, he just didn't really realize at that point that he had been slammed so goofy that he didn't realize exactly what happened. They, they took him out to the hospital, and, and uh, he was x-rayed and so forth. And, again, here's a, here's a question of where conditioning in the, in the size uh, neck. And, Eddie, you've been through this yourself. That's right. And, and, and uh, even on somebody who, who is in that kind of condition, the compression on, on that neck and the very, spine. It very, very dangerous late on. I, I, re I believe the next morning after he woke up, he was certainly glad that he went to the hospital. I was glad he went. I demanded that he go, and I'm glad that I told him to go. What a wonderful iron-on lettering shirt Savage has here. Macho Man, New King of the South. Yep. And we've got an early appearance of the green Macho Man trunks. Yes. Right so off the bat. The a little bit darker than the famous the ones. And he's sick. Jerry the king is dead on the front. Watching right now from the hospital bed, from under the hospital bed, from a wheelchair. Talking to the mic, Jeff. <laughs> He's standing on top of something is why. He's old He's garbage. There's nothing more to be said. Oh, it's there on the little stage, Lance isn't. Now, let's just completely change the subject and talk about something very interesting. And that is my man Lanny. Come here, Lanny. Lenny is one of the greatest orators in the world today, as well as wrestlers. I want to show a film on Lenny. Forget it's old skills, yeah. not to be denied. Have you got the tape that he's talking about? You better have. Is, the, is that tape there? You gotta believe, baby. Run it. That's <laughs> <all> everybody. <laughs> 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 Smile. Now 
his test flight with Jackie Fargo, defeated and senile. <laughs> <laughs> this was worth the great reward in Jerry Lawler's fall. The Southern heavyweight champion. Three words that say it all. That I stand before, once proud with noble name, is now like Jerry Lawler, whose head is bowed in shame. Wow. We should note, by the way, the crackle in the audio was on the original recording as this aired. This is how this sounded when it aired, I believe. They did not do a good job recording this. That's why it crackles when uh, Lanny is talking. But yeah, this is a this is a tape I got from uh, one John McAdam. So I had the same tape from John McAdam. Yeah, so who knows how many generations? No, but was. I'm saying the crackle is not on the other stuff on the tape though, like that. I think that's on the original broadcast. It's possible because it doesn't sound like they recorded it well. Um, okay, so what do we think before we get back to the studio? What do we think he's actually standing in front of? Like, like a kid's restaurant or something? It's gotta be something like a birthday party place with a castle theme. It's got to be something. Or amusement park. Yeah. Or maybe mini golf. I don't know. Yes. Lanny's really feeling himself there, though. Well, yeah. Well, I said his oral skills are not to be denied by uh, Tux Newman. Yeah. What do do you think he thought of Renee changing the name of her podcast to just the sessions, though? Apparently, she got fed up with all the jokes, or her podcast (laughs) studio did. Some one or one or the other. The most inspiration. Now, forget about Lawler. Let's talk about this sweet daddy sneaky. That's you, boy. Oh, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't say boy, but you are Uh... are on my list. You double crossed me. Hey, apologize. Does that to the Tux Man? Nobody, and you will go down. Remember that, Speaky. Remember that, boy. Uh, uh, We've got some action out here, so if you can clear out, thank you. By the way, I love how during uh, during the narration of the match, for some reason, instead of saying "dad gum," Lance said "dad blame." (laughs) Dag damn it! (laughs) Gosh darn it! But so Lawler Lalo took a month off after this. Um, I don't think it was a month. He took, he took a some couple weeks. Off. Yeah, he took some time off to sell it. But I mean, you're you're around this era. You know, me and Bix are uh, Bix is a newborn, and I'm very very young. I mean, this is Randy Savage. You know, at his peak as a heel in this era here in Memphis, where he goes to WF, and the Tate trading community, like Dave says, is going nuts over this guy. Well, Savage was uh, well. Dave said that he was the best heel in the business right here, right now. And when he came into the WWF, he was just he was phenomenal because WrestleMania one, which is coming up in a week or so, you know, it's it's not Hulk versus Piper. It's like a it's like a you know it's a mash of like four to six guys, and so it's it's you know it's 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 hype. And it's not a tremendous match. Randy, Randy, I only got to see Randy fight once in L.A. in, I think, 86 or 87. And the reaction and, and the performance was just, like, off the top. Um, 
So I, I always loved Savage and I regret not seeing him more. It's just I wasn't in, into WWF when he came around. Um, Walton, who played Tux, I think this is his, I think Mike said this was his only, perfor- like his first performance as a manager. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. He was great. And, yeah, you know, and, you know, he, it's, isn't it right after Jimmy Hart, too? Yeah, Jimmy Hart left in February. Then we had TH Hart, the fake Jimmy Hart, and then oh, okay, yeah. So, so I was I I loved getting Memphis tapes. It was like the most fun. You know, Mid South was my favorite to watch, but Memphis was just the most was so fun. And um, I was lucky to see Memphis one card in May of '86, and so I didn't get to see as many of of, of these guys during their peak. And I, and my my impression of Memphis was you have these huge angles like the rant or, or, or feuds that like Randy versus Lawler that run for like four, six, ten weeks, and then you have like a lull. And unfortunately for me, when I went, I saw a lull match because it was Jerry and um, and the giant hillbilly Stan Frazier versus the Jeffer, the Jeffers brothers for who I'd seen on TBS. Mod called the Mod Squad. Yeah. And and but luck but luckily the 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 match that, that ended the show that wasn't the main event uh, was was uh, Buddy Buddy Landell versus uh, Bill Dundee during that huge uh, team tag team and then feud. So uh, luckily I was able to see those guys a main event in Memphis. It wasn't that hard. I got a second row ticket, buying it like what a week or two in advance, and and I was just there for a couple of days. And um, I'm so happy I got to see Memphis once. Yeah, I wish I could have. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. and it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, Memphis was was something else in this era, and Savage definitely was too. Bix. I mean, we've watched a lot of this stuff, and. It's just like a different guy. This is what like the ICW Savage is what you're seeing here. See, I wasn't going to say that. I feel like this turn is when he becomes the WWF Savage. Yeah, but it's still or ICW. he starts on his way to it. I mean, well, you know what? Maybe it's the best Randy Savage because it's kind of in between. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's not the Mick Foley sounding ICW Savage. But he still has that Randy Savage's unpredictability and all that, and coming off as unhinged in a way that WWF Savage didn't, while also having, like, the polish and the camera presence of WWF Randy Savage. Yeah. All right, uh, Louisville, March 26th. Oh, and I did just want to add real quick, with, with Tux, with Jeff as Tux, it was also very helpful to him in the territory that... For the first manager since Jimmy Hart, he's nothing like Jimmy Hart. Yeah. All right, March 26, Louisville Gardens. Sorry, my shark going to draw with Jerioski. Sweet Danny Seeky over Tom Branch. Something for Adrian Street. No DQ, no time limit. Mr. Wrestling or a speedy tall tree. Tom Branch's brother, by his qualification. PYTs over the Battens. The Fabs over Lanny Poffo and Adrian Street. Something for Eddie Gilbert. Uh-oh. Debbie Cohn's going to no contest with Miss Linda. And Dutch Mantel going to a double DQ with Randy Savage. So there is Memphis. Well, let's move on to Mid-South Wrestling. And Dave, sure, you've seen all, you've all seen this group's show on WTBS. And judging, judging from all the calls and letters he's gotten, it seems like the consistent opinion is this is the best TV show in the country. 
Their live shows are great, too, as Dave has been privileged to watch some of those matches lately and had the best action on live cars he's ever seen. Now, real quick, TBS, Dave's heard conflicting reports, though, on the long-term status of them on TBS, as they have a one-year contract. However, Bill Taft from Sports Illustrated told Dave that they'll be off WTBS within weeks. His source for that was Vince McMahon. So if it's not true, chalk up another one. Well, Vince was right. It was a 12-week contract, or 13, whichever it was. So there you go. I mean, look, Vince would have been privy to that. So it's Vince McMahon, but still, like, it's a thing he would know. Yes, it is. I think he would know, absolutely, because he knows the inner workings at this point in time. But, uh, you know, we talked about Mid-South a little bit earlier in the Crockett section and then on TBS, Dave, and... Yeah, you know, even even though Mid-South was awesome in 1984, you know, the TV, you know, in late 84, early 85, is the best TV show in the country. I agree. Mid-South was, it was almost like an episodic uh, drama on, on, on network TV. It was so, it was so interesting, so compelling, what's really, uh, he knew what he was doing, and um, and his talent was just the best, it, it, even better. Like when, because I had first seen you know Jim Crockett promotions, and then I saw other promotions, and then, but when you see Mid South, it's just, it's like a, a step above. And uh, although this occurred on March 10th, when um, the the first airing on Mid South TV on TBS, the very first match is I believe that match with the Guerreros versus the Rock and Roll Express that Jim Cornette's wearing the sombrero. You guys remember that yes, one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 when I got the tape, when I got a tape of the first six um, Mid-South shows on TBS, one of the first Mid-South tapes I ever got, it was just unbelievable. That Cornette stuff was just so funny. And um, no, 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 I must have seen the 84 stuff first between the Midnights and the Rock and Roll and, you know, and the Bill Watts stuff. Um, but um, but that was just I still think that's so hilarious. It, yeah, that's and- the match where the finish is the Guerrero's putting one of the Rock and Rolls in a double tapatia and the other crawls into the gap to get the pin. I think so. It's just that I, I don't it's just it's it's just the. It's the one. It's the only match I remember. With and I know Cornette that one aired on TBS because I remember having a copy yeah, from the version it, that it, aired on TBS. Yeah, so I remember yeah. that because of the clever finish. Yeah, it's a January sixteenth taping that aired in syndication on January seventeenth. Right. So and and and, and DB, that's DiBiase, Brad Armstrong too, where DiBiase wins North American title back. I think that same show. Yeah. So. The, all right. it, yeah. It's so great. It's just so great, and from my from a fan's point of view. Absolutely. And Bix, uh, you agree? Best best wrestling television show at this time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. I mean, I, I, when I first started buying wrestling tapes from John McAdam, I was getting all the Mid-South from this era. That was Mid-South and Georgia were my main two to, to get. Yeah, and, when I first started getting territory tapes with any kind of regularity, it was like, it was the bits, the Bob Barnett Mid South like 
compilations that really yeah, I, was, I, mean, oh, I had to have the whole shows you know the best i could so john had the whole shows. so well I see i didn't to... realize that though because he didn't have it listed as that <laughs> yeah you know? but... so... and it, yeah, had and... The, it, it had the power pros too so you had the regular and the power pros all together so it's awesome in in eighty six, I think when, when when did it turn to UWF? Was it in the middle eighty six? March eighty six. Mar- March, March okay, that that's when we started getting it in San Francisco. We started getting the syndicated show when it had Jim Ross and, and Michael P. S. Hayes, and they're yeah. all from Tulsa. Yeah, uh, it was still a tremendous show. So, oh my God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's go to uh, the TV for our week here. Butch Reed is uh, in a feud with uh, the Barbarian, the John Nord version of Barbarian. So uh, let's go to that, shall we? Butch is wearing a tuxedo, but well, a suit, by the way. So you can pretty much guess what happens here. Let's go to the clip. Josh Stroud, Barbarian has completely annihilated. That's Josh a disqualification, Stroud. Jim. It's, uh, it certainly is, Joel. A disqualification now. Here comes Hacksaw Butch Reed. Barbarian just showed up here, right? Yeah, he's brand new. A couple weeks. Well, last week, Butch Reed came out and Clearly not getting paid well enough to supplement his um, supplements yet. They just tore that three-piece suit. Butch Reed's getting his suit torn off, naturally. Oh, he's got a vest and everything. He's got Reed down. He's got him down, and this is one of the first times I've seen Reed in this much trouble at this short of a time. The Barbarian, even more awesome than we first imagined. Look at him. Oh, this is a debut? He's kicking Butchery. No. He's got him down. He's okay, because Joel Watts said even more awesome than we possibly imagined. Well, you weren't squashes. The Barbarian's just out there manhandling anybody who gets in his way. There goes Terry Daniels. There goes Tim Warner. And they're back at each other again. It's a melee of piercing sprout. Look at him go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to try to get this thing back in order. They're trying to separate these two tremendous athletes, and we'll be back with great Mid-South action after this word from the network. Yeah, so, I mean, Reed is about to leave, so he's being used to set, set Nord up, and uh, he Puts Nord up over on house shows and gets hurt in the process. Um, but, but yeah, so, um, yeah, they're getting him ready. So, and John Nord, best run of his life here in Mid-South. So, uh, well, which is interesting to say because he's a rookie. That's not when the best. I think Chris just dropped off temporarily. That's something to say when the best run of your career is when you're a rookie. <laughs> yeah, there you are. But, well, in this case, though, it's because he's so hyper athletic and he blows out his knee. Yeah, well, that you know, the more I think about that, because I just watched him in New Japan. You know, when he's supposed to be injured. Yeah. <laughs> and uh he's not showing any knee issues. So what when are wait, what are we talking about? The November Tag League. Oh, the November Tag League is allegedly when he suffered the injury. Yeah. He, he got injured in he got, he got injured in October. And he's working in Japan in November. And he's doing all of the barbarian jumping around stuff? Well, he's working, not showing any, any type of limping or anything. 
But is he doing the stuff he had been doing in Mid-South, like the, the ver- big vertical leap jumping in place? Well, the match and... I saw him in, the match I saw him in, he, I mean, he didn't do a whole hell of a lot because it wasn't really a long match. Sure. It was him and Hacksaw Higgins as a tag team against Anoki and Saguchi. So, yeah, he ain't going to do all that fancy stuff in that match. So. Yeah, but it's also the year-end tag league. I'm guessing he's going to try to work through it to make all that money and try to impress New Japan. I mean, it's possible. But anyway, also on our television. Well, we should add, on. though, I just realized. <laughs> he does bring he does bring back a lot of the athletic stuff for the early Berserker matches. Yes. And all lands right, right on. on his knees in a lot of them. Yes, Kamala and Terry Taylor are uh, having a little feud here as well. So let's go uh, to that, shall we? I wonder what Terry Taylor thought of the Kamala gimmick. <laughs> a grave tactical error on the part of Kamala. And Terry Taylor going outside of the ring now. A smart move. But Akbar! Akbar! Oh! Oh! Akbar throws him into that steel post! That woman tried to stop Terry Taylor from going to the ring post. Yes. To come down off that top rope. To the point that she Akbar did. had to work around her to post him correctly. Yes. Akbar That's crazy. Into that steel post, and Taylor is lacerated. Kamala had him pinned. He went to the top. They what did Watts like lacerated so Taylor. much better than bleeding? My goodness, it Taylor sounds good. I guess so. As if the savage wasn't enough, it's the, it's that outside factor that we spoke of earlier. Earlier, you, you can never discount Akbar and Friday and their involvement in the match. The distraction of Kamala going out to, up to the top rope turned out to be the ally. I love the girl screaming Kamala when Kamala's biting the cut. Gets out of the way. Terry Taylor with the break. He's had a few of them in this match this, uh, thus far. He managed to land a few solid right crosses. But Kamala's just staggering. You can't take the big man off his feet. Reverse arm whip. And Terry Taylor arm whips Carl Fergie. Arm whips Kamala into Carl Fergie. Five arm. It's not called the five arm yet? Down goes Kamala. No. He's off his feet. He is off his feet, but take the stake. How much more can Terry Taylor contend with? He has got Kamala beat. Suplex. And now Jake the Snake is hurt, but Kamala, Kamala has recuperated. But how much has Terry Taylor recuperated? Arm whip into the turn buckles. He goes for the body shot, but Kamala trips over his own. Terry Taylor has beaten Kamala. Terry Taylor has beaten Kamala right here on Mid South Wrestling, and Kamala just leveled Jake the Snake. And the ironic part about it is. Jake the Snake was instrumental in the victory after he tried. Kamala hits Akbar. Kamala's confused. He nailed Friday. He put Akbar down. Kamala's confused, but no matter what, Terry Taylor has won this match. Tremendous upset. What a match. A tremendous match. Terry Taylor the victor. They're trying to get Kamala restored here, but when we come back, You'll see for the first time ever on television a four-team elimination tag team match right after this from Mid-South Wrestling. (laughs) 
I was going to say, for a guy who's only been refereeing about a year, yeah, he has more wrestling experience. Great presence of mind from Carl Fergie on the ref bump there because it was a little mistimed. And you can see, like, mid-bump, he's realizing that Kamala didn't touch him. So he changes it to make it look like he got sent off balance in the confusion as opposed to that he got hit. So. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I mean, Carl Perkins was a damn good referee from the start. But my my, my thing we, we talk about here, David, is uh, what a creative finish. And, and Mid-South was always great with doing these layered finishes with different storylines involved like we got terry and jake they had their little thing going on here he gets involved screws kamala over some kamala's able to get pinned you know with a fluke finish i mean it was good shit yeah some of it was like kamala was about to leave you know and so you could do those things because they had people coming in and out so you were able to do um kind of main event type matches on tv like that too yeah, exactly. Well, Mid-South did that a lot. They, they would they would put, you know, people that weren't, um, you know, feuding, but are top names against each other, which I love that. I think, I think, I think more, more should do that, you know? They should have a more... Well, you know, you, you saw that in the 90s <laughs> when you start showing main event matches on Monday nights, you know, it's... Uh, and how much the ratings went up and how much the value of the companies went up, you know? So... yeah. AEW, same thing now. So. AEW yeah, does cl- as close to Mid-South as anybody else has done, really, as as far as you take guys who are, you know, top-line guys. They're not feuding with each other, but they'll be placed in TV matches against each other. So so they'll have a TV match, you know, maybe further one or two of their feuds. It's, it's, you know, I, I like it when it's like that. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, nowadays it's different because streaming's different, and streaming is, is what you need to make the value of the company. And it'll be, and it will be interesting when the when the McMahons sell to NBC or whoever they're going to sell to. Eventually, yes. <laughs> Next year, <laughs> who knows? You're right. I mean, it could that's be my guess. Any so. any any time, any time soon. The stock's going up in for no real reason right now, other than insiders know. Yeah, is my guess. Something's going on. You're right. Well, there is the there's the negotiations for the next day streaming rights that's coming up. There is that, but other than that, yeah, I mean that's there's nothing else really going on right now. No, that's but that's the whole ticket right there. The, all the value is in the streaming rights. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, Alex, too bad for guys, just one more thing. It's just too yeah, bad for sure. guys like Bill Watts, who was like so creative that just had to rely on on economics that just weren't happening for him because of uh, you know the economy or whatever. So, yeah, that wasn't his luck. Alexandria, Louisiana, the Rapides Parish Coliseum, March 20th. Tom Pritchard over Ed Carboo Thomas in your opener. Terry Daniels over Jack Victory. Jake the Snake over Brad Armstrong. Dirty White Boys over the Rock and Roll Express, non-title match. Mid-South TV title, Terry Taylor retained over Dr. Death. And then we had a Steel Cage Lose Loot Town match where Axel Jim Duggan, Iceman King Parsons, and Axel Butch Reed defeated Ted DiBiase. She Hercules Hernandez and Kamala, where she Hercules was the one that lost. So there's one gone, and then we go to Houston two nights later at Sam Houston Coliseum for Paul Bosch. 
We have Tom Pritchard over Kevin Kelly, soon to be named Thor here. Uh, Tim Horner over Ed Carpu Thomas. The Barbarian over Shawn Michaels. Jake Roberts over Terry Daniels. One Man Gang over Brad Armstrong. Terry Taylor over Dr. Death. Dirty White Boys over Rock and Rolls. Kamala went on Lumberjack Match over Hacksaw Butch Reed. And then, oh, yes. Tuxedo, Loser League Town, Cold Miners Gloves, Steel Cage Match. Hacksaw Jim Duggan over Ted DiBiase. And this match is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, this is the first one of the bunch. So uh, it's the only one we have on video, too. The only one we have on video. Yeah, they had one the Superdome. They would they took it around the horn, and uh, yeah, this is a one of the best matches of the decade. In way, in, so Bosch in- was um, taping all his cards because we later on in those NWA on demand stuff, you see all those Houston cards. All of them were taped because they they would show them on their TV. The, the matches. So now, not all was, of them. All the key matches. A lot of yeah, the but stuff they that came everything. out was not previously aired. But yeah, well, not well. We don't have but a certain time where we have it. We start getting the full shows, bigs. No, but what I'm saying that's is later in '85. A, that's in the summer. No, but I'm talking. We about don't have the, Houston TV from this era. I know. I'm talking about based on the NWA classic stuff. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't even have commentary that Bosch just wouldn't bother to sit down and do commentary if um, if a match wasn't being taped for TV. He only would actually do commentary in the first place. If That's true. On TV. Because well, the, the NWA later did their own commentary. Well, that uh, happened in Japan. Like You watch some of the New Japan stuff on New Japan classics. From when they started, when they aired this stuff in the late 90s, and the matches that weren't on TV, they don't have commentary. Yeah. What, the rare ones that, that are on the classic shows do not have commentary. So sometimes, one- sometimes they would start commentary in the middle of the match. They'd like middle of the match, match, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they have, now they have Kevin going back and doing English commentary for matches in the 80s and 90s sometimes, too. Yeah, on New Japan World, yeah. Yeah, which is great. Well, which is well they, kind of, they kind of do that because, you know, they have to, you know, especially when they're doing entrances, dub over the music and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yes, of course. All right. Well, that's the end of the line for you, Dave. You, you got some uh, some traveling to do. So uh, you're going to exit here. So uh, go ahead and uh, plug anything or talk about... You know anything you want to talk about here? I just want to say it, it was it was a pleasure um, being on with you guys. I, I've been wanting to for years. I've been thinking about it, and um, uh, I'm glad I helped sponsor you guys to to do more of this stuff. I mean the one the one subject matter I've always been the most interested in is is the observer and wrestling history. And basically, you guys, what five six years ago started this podcast on that exact type topic so um thanks a lot i'll keep listening and supporting you guys and um and thanks again absolutely yes we thank you so uh we'll be back right after this all right me and bitch are gonna take it home now as we go to world-class championship wrestling the Freebirds should be back here on a pretty full-time basis shortly as they're headed out of florida now the welcome at daniels come in as the booker yeah that's just how we said pretty much i mean that's the end of them, the end of Dutch, PYTs. So, yeah, it's another turnover in, in Florida. Yep. Kind of what happens in this era with a new booker, especially well, in I that mean, territory. <laughs> yeah, in that territory, especially, yes. So, anyway. And, and and now they're coming back in here as baby faces, which is the interesting thing, too. 
Yes. As they're, they have, Terry has the loose affiliation with the Von Erics. They shook hands. And Stemming they from Christmas Stadium. night, yes. And they team up at Texas Stadium. So, I mean, there's that. But they're not they're not here full time. I mean, they come in and work, and then this is when they start going. They, AWA is pretty much their main stopping grounds, but they're going to Memphis and here, there, and everywhere. So Mid South, yes, Gordy's going to Japan. So a lot going on. Sunshine has brought in Hercules Hernandez to the territory as Bay Face replaced the departed Billy Jack Haynes. That's why he leaves Mid South. And here. Sunshine here finds her new boyfriend in Ray Hernandez. Yeah, and then he leaves too. <laughs> he don't last very long. No, before he goes to before he goes to Florida, home. Yeah, he goes back home. Yes, like Billy Jack went back home to Portland. Weird. All right, Will Rogers calls C on March 18th from the 5,400 fans. We have Rip Oliver retaining the TV title over Skip Young. Brian Diaz summoned for Tommy Rogers team with Bobby Fulton over Kelly and Nick Kaniski. Bobby Eaton won a two out of three falls match over Brian Adias, your TV man event. Carrie Von Eric beat the one-man gang in an Iron Claw Challenge. Carrie Von Eric over Junior Hernandez by disqualification. And Bobby Fulton won a 13-man Battle Royal. Sportatorium on March 22nd. It's house show night in Sportatorium. Uh, or no, it's not. Excuse me. This is TV. Uh, March 22nd. We have Kelly Kaneski over Mike Reed. Rip Oliver going to a draw with Iceman King Parsons. And Carrie and Kevin over Chris and Gino by DQ and that TV main event. And then the next TV, we have Bobby Fulton over El Gran Diablo. Hercules will rip all over by disqualification. And then Brian and Diaz and Carrie Von Eric over Bobby Eaton and Kelly Kaniski. Odd team. So there's that uh, sportatorium show. Yes. Although Cornette is managing Kelly Kaniski, right? He's kind of like a, a loose affiliate, yes. Yeah. Well, he's managing Rip Oliver, too. Yeah. Rip. Rip Oliver smashed White Binary's hand in the dressing room door before their scheduled match at Fort Worth on March 25th. And Oliver was then suspended so he could turn to Japan. It was stripped of the world-class TV title. Well, that show in Fort Worth on the 25th, we had Johnny Mantell going to a draw with Skip Young in the opener. Bobby Fulton and Kevin Bineric summoned for Tommy Rogers, beating the Midnights by DQ. Hercules over Gino in your Battle of Hernandez's by disqualification. <laughs> and then Kevin and Carey over Chris Adams and Dr. Death Steve Williams by disqualification. I like how in the Battle of Hernandez's, neither one is actually named Hernandez, and only one of them is actually Hispanic. <laughs> yeah. Because Hercules' real name is Ray Fernandez. Fernandez, correct. Yes, and Gino, of course, was not Hispanic. He was the stepson of a Hispanic gentleman. Charles Wolfe. Charles Wolfe, then... yes, being both his real name and the name of his biological father. And then March 25th, yes, not Paul Bosch. And then March 25th at the Sportatorium, uh, Kelly Kaniski over Jose Lothario, Bobby Fulnoville, Grand Diablo, Midnight's going to a draw with Mike Bineric and Skip Young, Hercules over One Man Gang by DQ, and then Kevin Bineric over Chris Adams in your main event. Yep. So. And by the way, I mean, even, even if we hadn't gotten the further details from Gino's mom, I just, I <laughs> never, I never bought the the Bosch's dad thing because I never saw the resemblance everyone saw. I think people wanted to see it. Yeah, that's what. Well, the thing is, Mel Meltzer tells the story. I don't that I don't think he had ever heard the rumors, and then he's getting the tour of Bosch's office, 
and he sees one of those photos of Bosch on a lifeguard as a lifeguard in Long Beach, you know, in his twenty in his teens or twenties or whatever. And Dave asks him, Why do you have a black and white photo of Gino on your wall in a nineteen thirties swimsuit? Or whatever. And Paul being like, No, that's me. But I've never seen it, and I think you agree with me. I, I, I've never seen that resemblance that Dave and so many others claim to see. I guess maybe if you, I guess maybe if you saw an old picture of Bosch, you know, and and, and looked at it, and maybe you know, with him as dark hair and the skin color. I mean, they have their skin tones are very similar, and I think there's an, I think there is something with eyes. I think their eyes are maybe, but it's not like there's zero resemblance. But it's not the spitting image that people make it out. No, no. All right, let's go to Southwest Championship Wrestling. The scoop on the Eric Embry Joe Blanchard deal wasn't that Eric Am- Eric Embry couldn't come up with the money to buy this group, but that Joe- Eric decided to use his brain and decided that it wasn't a wise investment and backed out of the deal. And some people think he didn't have a good mind for the business. Come on. <laughs> hey, and Eric goes to Puerto Rico and becomes the booker down there. And, and then well. uh, Joe probably realizes he has a business partner with a lot of money and a coke problem who he can sell the company to. Fred Baron. Yes. All right. Well, if you want, I mean, let's look at what Southwest is looking like this time. All right. So Odessa, Texas on March 26th at the Hector County Coliseum. Pat Rose against Rick Casey. Wendell Cooley in that gimmick. Paul Kelly against Enrique Vera. Holy shit. Uh, Yes. Alberto Madrill against Chicky Star. Ricky Gibson versus M.E.B. Man-Eating Beast. Scott Casey against Lord Humongous. And a junior weight title match, Ron Sexton defending against Pedro Aguayo. Then in San Antonio at the uh, Hemisphere Arena on March 28th, we had Timothy Flowers, Diamond Timothy Flowers, over Manuel Villalobos, Ricky Gibson over Paul Kelly, Pat Rose over Cheeky Star, and Enrique Vera over The Snake, Lord Humongous over Vinny Valentino. Pedro Aguayo went to a WQ with Alberto Madrill, and then the Maoris, who would become uh, the New Guinea Headhunters in Continental a year later over Scott Casey and Rick Casey. And I'm willing to bet that this humongous was um, uh, Mike Stark. I would think so. Because Jeff Van Camp is in Continental. Southeastern. Southeastern at this time, yes. So we've got one, we got one humongous in Southeastern and the other in Southwest, of course. Yes. Is this the only time we ever have two simultaneous humongi? Uh, yes. Well, and also all the '80s humongouses, humongai, we have pinned down pretty <laughs> well. So I gotta think this is probably Stark. I forget was Stark the Memphis one? Originally, yes. In '84, it's Stark, and then Jeff Van Camp gets put in the gimmick when Fuller wants to do it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. And, and you know, he's still wrestling, I guess, and he's the original, so it makes sense. I guess we should mention, yeah, yeah. given in his recent passing, that, yes, yeah, Scott Hall was briefly a humongous in Florida in, like, 88, 89, but either he or they gave no fucks, and it's literally just Scott Hall in a hockey mask. Like Sid. <laughs> Sid Continental. No, but Sid had the outfit, at least. Yeah, but he did have the hair. He had the hair that didn't fit, but still, he had the outfit. And he wore, he, he wore a tennis skirt. But he had the outfit, whereas he didn't Paul... have the he didn't have the well he had 
some of the outfits. Hall he was just a, Scott Hall in a hockey mask. Yeah, but I'm saying Sid's wearing the tennis skirt. I call it over over the thighs. Yeah, I get what you're saying. No one else had the tennis skirt gimmick before. No, nope. okay. Not the other humong. Not another humonguses. So, are we going with humonguses or humongi? I say humonguses. You can say humongi. Okay. Also, I forgot to mention earlier when we were doing southeastern. Um, my favorite thing about humongous in southeastern. Well, no, excuse me. My favorite thing... No, that's not what I meant. My favorite thing about Humongous doing the dreaded Shenanomaki is that the reason that Humongous does the dreaded Shenanomaki is that in the Mad Max, the original Lord Humongous actually does injure people doing something that resembles the dreaded Shenanomaki. And uh, again, but in the, uh, the, those movies, it's not Lord Humongous, it's The Humongous. And it's spelled without an O. And yes, it's H-U-M-U-N-G-U-S. Yes, the humongous. Yes, the Isle right. of Rock and Roll. And Paraguayo is Paraguayo. That's a, the legit one here. In, in so Southwest. is Enrique Vera. <laughs> and she, and she yeah. All right, St. Louis. What a story we got here. Harley Race is having some major issues with his partner, Bob Geigel, right now. As Harley no-showed the March 29th show at the Kiel Auditorium. After Geigel and Harley's wife got into an argument recently, where Harley's wife told Geigel that central states need to add more of the rock and roll style to their promotion, and Geigel basically told her to get back in the kitchen where she belonged. <laughs> wow. Do we know which wife this is? Um, I can't remember today. But is this the is this the first wife, or is this the the one he had for most of the latter part of his life? Um, uh, this would have been BJ. Okay, so this is, okay, BJ, who he was with for, well, you know, Be- until Beverly. Death. Yes, yes. Beverly, yes. Okay, well, BJ knew the business. <laughs> hey, she, you know what? Get is back she in wrong? the kitchen. <laughs> She's not wrong, but get back in the kitchen. I know, well, does it surprise you from Bob Geigel? Yeah, but tell Harley Race's wife that. Well, people. yeah. But Bob Geiger was a tough bastard too. I mean, he he was a, a amateur. He could, I mean, he was a champion. He could hold his own. Yeah, he's a little older than Harley, but yeah, Bob Geiger was a tough motherfucker. Yeah, no, and of course he had to say get back in the kitchen because he couldn't say knit me a sweater because he always had one. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, Harley wasn't the only one in that show. Bruce Brody in that show, the Marshall Night Show in St. Louis as well. And Dick the Bruiser took his place against Wahoo McDaniel. So, so let's talk about that show. 58-37 at the Keel, March 29th. Hey, they want more, want more rock and roll. Marty Gennetti and DJ, David Peterson, DJ Peterson in the, in the opening match over Gary Royal and Ken Timms. Gypsy Joe over Roger Kirby. American Starship, Starship Cody and Starship Eagle, Scott Hall and Dan Spivey over Art Cruz and Rufus R. Freight Train Jones. The Super Destroyer, Kerry Brown under the mask, subbing for Harley Race, beat Johnny Battelle. Jim Brunzel and Rufus R. Jones doing double duty, subbing for Dick the Bruiser, went to a 30-minute draw with a missing link of Mr. Pogo. What? Poor Jim Brunzel. Poor Jim Brunzel. <laughs> and then Dick the Bruiser, subbing for Bruiser Brody, went to a double DQ with Wahoo McDaniel 611. And then Kerry Von Eric beat Ric Flair by DQ in the title match. Flair retained at 2908. Is this the one that aired on World Pro Wrestling, or is that a different one? Well, they wrestled multiple times in St. Louis, so I'm not sure which one is 
aired or not. Probably maybe this week. But good lord. Uh, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm assuming this is more Flair and Carrie than Brody. Well, no, probably Brody too, because Brody did draw in in that city. They're drawing a pretty healthy. You know, it's not the glory days, but they're drawing a pretty healthy crowd, all things considered. Carrie taught in St. Louis. Yeah, but yeah, um, mainly that. And I mean, look, that the other thing too, though, is that it's like St. Louis Wrestling Club, even though they're you know they don't run original TV tapings anymore, is still technically a promotion. It's not just Geigle people on these shows. It's just mostly Geigle people. Like, they keep going a little longer, but it's just weird how they handled that. You know, like, what has it ever been explained why they just, just decided once Vince took over the chase not to do their own TV? I guess they just said, fuck it, we'll just import uh, Geigle's TV. Well, it wasn't. Remember, it wasn't just Geigle's TV. It was all of the affili- main affiliated promotions TV in a three-hour block. Well, yeah, but still. But yeah, that was kind of yeah. the main TV show for St. Louis, along yeah. with AWA and World Class. But all, local promos, though, for the Keel throughout all three shows. Yes. And Dave was told the Flair Carry match was good, but it seems like this town's been burnt out from all the wrestling going on there recently. Oh, you That'll think? Yeah. All right, Central States, Geigel's territory proper. They ran Lincoln, Nebraska on March 20th at the Pershing Auditorium. A Gary Roller with Dusty Wolf. Art Cruz going through a draw, Roger Kirby. Sheik Abdullah locked in the cage at ringside as Gypsy Joby, Mr. Poco. Sarsha Cody and Sarsha Pico were Bulldog, Bob Brown, and Marty Janetti. Rufus R. Jones won a steel cage match with Ken Timms in your main event. Kansas City, the next night, Memorial Hall for the 900 fans. Ugh. It's Starship, Cody Eagle of Art Cruz and Mike George by Count Out, Roger Kirby over the Black Panther, David Peterson over Dusty Wolf, Gary Roy retained the TV title, excuse me, going to a draw, Marty Janetti, Mr. Pogo retained the Central States title over Rufus R. Jones by Count Out, and then Bulldog Bob Brown and Gypsy Joe over Timothy Flowers and Sheik Abdullah subbing for Ken Thames. So, not a good house. Now, here's this <laughs> they're trying to make the Rock and Roll Express heels. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Marty Janetti, and this is in March 20th at Kansas City, sub for Ricky Morton, team with Robert Gibson in a chain match against the Vincent and Gary Royal. They lost the match because they started fighting with each other. And then Bull Bob Bob Brown cut a promo on TV afterwards saying that they would get revenge. Him and Janetti. Um, I got the card here from that night. They drew 1,200 fans at Moore Hall. 300 more than before. My Georgia Roger Kirby. Starship over David Peterson, Dusty Wolf. Now, the result here, and this is for the newspaper, just said it was an elimination match won by Gary Roll and the Missing Link. Okay. So, obviously, whatever happened involving Gennady and Gibson happened in that match. Yes. Super Destroyer over the Black Panther. Art Cruz over Ken Millsap. Bo- a boxing match, 10 rounds of boxing between Rufus R. Jones and Ken Timms. Which Rufus won, and then a steel cage match with a chain, Mister Pogo over Gypsy Joe. What the fuck? What a crew! So wait, Bob Geigel wants rock and rolls to be heels, huh? Let's of go back a does. few minutes. Harley Race <laughs> is having some major issues with his partner Bob Geigel right now, as Harley no showed the March twenty nine show in St. Louis after Geigel and Harley's wife got into an argument recently, where Harley's wife told Geigel that Central States needed to add more of the rock and roll style to their production and Geigel basically told her to get back in the kitchen where she belonged 
I'm sure these two things have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> Not a thing. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. And you see why they're drawing so little. All right, let's go to the American Wrestling Association. March 19th at St. Paul, St. Paul, Salt Palace in Salt Lake City in front of 4,502 fans. We have Buck Zumhoff over Mr. Electricity Steve Regal. Misty Blue over Linda Dallas. Something for Candy Divine against Diane Von Hoffman. Nick Botwink over Greg Gagne by disqualification. Match went 1856. Rip Martell retained the AWR Heavy over Jumpin' Jim Brunzel in 2153. That sounds like a fun ass match. Jerry Blackwell and Sergeant Slaughter over King Tong and Mass Superstar by disqualification in your main event. Denver on the 24th front of 4719. Buzz over Steve Regal. Rash over Jimmy Garvin. Blackwell and Slaughter won a handicap match of a King Tong and Mass Superstar Miss Saido. Excuse me, went to a draw. Sorry. And our main event, the Hennings. Uh, beat the Road Warriors by DQ, but the Roadies retained their AW World Tag Titles. St. Paul on the 24th, that same day, drew 5,500 fans. It's a nightcap of the, the doubleheader. Yeah, Tom Zink over Rick Stansky. Jim Brunzel go to a 20-minute draw with Billy Robinson. Steve Regal over Buck Zumhoff, the heavyweight title in 20 minutes and 30 seconds. Oh, come on. Nick Botwinkle over Greg Gagne in the DQ match. That one less than 10 minutes. The Crusher and the Hennings over the Road Warriors of Paul Ellering. Rip Martell retained the World Heavyweight title being Jimmy Garvin. And a handicap match, Blackwell and Slaughter going to a WDQ with King Tonga, Superstar, and Mitch Saito. So 5,500 there. Not that great of a house. And then Winnipeg on the 28th for, for the Wally Carbo show in front of 5628. Tom Zink over Brian Jewell. Regal over Zumhoff. Mr. Saito over Kurt Henning, Larry Henning over King Tonga, Garvin over Baron Varashka by DQ, Martel retained AWA title over Nick Botwinkle, and then Brunzel over the Road Warriors by DQ, and the Road Warriors retained their uh, their, ta- their attack titles. So these attendance figures are a little deceptive on their face because we see them drawing about the same number of people in all these towns, but 1985. St. Paul is a much bigger population base than Salt Lake, Denver, or Winnipeg. So the other three towns are actually doing pretty well. St. Paul, not so much. Not right here. No. No, they'd, they'd get better during the year. It's up and down in 85. Yeah. But the big slide is until 86. And even then, Salt Lake uh, lags behind the others. Salt Lake still draws well for a while, well into 86. Yeah. But then this promotion's not in the best shape. They're still going to be okay for a while, but it's not great. I love, by the way, I I, want to know the story behind Misty Blue and Linda Dallas uh, replacing Candy Devine versus Diane Von Hoffman. Like, how do you go from having the Tennessee women booked to Misty Blue and Linda Dallas. In Salt Lake, in Mormon country. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, who do you the, think Vern the, called and just said, do you know any other broads? <laughs> uh, maybe call Ron Jeremy. I don't know. Well, Kowalski, I guess. Because Ron Jeremy was co-starring with them in this era, so... Well, well, I think that was all before this, but this, uh, once very, in a while, it's their, this is early 85, Vix. They well, were this still... is very early in their wrestling career then, yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, when was... Uh... 
Because Hellcats would have been... No, isn't it Alley Cats? Alley Cats, whatever, 84-ish? Uh, 83, according to IMDb, at least. Oh, okay. Well, still, not too far from their porn run. All right, Pacific Northwest Wrestling. We got Eugene, Oregon on uh, March 22nd, Lane County Fairgrounds. Billy Two Eagles going to a draw with Jerry Gray. Ricky Vaughn, Lance Von Eric beat Mr. Ebony by DQ. Mega Maharishi, Ed Wiskowski over Don Running Bear. Billy Jack Gaines over Mike Miller. And then Bobby Jaggers over Carl Steiner in a Northwest title match. Steiner won by DQ. Carl Steiner, of course, Bobby De La Sera. And then we got the uh, Sports Arena in Portland on March 23rd. Rocky Ventura over Mr. Ebony. Siva Afi going to a draw with Ricky Vaughn. Bobby Jaggers over Mega Maharishi and Wisconsin by DQ. Carl Steiner over Billy Two Eagles. And Billy Jack Haynes won a steel cage match over Mike Miller. So there's Portland. Billy Jack's back, you know, helping them out here. Yes, Although he would have his issue soon. You didn't include it, but the TV is around for this week, I believe, right? Uh, not on YouTube. Not on YouTube. Okay, because that was a tape I used to have. It was a, well, we'll say it since you mentioned his name earlier, a Steve Munari beta tape that I had. Yeah, so I know YouTube. No. Um, for those who have never seen it, what is available, though, of Ed Wiskowski during the Mega Maharishi gimmick is amazing. Yes. <laughs> he was very good. All right. Uh, Rocky Maya, Rocky Maivia. Uh, Leah Maivia. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Maivia ran a show at Hilo, Hawaii, at the Andrews Gym on March 29th. We have Steve Collins against Richie Magnet. Louisiana Cowboy against the Tonga Kid. Sam Anawai, Samu, teaming with Rocky Johnson's brother Ricky against Roy Starr and Sakalia. Siva Afi against Kevin Sullivan. And then our main event, Lars Anderson against Mark Lewin. So we are beginning the Kevin Sullivan books every smaller territory uh, run. Uh, yes. So I mean, it's in Hawaii. As so. a minor poly pro shows go for the era, I mean, this is not a bad show on paper no certainly better than a lot that we've seen lineups for yeah so there you go all right let's close out with the world wrestling federation and let's tie up to lucy with bruiser brody regarding bruiser brody coming here on the heels of him jumping new japan there's been no talk between brody and wf so a deal isn't there dave said that there is always a possibility negotiation will start maybe even be completed but nothing is imminent. Yeah, it ain't happening. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that simple. It ain't happening. No. New song Kaguchi was full of shit. <laughs> so there you go. He was trying to make it sound. It's not our fault. Well, no. <laughs> it, 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 over the years in the eighties, the various jumps back and forth reflected badly on the wrestling business to a degree to the general public because of the whole Japanese employment for life mentality and all the stuff with loyalty that goes with that. And Sakuchi's tight with, with Baba. Right. So between that and that the optics are better if you say, oh, this is through the WWF. Yeah. That's why he's doing that, clearly. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Andre the Giant. Andre did a segment on the March 22nd episode of Tuesday Night Titans, 
It was the talk of the wrestling world this week because supposedly this has some real-life issues involved. Vince Man told Andre that maybe he should put something on the line in his WrestleMania $15,000 Body Slam Challenge against Big John Studd. Then said that if Andre didn't, then people may call him Yellow. At that point, Andre grabbed McMahon by the collar and told him he was going to slam Studd and then threw Vince back into his seat. Vince was visibly very upset and started throwing pencils in his coffee cup at Andre. There are already rumors that Andre was upset at how he can't work where he wants to work anymore. Okay, before we go to the clip, we've all seen part of this clip at some point. It's been a while since I have. I never thought there was anything out of sort, but I didn't realize the date. I don't think I knew that the retirement stipulation wasn't added until the last week. Did you? No. no. (laughs) That seems like a red flag that there is actually something going on, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yes, let me... Actually, wait, I don't have the screen share on, so let me make sure I get that. But, yeah, let's go to the clip and see exactly what this looks like, knowing that there was this talk at the time and that it seems like there may be a good reason for it. Right. Now, that was the very first match that you had had since Heenan, Patera, and Stud attempted to rape your dignity. You were determined more than ever to right the wrong, but you didn't quite do it all the way. On on March 31st, there's an awful lot at stake in Madison Square Garden as fans watch literally all over the world by satellite on closed-circuit television all over this country. A tremendous amount at stake because this is the final chapter that you can write. Be it Andre, finally, for the first time, bowing in defeat to Big John Studd, who's bulked up almost 400 pounds, looks better than he's ever looked in his life. Uh, $15,000 on the line as well, as they have uh, placed $15,000 in jeopardy should you slam uh, Big John Studd. I wonder... I wonder... uh, There have been a number of, of things brought a number of questions asked by Bobby Heenan and others. Is Andre the Giant willing to put up anything? They're putting up $15,000. Uh, I will tell you, I put my hair down already. They cut my hair. No, I understand that. They got my hair. But I got to tell you one thing. I don't come in the ring to be a loser. No, I understand. I never lost a match in my life. And I had to come in Madison Square Garden, not just in Madison Square Garden, but they'd be all over the world for this match. And yes. believe me, I don't come in there Okay, watching this, it's weird because this is clearly what they're supposed to be doing, but there is also a weird energy to whatever's going on. He's on Vince's face. And Andre's even before he started talking. Yeah. There's something here. Yeah. Let's go to the second half of the clip. No, I just wanted to win, and I would have given him that smile. All right, so they're putting up $15,000. Uh... And Heenan uh, makes, a, I think, a good point uh, to a certain extent. What's Andre the Giant? To a certain extent. I mean, shouldn't Andre the Giant put up something if they're putting up $15,000, regardless of who wins this match? And it could be, as you well know, for the first time, you bowing in defeat. Then again, it could be you finally righting all the wrongs. But they're putting up $15,000. Bobby Heenan thinks that you should put up something. As a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Heenan, uh, don't, don't you feel you should put up something, Andre? Well, I have to put something up. They want to lose some money. I will take that money. All right, but Heenan thinks that maybe you should put up something like that if you don't slam Big John Stud, then you have to retire from wrestling. How do you how do you think about that? 
Bobby Heenan say that? Bobby Heenan, Ken Patera, they all state that, that you should put up something, and they think that's the only fair thing for, the, for you to put up. That if you can't slam Big John Studd, then you retire from wrestling. If you do slam Stud, of course, you don't retire and you... And you uh, and I win that $10,000? Win the fifteen, yeah, $15,000. But you, don't you think you should put up something, Andre? I don't think so. Okay, but there are going to be people that state that there's a bit of yellow streak running down your back if you don't, if you don't put it up. If you don't put something up, there's going to be people... All right, Paul. There's going to be people... Uh, Andre's face just then, and when he moved his lips... From side to side, uh oh. <laughs> when he's when Vince said yellow, I was like, oh shit. He Andre does not look like he's in work mode. Look at his face. He's Let's scowling think. right now. There's a big yellow. I'm gonna tell you one thing. Nobody can be yellow, and I'm gonna take that sign, and I'm gonna take the fifteen thousand dollar, and I'm gonna walk out of it. Andre, all right. Gosh, I guess you upset him there. They cut it. On this version, yes. I'd be curious to see the network version of the whole show. This is, I think, from the Andre DVD. Or something like that. It's 24-7. Yeah, it might have been a Hall of Fame clip or something. Uh, 24-7 aired the prime times. Well, TNT's, you mean. Meant to turn the audio off there. You know what, though? It's not Classics on Demand, because that would have the bug in the top right corner. Yeah, I guess you're right. So it's presumably from a DVD or an old website clip or something, because it has the WWE logo. Um, Okay, here's the thing. Watching this, I think think the overall framework of this is what happened, right? Yeah. I, I... don't even think Andre wasn't supposed to grab him. But Vince throwing the pencil at him, which we do seem see do see seems legit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Interesting that this story has not survived over the years either. Yeah. You'd crazy, expect that to be crazy. quite the folklore. I mean, that's a crazy moment. I mean it's <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's basically almost, I mean, basically a shoot. Okay, so wait a second. This is the 22nd. Was TNT yes. still airing on Tuesdays or had it moved yet? Uh, it was March 22nd, so that so, would have been... Oh, wait, so wait a second. So the 29th, so it's Friday. Yeah. So the weekend TVs, we don't know how far in advance this was taped. When did they announce the retirement stipulation? That weekend or the weekend of the show? I, I don't remember. I don't know. Now I'm curi- very curious to look that up because to me, if we didn't have that, if we didn't have that element to it, I'd be like, eh, something seems off, but it's, it's clearly largely a work that was supposed to go that way. But the fact that the retirement stipulation is still not announced a week out, there's clearly something going on. Guess what I just found? What? I I found it from the Coliseum Andre the Giant video. Let's see if there's any difference here. Okay. All right, so this is from Coliseum Video. I just sent you the link in the chat. So let's see how, if there's any difference in the ending. Okay. Could be the same one, but let's see. Well, let's say it's, it's from the Coliseum video from 86. 
put up something, and they think that's the only fair thing for, the, for you to put up. That if you can't slam Big John Studd, then you retire from Well, I can skip ahead a little bit. So. I know it took $15,000. Well, no, I skipped ahead today. Yeah, Andre. All right. Gosh, I guess you upset him there. Okay, it ends oh, in the same spot. So- yeah, there you go. Oh, you know what it was probably taken from then? Because this looks like it's from what? the VHS. I think the other one was taken from the DVD version, that the budget DVD. Probably. Because that, I think, did have a logo bug. Okay. Um, there's something going on here, but what is it? Andre's probably pissed. You know, that, again, like Dave said, he's pissed that he can't go work all the territories because he loved that. And Vince, something's going on there between him and Vince. Searching so. newspapers.com for Andre the Giant with retire um, for March 85. Let's see if anything comes up that could never. But they never, really, they never really played that up, though. It was part of it, but it wasn't played up heavily, the $15,000. I mean, it wasn't even played up that heavily, heavily on WrestleMania relative to the other that's what cars. I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, does this have anything? Okay, no. That's really weird. Is the t- is the syndicated TV for late March up anywhere? Or? Yeah, but I mean that's a wild. I wouldn't worry about that. That's a wild crapshoot. So yeah. Okay, you know, here we. Okay, so for what it's worth, March 29th, Evansville Courier and Press does mention the retirement stipulation. Okay. Well, there you go. But I'm not sure if there's anything before that that does. So that's interesting. All right, but anyway, that's quite the segment there. Well, that's, let's go to a totally different situation. On the March 27th episode of Hot Properties, oh boy, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T join host Richard Bowser as uh, WrestleMania hype is going on, and uh, Bells wanted to uh, experience what it was like to be put in the wrestling hole. Well, boy, did he. Let's go to the clip. And we're not playing anything from earlier in the interview, right? Oh, this version is just the demonstration. Just demonstration, yeah. Is the whole thing online anywhere? Because this one is um, just the end. I think the whole thing is was it's fairly long. Yes. Now, and this is actually this is taken from when Belzer comes back the following week, because it has um, it has his recap at the, the end. The whole well, part the partial show is online. Panoni's got it on one of his channels. 24 minutes, 36 seconds. But still, this is not the original broadcast. This is the following week, I think, because he showed the clip when yeah. he... Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, we had a very ugly incident here last week on the show. Um, Hulk Hogan and Ms. T were here, and um, uh, Hulk Hogan did a demonstration, and he... He hurt me real bad. I split my head open, and I was knocked unconscious and so on. So um, just to show that I'm not a part of their promotional tool and this was real, I want you to take a look at this clip. And keep in mind, this was real. Take a look at it, and remember, I had no idea what was about to happen. And I'll be right back. Now, the first thing you need to know about amateur wrestling yes. or professional wrestling <laughs> or submission holds, you just tell me, brother, when you want him to quit squealing, okay? All right. It's called a front chin lock. That's not the name. How about it, T? Keep him like that for a little while. <laughs> he's all right. He's just sleeping. He's sleeping. Really, that's, I was a sleeper hole. He'll be all right. 
He's waking up now. That was a serious right, move. A lot of people. See, it worked. You can see a puddle of blood. Yes. Even on this degraded copy. Yes, you see the red blood on the floor. And you can hear someone in the audience say Jesus when they see the blood. Yeah. We'll be right back after this word from you know who. You hear this? We'll be right back. Blood running down the back of the suit. Okay, I had no uh, idea when I said it, when I got up and said we'll be right back. I had no idea where I was. I was in shock. And just I know I'm bringing doing this a little bit, maybe going too far. But can we get a close up of these stitches? Because I saw Bill Cosby today, and he thought it was a hoax. And if he thought, can we read that? Is that? Can you see that? Can you see those stitches? I'm sorry to do that to you. I, I, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to uh, to show you. And this is not the first incident between a professional wrestler and a television interviewer. Watch what happened to ABC's 2020 reporter, John Stossel. Maybe fake violence. Okay, well, we don't it, need that. Yeah. Um, I forget, what day did the 2020 thing air? That was earlier. It was a um, week or week and a half earlier, maybe? Something like that, yeah. It was in March. Okay, let's let's just get ahead of this right now. If Hogan puts him out and gently sets him down, there's no lawsuit, no controversy. Yes. He dropped him like a sack of potatoes. He just let—he put him out and let him go. Yeah. Do you— Do you think he knew Belzer was out? He must have, right? If you have a front face lock on— you know, I mean, really, it's more guillotine choke than front face lock. And you put someone out with that, you know. Somebody else uploaded the video and their uh, quote was, stupid prick deserved it <laughs> to my bells. <laughs> so wait, what's the, the version you were talking about that's like half an hour? I don't see that. Oh, no. Or is it listed? It, did you search? Yeah, right there, right there, right there. there. You're looking at... I see there it. it is. Hot, it says hot properties. Yeah, so this so, has yeah. the actual interview. Yeah, so we have all that, but... Well, actually, we you know what? Else. There is another clip I want to see here that we didn't have... What we didn't have here, though, and I think the shorter one is from the original, we don't have them coming back with Belzer's producer as he's being rushed to the hospital. So I think that should be here. So let's see. Yeah, you know it. The start's at the end of the interview, and then... Okay, yeah, here we go. I'll see you next week. Yeah, okay. Here you uh, Richard was hurt. It was an accident. Uh, Hulk didn't mean to do it. Uh, these things television. happen in television. It is live television. And now I think Hulk and TV should just talk about this kind of thing, how it can happen, and how to avoid it. Well, you know, um, I feel really bad about the situation. Richard asked me to demonstrate a professional wrestling hold, and that's exactly what I did. I uh, pushed what is called a front chin lock on the man, and uh, when I released him, he fell and hit his floor. It's, it's a situation where... Uh, you need to be a professional at all times, and, and the type of hold when I would put that on, on, a, on a professional wrestler, I would apply probably ten times as much pressure. I didn't realize that uh, apparently he doesn't do any physical training at all. You know. Shut the fuck up. You just hurt the guy. <laughs> he shook, though. You can tell he realizes he fucked up, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm assuming the Pannoni version has better audio. Um <laughs> Yes, it definitely yeah, does. Um, but it's a longer deal. I know, but let, let me just see if there's anything else here. 
Actually, yeah, I think that one was cut off. I think the producer actually introduces himself in a version I've seen. Let's see. Richard was hurt. It was an accident. Uh, oh, Hulk maybe didn't not. Need to do it. Uh, live these things television. happen in television. It is live television. And now I think Hulk and T should just talk about... Okay. I would apply probably ten times as much pressure. I didn't realize that uh, right. apparently he doesn't do any physical training at all. You know, I, I'm not sure because... <laughs> You know, you know, I don't. I'm not saying that in a smart way. I, I really apologize. I mean, you know, usually something like that, eyes. I could He's put on Mr. Out. T, and there would be no problem at all. You know, because he didn't uh, give me any type of sign or say anything. I, you know, it's a situation where I just like to warn people that if you're not a professional athlete or not a professional wrestler, don't try to copy what you see the athletes or the professional wrestlers do on TV. All right, in the, the add to what the Hulk's saying, this man is the champion of the world in wrestling. I don't know if you've seen the piece a while back. On 2020, a reporter asked one of the wrestlers who was wrestling fake or for real. So the wrestler slapped the interviewer twice upside the head. The guy wanted to know, was it fake or for real? I think he found out it was for real. Like I was saying earlier, I said, this is not a joke. You see me training out here, I am serious. I don't get in that ring with these two guys I'm going up against Sunday. Joking. These guys are dangerous. I got to know what I'm doing. I used to be much fatter. I've trimmed down. I lost 27 pounds in four weeks. Like I said, I've been training with the Hulk. You know, in this we're training hard. I'll be eating right. We're throwing each other around. I have to be in top physical condition. I've been examined by a doctor, make sure I'm healthy. It's too, it's, it's too many people going around saying, hey, I think it's phony. I think this here, you know. The man asked, this is the champion. I wouldn't ask him myself to put me in a wrestling hole. He didn't get to be the heavyweight champion of the world in wrestling by playing. He's ready. We're ready for Sunday. Okay, but the point of this is that when, when Hulk got up and started to walk over there with Richard, I mean, there was a little sign between the two of you, like, we're going to teach him a lesson or something like that. So it did get a little dangerous. Wait, 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 let, let, let me explain. Number one, like I said, we are at our peak right now. Today is Wednesday. Like I said, what's my idea to do this show, man? We, I, I didn't want to be doing interviews. We should be in training right now. The guys we're going against, Roddy Roddy Piper and Paul Undorf and Orton, them guys ain't gave one interview. They are training. They are sleeping. Man, he did not start it well. But T stumbled into a very good defense there, didn't he? Yeah, he did. T, T is carrying this whole thing right here. It started Hogan, bad. He should not have brought up Stossel. He should not. No, but... But once he gets into the whole training camp thing, which was part of the build to the match in the first place... Yeah. So, bonus points for that, I guess... It's a, like he's figuring out a better point. Like, oh, well, wait a second. We're peaking our training camp right now. I didn't want to do media. Piper and Orndorf aren't doing media. They're smart. You know, like he's right. It's like we're in our peak condition. We're, you know, like right now we it's going to affect someone differently. Like he's he figured out a very good way to deal with this after the first 30, 45 seconds. We were not getting interviews when I said I came because they told me it was some, it was some a sick kids They here. told us there were 50 crippled children here That's in right. wheelchairs. That's why we're here today. Before we came down, there was a little sick child. He was dying. Came to our hotel. Well, that was his wish to meet meet the Hulk and Mr. T. Well, there are children here. And they're all right, all right, I'm saying, all right, I'm saying, we're here. 
we can understand that, but well, you know, the premise of why we came on the show, they told us oh, there were 50 children here, which is, we're happy to be here, don't get us wrong. Yeah, we feel real bad about the incident that just happened. You know, um, when the man asked me to put the uh, wrestling hold on him, it, it was the most simple hold I could think of without taking him down on this hard floor or anything, you know, right. but when somebody asked me to show him a professional wrestling hold, especially when they sit here and laugh in my face, when I'm talking to him, I just showed him the simplest hold that I knew, and I thought he would at least be able to, you know. Well, Richard is the host and a very good one, and he yes, wasn't oh, laughing, I agree he was not I laughing agree in your you. face, and we hope everything is all right. He's, I, uh, hope he's, I hope he's all right, too. Okay. I really That's do. All right, we're just going to take a commercial now. When we come back, we'll try to figure out what we're doing. Thank you. Okay, I do want to go back a little and see what the producer mentioned about how it looks like they're giving each other the Iggy before in the evening, take their shirt. before Hogan puts him in the hall. But in the meantime, you can tell Hogan is has all these thoughts racing through his head that he knew to put him in something that would not hurt him, and did, but did it in a way where he ended up hurting him. Yeah. You know, like, he had the presence of mind to, like, I'm not going to put him in, like, any kind of armbar or anything. Something that could cause, like, an injury in and of itself. But then he does it. All right, so let's see. Let's see what the actual lead up to the... So wait, what time do they go start walking over? Okay, so that's at 17 minutes. Okay, so let's go back about a minute or so. He offered me a lot of money if I do his things his way. Well, you know, I'm still wrestling the same way. The fact that I started training, saying my prayers, eating my vitamins, and I got rid of Freddie Blassie, that's what the people got off on, you know. I don't need his guidance anymore. The fact that I go in the ring, I try to wrestle fairly, but when somebody takes a cheap shot at me, I like to give them a little receipt, you know. Uh -huh. It's kind of like do unto others before they do unto you. And that's what the people in New York City and all over the world get off on, man, because I'm a survivor, I take care of business, and the thing is, I fear no man. I believe you. Can you dig it? I can Are dig you a man? I can dig it twice. Are you a man? What do you think? I really don't know. You want to step outside? I'm just kidding. Why don't you guys, no, why don't you guys, I want you to show me some, some, no, we ain't showing some you moves. Can you didn't come here, you didn't come here to show no moves, man, you know. We didn't come I'm talking to him, you know? man, okay? You want to see some moves? You got your clothes oh, circuit ticket. Squeal. <laughs> All right, we go. Okay. Do you think Hogan knows he's on the mic there? No, but Be Belzer, Belzer is, is, is agging this on. He is, but he thinks they're gonna do like the Kevin Von Erich putting the body scissors on uh, Larry Matizik kind of thing. Like he knows that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't mean that specific example, but I mean like you get what I'm saying. Yeah, but you can obviously tell Mr. T is not in this, and I think that's what got Hogan too. Is T is how T's acting, and T was immediately like, "No, yes." So, so Hogan, are we gonna show you some moves? Come on, elementary. We're gonna show you some over here. So you think he didn't know they could hear him say, "I'm gonna make this speak"? Hogan has thoughts running through his head as he's walking over by the band. Yes. Now, uh, there, there, yeah, there's certain uh, terminology in wrestling. For certain, we're gonna show you the body slayout. Take those glasses off. We're gonna, gonna show you the body slayout. <laughs> take off my glasses. We will show you the peach. I just realized something, Chris. Yeah. Up to this point, up to this week, how many points in his life has Hogan probably ever worn a lav mic? Probably very few times. There you go. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Greek sandwich. You just stay right there. Don't you come over here. That's right. Okay. You know. Now, uh, the camel crusher, what's that? Camel clutch. I don't camel use clutch. that move because... Well, show me one of the moves that you, you use. What's well, your famous move? Well, I'm going to have to stick to the basics with you. The floor is a little hard here, and I don't want you getting hurt. There's something Well, I don't want you getting uh, hurt either, so, you know, be careful. Yeah, you can apply, you know, nice and easy if you bend over. Ah! <laughs> no, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's All right, okay. Now, the first thing you need to know about amateur wrestling... So, okay, then it's where the clip from the following week picks up. I'm very curious to go back now and see if he hit his head on the floor when he did that pratfall. Right, yeah. Because... If he just hit his head, that would sure explain why he went out so fast, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, I don't have the clip downloaded, so I... C oh, wait, no. He's already fallen there. All right. All right. What's that? Camel clutch. I don't Camel use clutch. that move because... Well, show me one of the moves that you, you use. What's well, your famous move? Well, I'm going to have to stick to the basics with you. The floor is a little hard here, and I don't want you getting hurt. There's something Well, I don't want you getting hurt either, so, you know, be careful. Yeah, you can apply, you know, nice and easy if you bend over... Ah! No, sir. I'm sorry. We don't see him, but you hear a hard crack. It's possible. Yeah. Huh. I mean, who knows? It, 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 like, it looks like almost like he's taking a bump. Like, he knows to throw his arms out, but he's probably not tucking his chin. No, it's not a clear shot. It's not, no, because they're switching, and he goes off camera as he does it. But, okay, yeah. now that we have a little more context... Hogan talking about the floor and stuff, I don't think he mentions that if he's planning on hurting him. Do you? No. Okay. So, what do we think happened here? We think this is... Uh, Belzer goes out so quick that Hogan freaks out and lets him slide out? Yeah, Hogan's scared. Hogan's scared of death. Because also, it is a live show. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is live, folks. That's why everything is, is doing what it's doing. Yeah. Do, do you think if this is not a live show, he does this? I don't. No. He says, and eh, no, I'm in training, blah, 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 and expects them to edit it out, if anything. Right. Yeah. I'm curious to watch the whole interview, but it's like he's... No, well, uh, we ain't got nothing No, not now. Yet. No, no, I mean, you know, later. But, you know, not while we're recording, but you watch it, and it's like, you know what? Belzer's very salty towards him. He kind of is, but he's not being dismissive. He's not. I mean, he's just very salty. And those are two guys where you, I don't know if you can. Well, Hogan, you probably could have been if T wasn't there. I think Hogan is in a totally different mindset with T there. Like Hogan has to be tough because T's there, you know? Yes, I think so. And I mean, something else that just hit me that I never thought of before, though, Chris. Yeah. Why is this obscure cable talk show even on part of their media tour? I don't know. Lifetime is uh, not big at this point. No. No one it's would Neil. remember that, even with yeah. all the stuff Belzer's done since, no one would remember this show if not for this night. York. New York is, is, is playing to New York. That's all it is. That there are certain media types who probably enjoy Richard Belzer, so why not? In New York. Yeah. They try to sell tickets. Well, it's a national outlet, though. Does it? Well, still, it's probably mainly people in New York are watching. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, also because New York had has had cable longer than most too. Good cable coverage. So, well, let's jump. Let's jump ahead in the future. All right. So, Richard Belzer yes. was on uh, the old Sports Look show on ESPN, which will become up close with Roy Firestone. I used to love watching. Well, actually, wait. Should we play that first, or should we play Mr. T the next night first? 
Well, I want to play Belzer first. Okay. So, so Belzer is at Roy Firestone asked Belzer about this. You know, it's 1990, and this is the time of the lawsuit. So, uh, let's go to Bells and uh, Roy Firestone. Okay, I think this is right after the settlement, if I remember right. Um, are we going to play the whole nine minutes, or let's play the clip? We'll see what happens. Addison's guests Hulk Hogan and Mr. T then promoting one of their matches. Richard traded light banter with Hogan and Mr. T. Apparently they didn't appreciate Belzer's wit. Suddenly Hogan put Richard into a sleeper hold, picked up Richard, and then tossed him to the ground. Think wrestling's fake? Uh-uh. Richard Belzer spent time in a hospital, suffered a lacerated skull, also suffered some permanent spinal injury. He sued both Hogan and Mr. T, but before the case went to trial, they settled the case out of court. Today, why Richard Belzer doesn't think Hulk Hogan is such a great guy. And Mr. T, by the way, will not win any Lifetime Achievement Awards either, with a man they once called Koozie Belzer in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 25 years ago because of his basketball dribbling, and he's still dribbling these days. But you know, Richard Belzer on sports. Later, he is one of the most intense coaches in professional basketball. His story is inspiring, and it's also chilling. How the muscle man of Minnesota, Bill Musselman, purged his haunted... Thank you. This, uh, this Congratulations, is, by the way, yes, on your we, new baby. We had a baby on uh, last Friday night. What and position? <laughs> yes, right. It's going to be a point guard, point guard, point forward. Andrew Kira, all seven, seven pounds, eleven ounces. Mm, so seven eleven. Seven eleven. That's right. He's got a little already got something built in. Um, I want to ask you about this thing at the top. This this incident. Now people played it up for laughs on the on the circuit for a while. They said uh, this was all kind of pre-planned. You guys all had it in. Right. It was I all wish. publicity. Not not so, huh? No, as a matter of fact, Bill Cosby said, I saw him in the Letterman show uh, right after this happened. He goes, oh, you're doing a little trick, aren't you? And I showed him the scar and everything. It was, it was no joke, and uh, I wouldn't do it again in any form or fashion, either fake or real. It was just, it was a weird thing. I had my own talk show, and you don't expect to be injured on your show, do you? No. Okay, I mean, you've had great athletes on, boxers, all kinds of people, physical people. So I had this show, Hot Properties, and someone who worked for me said, uh, this is the first year of WrestleMania, so they're going on this big publicity blitzkrieg. And that's an apt word, I can yes. assure you, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and they said, uh, we can get Hulk Hogan and Mr. T on this show. I said, great, because yeah. I didn't really care. But they said, but it'd be good for ratings. I said, fine, you know, so ratings are everything. So the, the day of the show, like three, four hours before the show, someone who works for Mr. T calls my office and says, uh, Mr. Belzer, Mr. T will not do the show unless there are 50 children in the audience, and some of them crippled. So wait a minute. You want me to get some kids and cripple some of them and bring them to the house? What do you mean? He said, no, no, we did. He, he wants kids in the audience. I said, well, it's three hours before the show. He said, well, I'm sorry, that's what he wants. Said, all right, all right. So I call my staff and I said, we've got to get some kids here today. And what are we going to do? Said, well, just go to some school with a school bus. When the kids come out, sedate them, you know, put Hot Properties t-shirts on them and get them on the bus. Bring them out Yeah, right. so we went to this school, like Our Lady, the Connecticut Turnpike, you know, some school. <laughs> and we got the kids there. And we actually got, like, you know, 45 kids. None of them were, uh, you know, injured. But So they're in the audience, T-shirts on. And then, like, an hour before the show, I'm in makeup. As you know, you have to be made up before you exist on television. Yes. Being made up. And this woman who I spoke to on the phone who works for Mr. T comes into the makeup room and says, uh, Mr. Belzer, we're kind of walking on eggshells, on eggshells around Mr. T today because he's in a bad mood. He's in a bad mood. Ethiopia's in a bad mood. He wasn't, a, he wasn't on the A-team. He'd be doing 30 years for manslaughter. He's in a bad mood. To myself, I said that. To yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> Out loud, I said, okay, we'll be very nice. So, like, 
45 minutes later, Mr. T does in fact show up. Now he's got, you know how he dresses, when he had like a tracksuit on, gold chain, right. and he had this baton with a spring in the middle that he was pumping. And he came in and goes, now I don't know what genetic experiment went awry here, but <laughs> this guy is not of this earth. He's the most imposing, scary, I mean, I know a lot of people. This guy's yeah. just a scary, menacing type of person. And I, you know, I try to be nice. Hello, Mr. T, how you doing? Welcome to the show. And I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. Finally, through his interpreters, I realized <laughs> that he was saying, where's my dressing room? Where's my dressing room? And I said, oh, it's back there. So he goes back to his dressing room, pumping the thing. I'm sure he'd been a big fan of yours, by the way. You had a long yeah, track right. record. Yeah, right. He knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> we used to do a double. <laughs> so, <laughs> tea and bells. Right. So, um, bells and tea. So then, like, about 20 minutes later, Hulk Hogan comes in. Now, Hulk Hogan, can I stand up here? Sure, for a you second? can do it. Hulk Ooh, Hogan is uh, six foot eight or six nine. He weighs 329 pounds. I'm six one. I weigh 150. Right. Newsweek magazine called me the pencil arm comedian. So, obviously, <laughs> Now, Hogan walks in like, like he just sat on a rhino. You know, it's like he has so many steroids. <laughs> That he's like perverted the very idea of what it is to be human. You know, it's like Macy's Day Parade. He just came out like this, and, was, and he comes over to me, grabs my hand, and he goes, "How you doing, dude? You're a real funny dude. I like you, dude. You're a real funny dude. I like you, dude." And what do I have a hat on? I'm in Colorado, dude. Yeah, myself, I said that. I'll lie. By, <laughs> by the way, yes. you know, we we actually have the clip of it again with it. The way it played on the air. Let's run that, and then we'll talk about sure. it, what was going through your mind when it happened. Okay, uh -oh. this is the way it appeared in March of '85. All right. Now, the first thing you need to know... Okay, I'll skip ahead. In the meantime, I found um, an article from the South Florida Sun Sentinel from the UPI wire from the 28th. Okay, not reading the whole thing, just a couple quotes that are in here. So a lifetime publicist, Michael Cates, told them Hulk put Belzer in a sleeper hold. I guess he really, it really put him to sleep because he passed out without Hulk knowing it. Belzer hit his head on the ground and apparently cut the back of his head. He was really bleeding profusely. Hospital spokesman said Belzer was, quote, awake, alert, and fine. And then a spokeswoman for the show said he did walk out on his own. He was conscious. Hulk Hogan and Mr. T rushed backstage and apologized most enthusiastically. Hulk said he didn't think he had put much pressure on Belzer's neck. He didn't realize how strong he is. Mr. Belzer is not planning any legal action. <laughs> well, times have changed. Well, it's the next day. <laughs> All um. <right>. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So let me skip here. He's just sleeping. All right. All right. Back after this word from you know who. Oof. Now that was no no play. I mean, there was no put on there. You Not that was blood behind. We'll, let's take a look. We'll narrate this now. You tell us what what, what you were feeling like. Well, this is like the time I got shot by Hinckley. You want me to go over again? <laughs> oh, no, really? All right. This, what, See, what, the thing is, he said, here? "Signal me if it hurts." Right? Yeah. So I tried to signal. He didn't ignored it. Right now, here I'm trying to signal, but I'm, I have no strength here. My arm, I'm limp. I'm gone. Boom. You know, we didn't say this earlier. We should point out, he's very obviously trying to put him out, though. Because he's hooking him to get both carotid arteries like he's doing a real choke. He's not doing a working front face lock on him. Yeah, H Hogan's trying to rough him up. But if you just put a guy out with a blood choke and then wake him up, no harm, no foul. Yeah. You know, the guy's not hurt. Whatever. The problem is he does not hold on to him and set him down gently. No. Back the bells. 
See, he cuts, you, when you cut off the carotid artery, the blood to the brain, you go, your brain goes, check, please. Because, you know, your brain needs oxygen. Well, we're humans. We need oxygen. Yeah. So I was unconscious while I was in his arms. Now, he's not a wrestler because he left Harvard Divinity School. You know, he's not a bright woman. So what does he do? He takes his arm away. And as you can see, I fell of my own weight, hit the back of my head. Now, I jumped up and said, we'll be right back. Yeah. My doctor said, I don't know how you were in shock. How did you do that? I said, show business is not only in my blood. It's on my jacket. It's on the floor. <laughs> You know, I mean, I don't know how I did that. By the way, Lou Albano, uh, Captain Lou. Uh, and we have a mutual friend, Lou and I. Yes, uh, who that's Cindy, Cindy Lauper. Lauper. You just did a film with Cindy yeah. Lauper. But he was on the show, and he talked about the... Not with me. Well, on this show. Right. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant on my... Right, right. <laughs> the showmanship of professional wrestlers, the fact that they're athletes and they're show people. This is what he said back then. Uh, as I said, I believe in professional wrestlers are without a doubt some of the finest December athletes in the world. But we will understand that there was showmanship involved while they... Wait, did that graphic say wrestling promoter? He was promoting. Oh, he was? And that, okay. And that, yeah. Great fine athletes. But this, as we said before, was no show. Now, you must have had some major resentment towards a guy that could have killed you. I mean, he came, yeah, he came very close to killing me. I was told by sports medicine experts that if I had fallen a few inches either way, I could be crippled for life, I could have been dead. It's like a building coming up and hitting you in the head when you, when you fall a dead weight like that. And you I settled, sued. You settled out of court. Well, I sued them, and it took years. Uh, I had to, you know, America's a weird place. I mean, I'm not going to live in anywhere else, but the judicial system. He, you saw what he did on live television, right? I think I take the tape with my lawyer, I go to the judge, I say, babe, Five million. Now what? No. His lawyer, I sued Mr. T, I sued Hulk Hogan, I sued Vince McMahon, I sued the World Wrestling Federation. I sued them all. And every one of their lawyers got to depose me. So for hours, for like three or four days, six, seven hours a day, they asked me questions like, did you smoke marijuana in 1953? I think I did. You know, <laughs> did your wife pose nude for Playboy? Did yours answer the question? You know, it's like they asked these questions that had nothing to do with what happened. So your trial was set on January 2nd, 1990. On December 29th, the last working day of the decade, my lawyers and his lawyers got together, or their lawyers, and uh, they made an offer that I couldn't refuse. It would have been a hell of a court, court appearance for all of us. You're gonna have guys, guys with feathers and stuff. It would have been wild. It would have been wild because the press pool had applied to have cameras there, so they, it would have been would have been scary. something maybe wanted to televise. But everything worked out just fine. We'll come back more with the guy they once called Koozie Belzer in Connecticut. We'll talk about that. The early days of Richard Belzer as a basketball star. All right. Okay. <laughs> Belzer's wife, by the way. Harley uh, McBride, yes. Harley McBride, who was in Lady Chatterley's Lover. And every time Bells would be on Howard Stern, that came up. <laughs> well, Howard would say, call call her a porn star. <laughs> softcore porn. And then he would say softcore, no penetration. <laughs> oh, man. Or no, he wouldn't. Uh, no, he wouldn't say that. No, he'd say erotic thriller. Erotic thriller, yes. Oh, I love bells, but I mean, he he tells it there about. I mean, Mister T was. I mean, we could tell he was not in a good mood at all. And how about he demanded there be fifty kids in wheelchairs there? Do you buy that? No. <laughs> do you now? Do you do you buy the Hogan and T version on the show? That they only um, did this because they were told there were going to be all these kids there. Yes. Yes, I did. Because it does explain why they're doing this weird kind of unknown cable talk show. Yes. That I, airs I, for I, at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. 
now that I hear this, I definitely believe that Hogan and T were told that. Exactly. All right, well, T, the next night, was on David Letterman. That's a media appearance that he would gladly do, because it's Letterman. It's on NBC. So, and it's said late at night, not early in the morning. Well, so, the appearance, well. Afternoon, afternoon. afternoon. It's, it's taped, taped in the afternoon. afternoon. Yeah, yeah, it's not live. Taped in the afternoon. So it's not early in the morning, live. So uh, let's go to Mr. T on David Letterman, and uh, this comes up. So let's go to the clip. Yeah, I went about what I think we figured like a minute before they really get into that so, a minute or two. Yeah, Keith, let me. It wasn't my idea to come here because I was supposed to be in training. You know, we've been in we've been in New York City for a week doing all kind of crazy shows and things like that when we should be training. Uh, okay, I take this very serious. It's no, not a joke with me wrestling out here, getting out there with these guys, Roddy Roddy Piper, Paul, Mister Wonderful, Ondorf, and Ace Bob Orton. These guys are, are professional. They've been wrestling for years, and they cheap shot artists. They dirty. They do everything trick in the book so i cannot take these ass lightly they are strong they're, they're in physical condition so i've been training myself for five five weeks i've lost 27 pounds so we can't take these guys lightly we got to be training every moment of the day dave making out of t's eyeline the he can't stop talking gesture with his hands um now you bring up a good point. See, you see, you clown. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me say something. You clown enough. You clown it. One of these days, I don't know what it's going to take. You know, it's going to take a couple more you, you reporters, you host guys, to get hurt for you to realize that wrestling is serious. You know. Now wait a minute. You know. That's right. Ooh, nothing. Guy got, got hurt last night. All right, now wait a minute. Let me let, say let, let me tell you about the guy who got no, hurt last we don't, night. We're not going to talk about the guy. No, I, no, I, no, I, no, no. He was the host. Not. He was the host. Was told Hulk Hogan first. I was out there first. He clowned around trying to make fun of Mr. Team, joking all the time. He's silly. The guy happened. To... Dave is pissed because this is his friend that he is talking about. Yes. It is very obvious. Yes. And it's very obvious that out of respect for Belzer is why he was not going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Be deranged Dave, for the world. Go ahead. Dave's not happy. No, visibly not happy. As a federation champion, going to come out there, Hulk Hogan, three hundred five pounds, six eight. They come out there, put me in a wrestling hole. Show me a wrestling hole. Well, so see, I, have put him in I the, haven't said so that. Have I? put him in a wrestling hole. No. He's in the hospital probably today. <laughs> now, okay, now it's my turn to talk. Uh, I also like how T is wearing either an inside out or a somehow already washed so much it's faded WrestleMania shirt. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell which it is, though. If yeah. we if we got to see the back, then we'd see if there was a tag or whatever, but anyway. Excuse me. Um... That was him! That wasn't me! It was him! Now, let me... I'm trying to keep my composure. I told this my man was going to come out here later, you know. Yeah. I say, look here, man, the guy got to get out there and try to be telling a lot of jokes. I'm not in the mood for a lot of jokes. I'm very tired, I'm irritable, and I'm mean. I'm very snappy, well, you know. The perfect He yes, said, no, then, he said, it? no. 
He said, no, he said, no, David gonna be all right, you know. So I said, all right, now. I said, I might have to tear the desk up out there. No, you're not gonna tear anything up. Now, listen, I, I haven't said what? anything derogative about you or wrestling or no, anything. I, I do have a question. You said you came to New York. You don't have time to do TV shows. You're serious about wrestling, your training, so on and so forth. The night before the big match, you and uh, Mr. Hogan are gonna be up all night doing a live television show. Now, how serious can you be? That's very serious. That makes us very mean. You stay up all night long. <laughs> You'll be drowsy. You said we'd be drowsy. You'd be drowsy you'd be drinking or doing drugs. We don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't do drugs. But you're going to be up all day. It's a very long day. You get up, you go in at 10, you stay all well, night. We're going to take it out on our opponents. <sighs> well, you, you know, you should be home resting. If you're really serious about this, you'd get a good night's sleep the night before. No. All right. I guess that's all we need for now. Um, which, by the way, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more if we do, you know, the Saturday and the Sunday with Mania and everything next year. Yeah. No, but they were, I'm assuming they were going to have some role on SNL the night before. Maybe the Fernando Fernando's Hideaway sketch was always planned because that's improv anyway. They weren't the host of the show until Tuesday. Yeah. Steve Landisberg was going to be the host. Some kind of family emergency with his mom falling ill. By the end of the week, they knew she was okay, and he went back to New York and was able to do a, you know, basically do what his planned opening monologue would have been just as a guest stand-up monologue in the middle of the show. But that's why Hogan and T hosted, and that's also why if you've ever seen the whole show, outside of their monologue, the only dialogue they have in the whole episode is in the Fernando sketch. That's it. Because nothing was written for them. <laughs> no, but that season's like that anyway. I mean, there. I mean, that is a that is one of the oddest seasons. I love that season. That's one of the oddest seasons in SNL history. So a lot of different yeah. stuff that season. Yes, but Which, a whole other story. But yeah, um, T. Boy, I T mean, he did not help, did he? <laughs> well, T is pissed off. I mean. And he threw McMahon under the bus there. And Vince is on that show, too. We don't have, sadly, Vince ain't on YouTube. No. But, uh, yeah, so Vince is on that night, too. So, I mean, T is making it sound like he's doing this against his will. <laughs> you know? That Vince is making him do this, which he probably was. So, And it's not like T hadn't been on Letterman before, either. <laughs> he was on Letterman a, a couple years earlier. So, yeah. And it's NBC. The network that he's on. So, yes, what a I wild... wish that one was online, but it's not. It, it, even though now there were three, you know, the '89 appearance used to never be online. Now there are three different copies on YouTube. <laughs> Funny how that works. And of course, the one where Vince was uh, the, the correspondent on what New Year's Eve? I think New Year's Eve '85. Yeah. Well, New Year's Eve '84. Was it '84? Yeah, it's '84. Oh, okay. And I, yeah, that is, that's the one that's the white whale now, though, is that, is that Mania Week appearance, right? Because I don't yeah. think he's on at all between 85 and 89, is he? No. Or wasn't there, like, one other correspondent appearance besides the Baby New Year thing? I think there was one other one, yeah. But, anyway, let's get to house shows. Oakland, Alameda Coliseum Arena on March 18th for a 3165. Les Thornton of Jose, Jose Luis Rivera. Jim Norton over Barry O, seven for Barry Wyndham. George Wells over Buddy Rose. 
Mr. Wrestling 2 over Moondog Spot, Rocky Johnson over Alexis Smirnoff, The Spoiler over Terry Gibbs, and Andre the Giant and the Junkyard Dog over Big John Studd and Ken Patera. And then LA, the next night, sports arena for the 2700 for the same exact results. And uh, that's not good houses there on either one of those cards. Yeah. Um, Real quick, uh, were any of these guys on the Garden Show on the 17th? Uh, well, I, mean, I don't have many notes, so I have to go find it. I'm just curious because yeah. that's cross country. Let me go find it as I take a, a minute here to go look. <laughs> All right, so March 17th. Uh, Barry O, Jim Neidhart, George Wells, Andre, JYD, Stud Patera. All, yeah, all those guys were on that show. Oh, wonderful routing, isn't it? Yeah. Work the guard in one night, then work a double shot in California. Well, not a double shot, but still, then then you just go straight to California. Yeah. All right. Uh, the, another crew was in Cincinnati at Riverfront Coliseum on March 20th, where the last three matches broadcasts on local radio station WLW, 700 AM. We have Tiger Chung Lee losing to the Cobra. Bret Hart over Rene Gallet, Jimmy Snook over Matt Bourne. Don Morocco over Tony Atlas. Wyndham and Rotunda retained the tag titles over Sheik and Volkov. King Kong Bunny over Sweet Hansen. And Hogan retained the title, beating Brutus Beefcake by disqualification. Because, yes, Beefcake is in the rotating no storyline challenger role at this point for reasons you can probably guess. Oh, of course. Kobo in Detroit on March 22nd, 8,000 fans. We have George Wells going to a draw, Buddy Rose. Wrestling 2 over Rene Gallet. King Kong Bundy over Jose Luis Rivera. Jesse Ventura over S.D. Jones. Dom Rock over Sweet Hansen. Bruce Beefcake over Barry O. And J.Y.D. and Tito over Orndorff and Greg Valentine by disqualification. That's a jumbled up show. Yes. And now that that is down from the first two shows in Detroit, though. Or the first, the first two shows in Detroit of the year. Because they did do a sellout in January... And February 1st was just under 12,000. And the January show was the first sellout in the Kobo in over a decade. Is Hogan on that show? Uh, on that one? No. That one is Tito Gregg, of course, plus Andre and JYD, Stud and Patera, and U.S. Express, uh, Sheik and Volkov. All right. So... You know, and people can hear this on the Patreon show to hear more about it. Um, but Tito, that Tito, I mean, that Tito Greg feud really helped them in Detroit because that was the big program for a lot of those early shows. Yeah, and right, Bo- and it becomes the arguably their hottest market. Yeah, Boston Garden on March twenty third in front of fifteen thousand five hundred. We had George Wells over Matt Bourne, King Company over Tony Correa, Bruce B. Kick over Sweet Hansen, David Sartino, San Martino over Barry O. When the, return, when the men return the retained tag titles over Sheik and Volkov, Greg over Tito in a lumberjack match for the IC title, Jim Neidhart over Rick McGraw, and Hogan retained the heavyweight title beating Morocco by disqualification. In Toronto on the 24th, no attendance listed, we got Cobra and Goldie Rogers. Luke Poirier over Brian Matney, silent Brian Matney. Yeah. That's a match. Jesse Ventura over SD Jones, Bulldogs over Rene Goulet and Buddy Rose. George Wells over Moondog Spot. Paul Nordruff over Bret Hart. 
Steamboat, Ricky Steamboat, and his first big uh, show in Toronto for WF over Greg Valentine by DQ. So they went with a Crockett match there. And then Andre and JYD over Patera and stunned the Steel Cage in 20 minutes. And Steamboat, Greg being on there too, reminds me how, I forget if it's later 84 or early 85. There's a note Dave has in The Observer in this era where he says something to the effect of all of the Crockett names that Vince has brought in look like they may be helping Vince a lot more in Toronto than they are in traditional Crockett territory. Of course. Absolutely. And Steamboat is Steamboat's one of the top baby faces of the last five years in the city. So yeah. I mean more yeah. than five years, six or seven. Chicago, USC Pavilion on March twenty fourth, no crowd listed. Um David Sammartino over Matt Bourne in your opener. Then you got the Anvil over Barry O. Ivan Putsky over Jerry Valiant subbing for Don Morocco. King Combo over Rick McGraw. Snook over Bob Orton Jr. by countout. Win them in return to retain tag titles over Sheik and Volkoff. And Hogan with Mr. T retains their title beating Brutus Beefcake by disqualification. So there's your house shows for our time, or important house shows yes. for our time period here. Uh, now let's go. Horizon, by the way, is still AWA? Uh, yes. All right, so let's close out with Hulk Hogan and Mr. T from that March 22nd episode of Tuesday Night Titans as they're going to buy groceries to prepare for uh, their training for WrestleMania. You know, we're going to have to make another circle here, man, because I saw that high protein on that other road. All right, wheels, wheels, man. And back here, they got my favorite juice. Let's, let's get the juice right now. All, All right, right. fix good. me up my favorite juice here. For me, double for me, and triple double for the Hulkster. All right. <laughs> In case it wasn't already obvious for people who might pull this up and watch this, it's a health food store. It's not a supermarket yeah. or a bodega or anything. Yes, yes, yes. And now he's at the juice bar. Go get the Piper. Go get Ondar. All right, what you got here? All right, this is a little, uh... Uh, well, what is this here? Carrot juice. Carrot juice. Yeah, carrot juice is good. All right. What's this here right here? That's wheatgrass. Wheatgrass. All right. Let's try some of this wheatgrass. You ever had some wheatgrass? I don't know about that, it's man. It's good, you know, man. It makes you mean. It makes you mean. The only thing I don't want, I don't want no milk in my protein. Hey, don't put no milk no in milk. it. No milk. Milk for babies. Uh, no, no milk. No milk. No milk. All right. Put some <laughs> milk, car grease, motor oil, anything in there but milk. Now, what's thing this here is right here? What is this here? Wheatgrass. 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 Wheat well, we ain't gonna mess with that because it's that grass. You know, we no, don't no, mess with no, no grass. No, 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 no. All right, grass, but we can eat some wheat bread, though. What's no, that wheat bread? Let's see. Uh, uh, where, where the wheat bread? All right, where's the wheat bread? Hurry up with the juices, cause we're hungry. All right, we just got no, to be that ninety percent protein, no fat. Protein, no, no fat, no fat. And give me a couple of them bananas. All right, couple of them bananas. And get the orange. Get the good stuff in here. All right, all right. You want the bananas, man? Banana, potassium, whatever it is. All right, it's good. So we eat this here while I wait on to make the juices and whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yo, we talked about guerrilla warfare, man. I didn't know we were going to be eating bananas, but the thing is, bananas, bananas make you swing, man. Swing, do them things. You swing off the rope, man, grab them. Bananas swing, man. You know, jungle. 
The best part <laughs> is that this is clearly still a functioning health food store that was not shut down at all. Yes. You can hear other customers and employees laughing in the background. <laughs> and you can see at one point a customer just walk over staring at Mr. T ranting into the camera. The one, the thing to take away from all this, this of all the whole thing we talked about in this building at WrestleMania, Mr. T took this shit serious as a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that he took it as serious as he did gave it the gravitas that it needed because Mr. T was legit. Yes. I mean, he won the, he was the toughest man in, in what the country or whatever it was. It was 19- it was uh he, he won a world's toughest what was it, world's toughest bouncers co- or world's toughest yeah. bodyguards competition on NBC. Yeah. I mean, which I so, think was a work to make him a star, but still. Well, he was still a well-known bodyguard. Go he watch. He was a Earth. well-known, legit bodyguard. Yes. Watch, watch boxing matches from the late seventies, early eighties, and you see him in a like in, in like this wild-looking tuxedo, sparkly tuxedo suit as a bodyguard for some of the the boxers. And he had legit skills to back that up too he wasn't a boxer yeah. but he was a but, no. really good high school wrestler yeah, and he, was he had some, some kind of uh, karate or taekwondo experience too i believe yeah he's a tough bastard and he's taking this serious as a heart attack everything you see him in he's taking it serious mm-hmm. so he we talk about what made wrestlemania one a success i think i think mr t is if he's not number one, he's he's right there. I mean, he is. It's just it's hard to explain what he was culturally at the time. He had to be there for it. Yeah. I mean, the guy had his own fucking cereal. <laughs> he had his own cartoon. He had his own fucking cereal, and I mm-hmm. ate that cereal. Bix went old enough. I ate that cereal. My, I got my parents to buy that cereal because it's Mister <laughs> T. I love Mister T. I had the B A Baracus doll. I had the big B A Baracus doll. I mean. I love Mr. T. That my daddy eighteen was one of his favorite shows. I had the eighteen. I had the eighteen figures. You know, I loved. I never had the van, but I loved <laughs> Mr. T. And got him involved in wrestling. And me, this is when I'm starting to watch wrestling and get it. Oh God, you know, it's, my, it's worlds colliding. Because he had the cartoon as well. So yeah, Mr. T cartoon, you had the serial, you had him on wrestling, 18. I mean, he was he was a pop culture phenomenon in this era. So very important. Oh, but, so <laughs> this is all something from earlier. Um I'm just looking through ProQuest hits for uh, for Hulk Hogan, Richard Velzer. The Phil Collins video we saw when we were skipping ahead earlier. Yeah. That was actually the first thing they cut to after Belzer got hurt. Yeah. 
that wasn't just something that was randomly on the tape or part of a commercial. But yeah, like Mr. T without Mr. T, this doesn't work. No. Jim Crockett's money and Mr. T. <laughs> well, and also, even though we we don't have anything authoritative saying this, but it's clearly what happened. Vince also clearly went back to doing the studio shows specifically to make sure he didn't lose TBS before May. There's oh, no uh, other yes. explanation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? So. Well, what a show this was. A wild show. And we thank David Davis for uh, wanting us to do a show from this time period and pushing us for it and uh, getting it done. And uh, we hope he enjoys the part of the show that he wasn't on, which, which uh, we think he will. Now, next week on Between the Sheets, it's time to uh, take a step into another direction because we had 84, we had 85 this week. Then in two weeks, we go 86. Four WrestleMania so, 2, yes. So let's go to the late 90s. In fact, 1998. Ooh. So in World Championship Wrestling, we have injury news as Sting suffers an injury and Randy Savage tears his ACL. So we'll talk about that. Plus a weird nitro in Chicago, and Eric Bischoff has quite the prodigy chat during our week. Uh-oh. He has a lot, a lot of subjects to talk about. We have a a base eighties baseball star doing an angle for TC Martin's NWC. We got Wait, in ninety eight. Yes, Dave Brown returning to Memphis Wrestling Television. We'll talk about what's going on there. We got other assorted. Uh, Indies to talk about, and, and we have ECW in upstate New York, featuring one of the greatest ECW matches ever on television in Buffalo, involving Rob Van Dam and Bam Bam Bigelow. So we'll talk about that. We got some sad news on former World Heavyweight Champion Floyd Patterson and why he was removed as the head of the New York State Athletic Commission. We got Lucha to talk about, including Bix, one of our favorite t- subjects to talk about, Juan Herrera. <laughs> Dave's confusion. Oh no! And we got the maybe the biggest story of all during our week, in a way. Antonio Noki's retirement at Tokyo Dome. So we'll talk about that. Plus, all Japan's got their champion carnival going on. But really, the most memorable thing that happens during our week, we don't have Mania, but we have the night after Mania. Yes, Shaw Waltman debuts on Monday Night Raw in a major way. And we will be joined by someone who hasn't been on the show in a long time, but podcast legend, Dr. Keith Lipinski, returning to Between the Sheets next week Ooh. to discuss all of this. So, you said uh, podcast legend. I was expecting Joe Gagne, but I guess he'd been on more recently than Keith. So, Yeah, Keith, it's been a long time since we had Keith on. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about uh, a wild week in 1998. And his, uh, when I uh, sent him the notes for the show, his... Uh, his response was in all caps, wow, this is some week. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. Should we get anyway, to, should we ask him about his vacation that he just went on to? Well, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. We appreciate David again for uh, requesting the show. And again, you can request the show that you want at patreon.com slash 20 sheets, 25 to request it, 50 to send for a segment, 100 for the whole show. And Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris says so long from the Peach State of Georgia. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon special edition number 66. I'm your host, Chris Zoner. Joined as always by co-host David Bixenspan. And Bix, we're going way back here on uh, this month of our, on our Patreon. 35 years to one of the watershed moments in wrestling history. Bigger. Better. Badder. Yes, WrestleMania 3. And, uh... <clears throat> yeah, like I said, it's, it's a definitely an interesting time in wrestling history at this time. As um, we'll start actually in '86, that's where everything was beginning about WrestleMania three. But um, I mean, the wrestling world still at this time is still kind of like it always was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, 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 if, if, as we start it, it, around Thanksgiving '86, I mean, all the territories are still going, other uh, than the ones the, that closed before the expansion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess the latest one that that just closed would have been Texas All Star, but I mean, yeah, all all of your you know major territories that are have been around are still around and still. Running, although this time Crockett is in central states, so he's he's in Geigel territory, so we got that going on. But yeah, I mean, at this time, as WWF is getting ready for the biggest show in their history, I mean, the wrestling world is pretty much status quo. Yes, and even though Hogan Orndorff has drawn big, you know, especially with the exhibition stadium show that i'm sure we'll talk about more as this goes on that was coming off of wwf business really kind of dying on the vine after wrestlemania 2 yeah they went to a lull until the orndorf turn and even and even then you know even at this point in time they're doing you know great business but as far as like their q rating and yeah they got certain main events though on nbc still strong but they're not nearly as ingratiated in the in the public mindset as they were the year before. Right. What That's we're right. getting into, yeah, what we're getting into is about to change all that. Of course. But yes. But at, at this point in time, it's like they're I'm not saying on, on a down cycle by any means because they're doing great business at house shows, but it's just they're not they're not on that other level. That they were on during the the rock and wrestling era, yeah, you know. And the other so. thing I guess we could say is that, in terms of being able to headline shows with different acts, this is probably the strongest they've been since Slaughter left because Hogan, Savage, and the Bulldogs are all strong headliners in and of themselves. And and you got you know even secondary ones like JYD you know yeah. running running back up you know to whoever and yeah I mean they do have a a strong crew at this point in time absolutely all right so let's get started shall we as we go to the week of November twenty fourth nineteen eighty six Observer covered eight December the first now I do want to add something real quick even though we're not up to that part yet I'll just use this as an opportunity to say to everyone for chris's sake please do not request any weeks between march and may 1987 so we don't kill him 
because that's the period where uh, where Dave Meltzer's typewriter has a broken O. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me that much because well, I you're I mean, not I... OCRing. St- well, we have a friend that did a lot of OCRing, you know, text recognition on that era's observers that just didn't bother with those because it requires so much fixing. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not that bad for me. I mean, the the worst thing of all the things that, that is in this era, and we talk about that on the main show, is the fucking, you know, days of the week instead of actual dates. You know, trying to figure out what's what, yes. when's when, and all that. That's, that's, that's a bigger pain in the ass than right. a fucking oak. Later on, we have a better idea of the publication schedule. Not so much here. On Monday, this happened. Well, what fucking Monday ha- did it happen on? <laughs> you know, so just type the date. It's shit, it's shit like it's shit like that. But anyway, right, let's go to the week of March the twenty third. Now, a lot of a lot of stuff here. PR Newswire, March thirty third, twenty third. Cranes, Detroit Business, March 23rd. The Reno Gazette Journal, March 24th. New York Times, March 26th. Lansing State Journal, March 26th. Detroit Free Press, March 26th, 27th. And Gannett News Service, March 29th. A lot. All right, so let's begin with PR Newswire. WrestleMania 3 says indoor sports entertainment and tennis record according to the World's Federation. WrestleMania 3 set a record today and has become the largest indoor sports entertainment event of all time, announced by the World Wrestling Federation. The event, which takes place Sunday, March 29th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time at the Pontiac Silverdome, has broken the old indoor attendance record of 87,500 set by the Rolling Stones at the Silver Superdome in 1981. More than 88,000 people have built the Silverdome for the most exciting type of event in history. Tickets, which are priced as high as $100 for inside seats, went on sale in early February. An arena that holds attendance records for the largest NBA crowd as well as largest indoor Super Bowl audience. Mike Ibington, acting executive director of the Finance Silverdome, commented, We are proud of the attendance records which we have set with the Pistons and the NFL as well as with rock concerts, but WrestleMania 3 would be our biggest attendance by far. Headlining the 12 match extravaganza would be WFAA champion Hulk Hogan defending the title against a 7 foot 4 inch, 525 pound Andre the Giant. Also, Intercontinental Champion Randy Savage will take on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and Ryder Ryan will make his farewell appearance against adorable Adrian Adonis. In addition to becoming the largest indoor event ever, WrestleMania 3 is experiencing tremendous advanced ticket sales for more than 160 closed-circuit locations across the United States and Canada. New York's Madison Square Garden has sold out. Wait a minute. Wasn't that just 1,000 tickets last week in the, in the reporting, and now it's sold out? In the Observer? Um, That's a pretty big jump. But would you put that in a press release if you still had tickets left to sell? No. So, Saturday night's main event, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, home of Toronto's uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL. They sold all their available tickets, 11,800, in just one day. The Pittsburgh Civic Arena has even moved the start time of the Pittsburgh Penguins NHL game to 9 p.m. to accommodate a closed-circuit telecast WrestleMania 3. The event also will be carried in as many as 26 countries nationwide, worldwide, excuse me. Below is the list of largest indoor sports entertainment events in history. WrestleMania 3, Silverdome, 88,000 fans, March 87. Rolling Stone, Superdome, 87,500, December 1981. The Who. In the Silverdome, 80,000 fans in December 1975. 
pro football Super Bowl 16 at the Super at the Super uh, Dome in front of 81,270. U.S. Olympic team basketball 67,596. Don't say where that's at. Major Baseball, 1979 All-Star Game. That was in Seattle, 58,905. Ali Spinks, their uh, first fight um, in 1978 from a 63-360 at the Superdome. And Detroit Pistons at the Silverdome, February 15, 86, 44,180. And then he gets contact information for the people involved here. Including. Michael Webb. Yes. Okay, there's a lot here. First, just to get it out of the way, that Pittsburgh thing is 100% true. Yeah. Because with WrestleMania starting at 4 p.m. Eastern, they moved the Penguins game to 9 p.m. so they could do WrestleMania 3 closed circuit. Mm-hmm. That says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So here, to me, though, is the big significance to this. No, they're not a public company yet, but there's no follow-up press release a week later. There is no press release that says 93,173. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious if you see this the way I do, which is this. I think this is them saying this is a leg- the legit number. Or th- at least their way of saying that. And then, you know, 93,173 was the quote-unquote official number for entertainment purposes. Well, okay. Here's the thing. It says eighty-seven thousand five hundred. Was it eighty? Was it was total here eighty more more than eighty-eight thousand? Is That's, what they're uh, saying because it hasn't sold out yet. It's not. It doesn't sell out until. So wait, this is the twenty-third. So that's this is Monday. I think the show sells out on on th- around Thursday, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the show hasn't sold out yet, and I'm guessing they're going to do production kills, which is why they're not giving an exact number, at least. Yeah. But where are you going with this? Um, I was thinking that, you know, they, they were thinking that was the number, and then maybe they had more than what they thought, and that's why they went with 9373. <sighs> okay, so we're going to have... At least contemporaneous. We're going to have the figures, as I think I put it in the notes, as far as how many people could just be in the building, including personnel, in a bit. But I'll bring this up now, since this is not something that's in any of the notes. Um, I had never heard this until a few years ago, but seems legitimate. Um, I think I've mentioned it to you, but I don't think, and I don't think you had heard it till I told you about it. When I did that initial Deadspin article trying to figure out what the real attendance could be, going through old newspaper articles, trying to do public record requests, etc., both Tom Buchanan, who was the you know non-Steve Taylor WWF photographer for years, and a fan who was there who posted the now hidden Deadspin comments, reached out, Tom Buchanan emailed me, and both separately said that when they realized because it wasn't that well known the show had sold out tv was done before the show was sold out if you didn't see the newspaper stuff about being sold out you don't know it's sold out it's a big stadium event you think you can get tickets once that once they realized a ton of people were showing up expecting to get in that wouldn't be able to get tickets 
They decided to let a lot of them in for free as standing room, but they weren't even getting into the stadium really to watch the show. I guess maybe there were monitors in the hallways and stuff. They were There were just people that didn't have tickets that were let in to hang out in the concourse and the restrooms and stuff. So, whatever the real number is, it's absolutely more than the number of ticketed fans. Yeah. We just don't know how many people that could be. You know what I mean? It could be anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand. But... I mean, do you get what I'm saying, though, as far as my point with this? That, like, why else are they releasing this press release a week out? Well, yeah, six days out, but still. And then not releasing a new press release Sunday or Monday, you know, after the show, if this is not kind of their way of slyly saying this is the real number. Yeah. I just it is, interesting. It is I just, an impression factor. Right, because I just... If they were trying to impress, like, I'm sure they changed how they view this over time, but if they were trying to actually impress on people after the fact that 93, 173 was the real number, wouldn't they just have put out a new press release? You would think. Right. And again, 88,000 is what everyone's saying until a few days out. Mm-hmm. That is the number everywhere as the approximate capacity, which makes sense because, like I said, about 6,300 on the field. You know, capacity in terms of fixed seats is, as everyone in the Detroit area knows from the NFL blackout rules, I forget the exact number, but it's uh, 80,600 something. So that takes you up to 80, not, you know, uh, excuse me, 87,000 or thereabouts. So makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, on the business and attendance topic, though, now we go to a source we've never used before and probably will never use again. Crane's Detroit Business from Crane Publications, who owns Ad Age and a bunch of the trades in their archives. Wrestlers stir mania megabucks by Bradford Wernie. No way that's his real name. For Crank's Detroit Business. You don't you don't think that's the perfect name for a writer at a publication like Crane's Detroit Business, though? I mean, I mean, I mean, he sounds like a, a name that it should have been in, uh, you know, FCW in two thousand and nine or something like that. Bradford Wernie. Bradford Wernie managing Briley Pierce. <laughs> I mean, good lord. But anyway. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.